Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and Whatever it is. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another patriotic, American tastic episode of Fan Holes Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, and I'm not alone tonight. I've actually got a very special guest by way of the quad m show i've got tj damon on the line with me tonight and we're about to get ready to talk about something a story that's pretty special to both of us and it is a a loose tie-in to the disney plus release of falcon and the winter soldier we're going to be talking about the epic almost two-year running story arc through captain america i think it's typically referred to at least in the trades, as Captain America No More. And so we're going to be looking at issues 332 to 350, and including Iron Man 228. Holy crap. So let's see if we can do this or not and how it goes. But yeah, TJ's here with me. Hey, what's up, TJ? How's it going? Oh, Derek, how we doing, buddy? I'm, I'm, I'm good. doing I'm good. good. I'm doing good. I'm I'm excited about talking about this. And yeah, you know, like you say, depending on who you talk to, I mean, this this story arc that went, you know, damn near 20 issues, if you include various tie-ins and all that type of stuff, you know, whether you call it Captain America No More or like the recent trade was just the captain or if you call mm, it the yeah, John yeah. Walker saga, whatever it might be. But I think for me, this story arc is probably my favorite because it's the one where I got into Captain America. It was like, I think I, I want to say I was like in the sixth grade because it was right around 87 or 88 when it, when it was first coming out. And I remember I didn't pick up the issue at the time, but seeing the, the Captain America no more where he's standing in front of the, the flag and it's, you know, kind of, you know, kind of bleeding the, 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 the red colors. I'd say that covers probably one of my top three favorite Mike Zek Captain America covers. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just, yeah. And just a strong image, but you know, across the board, cause there's, there's been, you know, like three or four different times story arc wise where Steve Rogers has either quit being Captain America has been fired from being Captain America, been presumed dead, so somebody else takes the mantle, whatever it may be. But amongst all of those, I think when it comes to Steve Rogers questioning 
his either either the 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 stance of America or questioning his beliefs versus the will of the government or whatever it might be. I think this one is the definitive, you know, if you're if you were going to ask me I want to get into Captain America, what story arc should I read first? I'm going to point, you know, this this is going to be one of the top 3 go-tos as far as I'm concerned where you get a definite uh, char- kind of character study on Steve Rogers, really. Yeah. And what happens and what happens when you have a, a crazed psychopath taking over the mantle? Because you got to think, too, you know, at the, at the time this came out, this is when those the greedy heroes, anti-heroes started making their popularity, whether it was Wolverine or the Punisher or, you know, Watchmen to come out like two years beforehand. You know, so everyone was wanting to get, you know, gritty and more violent and, you know, is it OK for heroes to kill? And, you know, it, it, that kind of that that kind of perspective is looked at within this because as we go forth and we're discussing the various issues, you can kind of see it, it well not kind of see. I mean, it's pretty much laid bare to you. Johnny Walker's descent into madness due to the pressure of the job and his eh, wavering willpower, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean I I'm pretty much on record. Like I, I remember when I wrote like a a blog, you know, a written blog of my my favorite Captain America stories, and this was this was at the top, you know, this was number one, and you know, it's one of those things where I, I don't think I can separate, you know, single issues out. You know, I just I really enjoy this this entire story arc, and you know, when you said it was your favorite, and the fact that I think John Walker is going to be part of that Disney Plus Winter Soldier you know, and the Falcon series, there, there mm-hmm. seems to be an impetus for us to, you know, to, you know, get together and talk about it and everything. And I guess, you know, along those lines, I'm kind of curious, like, do you have any sort of, you know, hopes and dreams, aspirations? Like, are you looking forward to the Falcon and Winter Soldier series? Do you have any apprehensions about it? Like, since we haven't yet really seen a, a television series in the Marvel Cinematic Universe from, like, Disney plus per se like this is not a you know a netflix original type thing this is this is going to be you know something that presumably holds weight within the the film franchise and all that kind of stuff yeah and everything everything that i've heard and seen so far when it comes to disney plus stuff and and clearly by what they're showing and offering is that at least this initial run of series because i think as this show hits I think we'll already have WandaVision out, or is that scheduled for after? I think maybe it'll be after, because I, I think this is supposed to be in August, and then WandaVision is supposed to be, like, in December Like, or next. Something. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what something. the timeline is, because, you know, a little peek behind the curtain, kids. We were, we're recording this way early, so... Yeah. So, but, but as far as the timeline of when the shows are coming out, I'm not sure, but, I mean, they've made it very clear that, like, Loki and WandaVision are going to be very heavily steeped in the multiverse and kind of tie in with the with Doctor Strange 2 and the mouth mm-hmm. and the madness of, of the multiverse, whatever. And then big picture wise, where Falcon and the Winter Soldier will fit in the grand scheme of things, I'm not quite sure. But I, I think they're clearly making the effort to have these shows tie in strongly with, you know, with the main MCU movies, because number one, um, they actually have the shows listed amongst Phase Four and Phase Five, which they never did with the the Netflix stuff. And also, too, it's the fact that you've got the 
you know, the, the, I guess if you want to say big highfalutin A-list Marvel actors like Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bett, Paul Bettany, Hiddleston, all of those guys, they're actually in on these shows. It's not going to be somebody else playing the role. And so it's, it's, it's that that I'm finding that I, that I do see these are going to have maybe not so much an impact, but are going to be great, but great supplemental. That's what I'm looking for. Great supplemental things to go along with the movie. You know, I don't, I don't think if you don't watch these shows, you're going to miss out on a whole lot, but it's something that you may want to watch. So you have a better, well-rounded picture, if that makes sense. The only thing, you know, as far as when we talk about hopes and dreams, clearly my biggest hope and dream would be that Chris Evans would just go ahead and say, you know what, sign me up for five more years. Give me, give me more. I, cause I, I just, Chris Evans to me, he's, he's the guy, you know? And I mean, granted it's, it's no different than anything else. I mean, how many guys have played James Bond? How many guys have played Batman? We can always have somebody else come in and be Steve Rogers later on down the road. But it's also to a case of where, you know, the movies and the TVs are definitely more, you know, they're different than the comics and the fact that you, still have to grow and adapt and accept whatever changes they want to do. And I, I honestly, they haven't, they haven't done anything bad yet. They haven't shit the bed yet. In my view, there's been a couple of eh, half-assed clunkers, you know, like the uh, Thor dark world wasn't too keen on that just cause it was kind of bland and boring. But here recently they've definitely picked up the pace. I mean, who knew the guardians of the galaxy was going to hit as big as it did. I didn't. I figured that was going to be the first clunker that they were going to throw out. Who the hell wants to watch that? Now, all of a sudden, everyone's all, you know, Groot and Rocket. And and I think, you know, like with the, the, the next wave of movies coming out, like the Eternals, I don't know how I feel about all the changes they're making to the characters of the Eternals, but it's kind of that wait and let's wait and see what happens. If it's a good movie, it's a good movie and go with that approach. I don't know if characters like Shang-Chi have the strength to hold their own in a movie. But again, if the story is good, you know, they, they, they've taken a lot of chances and they've hit the mark quite a few times. So I think it's just a matter of making sure for, for anything, whether it's winter soldier and Falcon, any of the Disney plus stuff or any of the phase four and five stuff, just continue to provide the good quality, you know, popcorn entertainment, you know, and make the movie experience enjoyable. That's, that's really it. And if they can find somebody else besides Brie Larson to be Captain Marvel, I wouldn't be opposed to that either. <laughs> yeah, I'm I just know. saying. I, I, I think I think some of those are pipe dreams, you know. Like I, I feel like they've definitely kind of, you know, made it clear. I mean, who knows? Like, like may, maybe like you know, every time Robert Downey Jr. was supposedly done with Iron Man, they kept bringing you know dump trucks full of money to get them to sign up for one more film or one more thing or whatever right so so yeah. that that could happen with Chris Evans i suppose but it, it feels like with, with i mean my expectations for Falcon and Winter Soldier is that they're going to set up the Falcon being the the next Captain America you know oh, based he's the on next some of the yeah. things that, that that they did in the comics you know I mean I I enjoy the story where Bucky becomes Captain America and and I don't know if they'll touch on that at all in the series but if they did I I, I that might be entertaining I think my my reservations are that 
they may end up treating John Walker, who, you know, we'll get into the nitty gritty of this comic book story, but just, just as an overview, I think he's a pretty full developed, well-layered three-dimensional character. Whereas I'm not sure if John Walker is going to be somewhat merged with the, the quote unquote Captain America of the fifties. Like my, my concern is that they're going to pilfer some stuff from like, the Greg Rucka and Steve Englehart runs where they had the cap from the fifties come back and like Bucky cap fought the cap from the fifties or, you know, Steve Rogers back in the old Englehart run fought the cap from the fifties. And that's how you got Jack Monroe and nomad and all that stuff. Like yeah, my concern the grand, the grand is director that, that, stuff. Yeah. 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 My, my, my concern is that John Walker will be as flat and one note as, as that character and not, not a character that maybe they could, spin off into you know avengers films or other films or whatever you know so so i mean if they if they make him a flat out you know bad guy by the end of it which i think is pretty likely i i think that would be my only reservation about the whole thing yeah, um, but and, but and 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 I guess just to follow up on some of the things you were saying, you know, I I don't know how much I'm looking forward to Eternals or Black Widow per se, but I I am kind of looking forward to Shang Chi. Like I I'd like to see that do well, and 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 I am kind of looking forward to it because I think I think that's that's a vein they haven't really tapped. And and again, I was always the guy when when there were people crying for why can't Iron Fist be an Asian character, or you've got you know, people kind of going, oh, well, you know, Snake Eyes is now an Asian character in the new upcoming movie, whereas he wasn't in the original comics. I, you know, I don't have any problem with representation, but I, I like it when it's something that that is already built into the mythology, you know, that's already there. And I think, to me, that's somebody that I would always point to. If somebody said, well, let's race swap this character, I'd say, well, why don't you just make a character like Shang-Chi who doesn't need to be race swapped, just an awesome, prominent action star character. And I, I think they're they're positioning him to be that because you've got the tie-in to the Mandarin, and I think that'll appeal to people who are, you know, maybe fans of Iron Man and, and, and fans of that kind of, you know, yeah. that there's and a real quote-unquote Mandarin, you know. And we're pissed so. off about Iron Man 3, like myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think, <laughs> I think you, you, you might be able to to galvanize some of that fan base and and get them on board and interested in a film like that. So and and I will say I am kind of looking forward to that a lot. So but but yeah, that that's I, I just wanted to briefly touch on, you know, since like you said, this is a little bit in advance. We don't really know what's coming down the the pike as far as that goes. But but I mean, you know, we've seen little teasers and and you know, probably you know, whatever news has been dropped about that. Like Yeah, like the latest presumably the latest. as you're the latest rumor mill buzz that I heard was that they now that now that they've got access to the X-Men and and Fantastic Four characters like one of the rumors I'm hearing right now. And I, I don't know quite how I feel about it yet if it's if it does come true and come to pass. But there's talk of like Omega Red being the being one of the villains as as, you know, the a Russian operative. And I'm like, OK, that's kind of a cool way to dip your toe into the X-Men you know, world type of thing and start introducing characters and bringing them in. But I'm also kind of the mentality of, I would much rather just be focused on someone like say, you know, cap centric villains, like, 
John Walker flag smasher, who we'll probably get into a little bit later. You know, any of those any of those kind of politically intriguing villains, I think would be better suited, which I guess maybe Omega Red as a Russian agent might fit that bill. But yeah, yeah I mean, right I mean, now, I, I, I think, you know, some of the, the teasers they released is, you know, but they, they've got, you know, Zemo with his actual mask. So that that's another thing that's kind of exciting, at least for me. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I think I think if they if, to me, my hope is that they'll stick with Zemo being a villainous mastermind. And, you know, John Walker may have been swayed or corrupted or, you know, like you say, he, he, he'll have an extended bout of madness. But I'm, I'm kind of hoping that it's not something that they can't, you know pull him back from or redeem him or, or or have him go off and do his own, you know, have his own kind of adventures and, and have, you know, you know, leave the villainy to Zemo or flag smasher, or, you know, whoever you want, you know, type thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, set up John Walker to be us agent. I'm totally cool with that because, you know, you've got the, you know, the, 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 you can have that U S government agent set up and have him in there being that I just hope they do more if they do it that way i certainly hope they do more with the us agent character than they did in the comics because really after this you know the cap no more saga to me john walker just always came across as just being a very a very bland nothing happening you know just i mean the, the character just kind of went south for me it didn't seem like there it's was a whole lot being like done yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on it depends on what you've read and stuff. You know, I mean, they, they brought him back. He was he was essentially, for lack of a better comparison, you know, they, they kind of made him almost the guy Gardner of the Avengers West Coast. You know, he was kind of getting in Hawkeye's face all the time and, and that kind of thing. But I think, you know, there, there have been other, you know, they kind of gave him his own miniseries here and there, like in the right. early 2000s. And then there was that kind of weird period where he... He was essentially like a prison warden and he lost the use of his legs and everything. So like there, 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 there were a lot of things that they, they ended up doing with the character and, you know, some of them were interesting moments, but I could see how some of them, you know, compared to this story, which we both hold in high regard could be considered, you know, sort of ho-hum or, or maybe not as engaging. Hi, this is TJ Damon with Quad M Productions and co-host of the Quad M Show. The Quad M Show is a somewhat live and semi-weekly comedic podcast where your host T.J. Damon. I'm not very, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Jason Vickers. I let all the air out of my tires so they don't go flat. And Jesse Barnett. I think I even accidentally listened to the show this last week. Bring you their takes on current pop culture and geek world news. Show features include the FGS Award, highlighting the pinnacle of human stupidity for this week. And Reddit Fun with Jason, where your hosts compare their opinions with the hive mind known as Reddit. Here, take a listen. My biggest problem with the movie industry as it sits now is that the trailers that they are putting out give everything away. Batman and Superman are going to duke it out. Then along comes a stronger foe. They're going to have to team up. Along comes Wonder Woman. So you've already ruined that surprise for everybody. <laughs> now we're going to have Gail Godot's Wonder Woman coming in to save the day. And when Wonder Woman and Superman are there, what's Batman got to do? <laughs> <laughs> you got this handle. I'm going to go work on my marriage with Jennifer Carter. <laughs> New episodes drop Mondays at 12 noon Eastern. Check us out at www.quadmproductions.com. But I guess, yeah. you know, on that note, let's let's maybe get into the, the nitty gritty of everything. Are you, let's are you get cracking. Let's, this? yeah. All right. Let's, let's, All right. let's open so. this tome. Yeah. 
to me. So the first issue in this, the beginning of this arc, is going to be Captain America, issue 332. The cover date was August 1987. It was on sale May 5th, 1987, thanks to Mike's Amazing World for that date. The cover price is 75 cents. It had 32 pages. Edited by Don Daly. The writer was Mark Grunewald. Penciler was Tom W. Morgan. Inker, Bob McLeod. The letterer, Diana Albers. And the colorist, Ken... Fedunakowitz. Fedunakowitz or yeah. something like that. All right. <laughs> so, so 23 pages. The title is called The Choice. And here is a brief synopsis of what happens in The Choice. A terrorist named Warhead parachutes on top of the Washington Monument with an armed thermonuclear device. Meanwhile, at the Pentagon, Steve Rogers, also known as Captain America, is brought before a task force known as the Commission. Based on legally binding documents, if Rogers is to continue operating as Captain America, he must give up his autonomy and resume an official position as America's super soldier with all his activities coordinated by the Commission. While Steve Rogers deliberates over the next 24 hours, with friends and family on how to proceed, John Walker, also known as the Super Patriot, arrives on the scene to confront Warhead. Walker sends Warhead plummeting toward the ground, but not before he goes out in a blaze of glory by pulling a grenade pin on the way to the bottom. With the crisis averted by late evening, the next morning, Stephen Rogers returns to see the commission and gives up his costume and shield. And that basically is the long and short of events in issue 332. I mean, I, I sort of remember the, the lead up to this, like all the promotional material. Like I have that, I have that 11 by 17, like fold out promo poster where it's got like, you know, the, the costume and the shield, you know, all draped up and where it kind of, you know, does the whole Captain America no more. It's got that right. Mike Zek drawn poster and everything and i got him yeah. to sign that and stuff and you know like i i remember you know that this was a big deal and that that ad was sort of uh, that poster was like a house ad that ran through like all the comics and everything and and i agree with you you mentioned it earlier the the cover to 332 by mike zek is great the way the the red stripes of the flag spill out into blood and everything like i i, I think it's awesome yeah as you talk about the lead up and, and everything on that, I think, you know, really, especially nowadays, I think a lot of people forget how granted a lot of his work could come off as kind of stilted and and not as good as, like, say, your high end legends that everyone goes with. But a lot of people forget just how good of a writer and, and overall, you know, Marvel know-it-all that Mark Grenwald was. You yeah, know, he was yeah. the guy responsible for the official handbook of the Marvel Universe and I think I could be wrong on this. Don't quote me. But I do believe he's probably the longest. He was the longest tenured Captain America writer. Yeah, it was like it was like something like 11 years, 12 years. I don't yeah, know. I mean, it was, really it was crazy. The, yeah, yeah, it was crazy the amount of time that he spent with it. And but the key thing is being a writer on a series for that long, it gives you opportunities to really be able to set things into motion. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, prior to this for like six months or so, you know, six issues or so prior to this, they were setting it up. You know, you had the two FBI agents, what was it? Farber and McNulty. Oh yeah. Looking, looking for Captain America. Going around yeah. looking for Captain America. You uh, set up, you know, a couple of, of uh, like with issue 327, and I think another one a little bit further in where you have the 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 fight between Captain America and Super Patriot. So they were definitely if, – if this was story 
as it was going, they were definitely setting up Super Patriot to be the next Captain America yeah, for the purpose yeah. of the story. You know, and, and and but you had, you know, Super Patriot and his bold urban commandos, you know, and yeah. all that. And there was just a lot of great uh, it was it, in the in a time where the comics few and far between you didn't have a whole lot of set up going into a story arc. It was pretty much here's your single issue, your two part or your three part story arc, and that's it and it's done, and we just move on to the next deal. This, while not say like on the level of a Chris Claremont, there was still a lot of time taken because they knew this was actually going to be a big deal for Captain America and you know the character and Captain America fans. So it was it was it's really cool to see that they took the time to get everything set up to where boom we can just get get right in and get going with three thirty two, and you know as we were as I you know mentioned earlier this was where. You know, uh, Steve Rogers is taking that time figuring out his own belief system and who he is as Captain America and how is he more effective doing what he does as opposed to being told by a commission or, you know, prime example. These are the same viewpoints that Captain America uh, was expressing during Captain America Civil War. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the, 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 it's interesting because I, I was going over the, the list of consequences if he gives up being Captain America. And, you know, what's funny is one of the ones they don't fully ever seem to address, but I thought was the hugest consequence was they, they had the whole, you know, you, you talked about how they were setting up certain things. And in some of the previous issues to this, they had set up how since Captain America was, was still alive, in the ice that whole time like they he technically he was still considered a government employee and on the payroll so he ended up getting a million dollars in back pay from right. the u.s government and then he uses that back pay to, to fund sets, the, the captain sets america up, hotline yeah sets up the hotline yeah. you know and, and and then to me i'm kind of like to me the most damning consequence to that which they don't ever actually really seem to address in this entire story i don't think is they, they do mention in this issue he'd have to return that million dollars like because they 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 don't consider him you know basically like the, it sounds like they're saying well we're not responsible for mistakes of the previous administration and and giving you a million dollars in taxpayer money was a mistake not you know what what you know basically that that you were considered legally dead at that point so it shouldn't have been you know in continuance if you were decide, declared legally dead, you know, type thing. So it's like that That to me seems like something that would be, you know, one, one of the bigger, like, in other words, if I was thinking of it now, like, not that I'm Captain America or anything, but they said you had to be, give up being Captain America. And I'm like, okay, well, okay, I can get a new shield. I can get a different costume. I can I can operate with my own autonomy because that's what's the most valuable to me. But then then if somebody all automatically said, "Hey, you know that million you just spent? You got to give it back." I'd be like, "Oh, fuck." You know, right. like that, that, that would be the one thing that would give me pause, you know? So so it it gives me pause when I'm when I'm reading the the story and everything. And then I guess well, and they what, gave they what, gave themselves yeah. an, they gave themselves an out with that too, where he's like, "Well, I can just go hit up Tony Stark for a loan." Right, right, right. Like something something that where <laughs> he can hit up one of his 
his rich buddies for for a loan or something like that. But but th- that's the funny part is him and Tony Stark later come to blows. So it's like one of those things where did that happen? Like I don't think it did. Like they they never directly address it. So so you never quite know. You know, it's like they don't exactly shut down the hotline either because it plays sort of a vital role in in like a lot of these stories. And yeah, it's yeah, it's it's it, yeah. So, I mean, you know, they kept it running. I'm thinking it was one of those deals where they were just kind of I mean, if, if you really you want to kind of play loose and fast with it and try to get yourself one of those coveted no prizes, you could just say it was a threat by the government. But because but you put the money because you put the money towards a public service, they'll let it slide. Yeah, they they wouldn't they 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 weren't actually going to follow through on that threat, but they they did follow right. through on some of the other threats and everything. You know, the, the you mentioned Mark Grunewald and like a, a, a lot of the, the two things that come up most commonly now in in sort of hindsight when people view this story throughout the lens of history is you know one thing that's good to note is you know you talked about Watchmen and how much an influence that had on the sort of grim and gritty era of comics but you know something that people will often mention uh you know or 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 say in whispers you know there's a there's a strong contingent of people who think the squadron supreme miniseries that grunwald wrote is you know i've heard people say that it's better than watchmen do you know what i mean like like yeah there's there's that contingent of fan and and so it's it's interesting because you know he did write Captain America for a long time and there are some really awesome Captain America stories and there's some big old stinker Captain America stories. Uh, and there's but, clunkers, yeah. Yeah, you know, but it's like it's kind of like what you're saying, like that that's that's over the course of twelve years. I mean, you're bound to have some kind of burnout or or you know some stories may not be just as you know classic as others you know so i mean you know just the fact that that he he wrote as long as he did and came up with as many good ideas as he did and and the other thing that's also mentioned in hindsight that i don't think i had any notion of until people pointed out this connection and now that i think about it it's not exactly the same but a lot of people will point to this you know the captain captain no more you know that kind of thing as Basically, you know, saying that the 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 editors at the bad office essentially, you know, ripped that off for Nightfall, you know, like and when you really look at it, you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, Cap has a moral crisis of conscience and that's what brings him down, per se. Right. Because he's he you know, it's like you said, he, he either operates with autonomy or or he, he exceeds to the direction of of a government appointed commission. Right. And, and that's the that's the thing he's wrestling with. So it's not so much like Bane breaking Batman's back, but the, the, the that's the galvanizing moment in Nightfall. But the galvanizing moment here is is Cap that America gives up his shield and costume. And in its own way, it both brings them, you know, away from the the mantle, whatever it is. And then after that, you so, you know, instead of Captain America fighting all his greatest villains and getting beat up and then, you know, I don't know, some some crazy wrestler coming out and breaking his back, it's it's governmental red tape that does it. But then after that, then then you have the 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 idea of, you know, the, the night quest and night's end, you know, that all followed nightfall where, you know, Azrael takes over as Batman and becomes, like you said, I, I would argue Azrael's much more of a, a crazed madman than, than John Walker ever became, because I think John Walker's a lot more layered, but, but you, you see the, I guess the history of that. And, and when somebody points that out, sort of looking at it in hindsight, you go, yeah, like, like I can see how, how, you know, indirectly or otherwise, 
this story had influence on on you know later arcs like Batman Nightfall. Yeah, and you know, I I've never really thought about that. I mean, as far as you know, them ripping off the 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 Captain No More deal on that, because really, I mean, yeah, there's to me the only real similarity was the fact that you had a replacement of questionable character mm-hmm. in the position. Beyond that, I mean, just the way that Batman ended up, you know, Bruce Wayne ended up not being Batman anymore is a far cry from how Steve Rogers lost the Captain America mantle. And plus, I mean, that you're talking, what, about seven years difference between, you know, that's separated? Oh, yeah, yeah. Two storylines. No, I mean, it's, it, so, you know, to me, though, I think you, you, you hit on to the, the notion of, you know, what does it mean to be Captain America? And I think I think Nightfall was the same idea. You know, what does it mean to be Batman? And again, you you went back to that age old conflict of, you know, should a superhero kill? Should they not kill? And they they, right. they delve into that. And the same thing, it, it's the grim and gritty 80s versus the the grim and gritty 90s, you know, but but the, the idea is the same. Like, you know, you've got you know, guys like John Walker and Azrael using, you know, lethal, you know, force or, or you know, conceivably, you know, killing right. their opponents, right? right? And and yeah. that's, yeah. I, I think that's where people see the, the main similarities more so than, you know, not necessarily, you know, the, the backbreaking and that kind of thing, but just the, the actual yeah. questions that the story yeah. asks. I, I just, I, just I, I, guess, I guess on my end, it's just a case, for me at least, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a blatant ripoff. No, no, I mean, no, no. Was, I, 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 I was kind of using that in quotes. I'm not. I'm not accusing oh, okay. Nightfall of being ripoff. No, I'm just no. Saying, I thought. I, so, yeah. so, some people have either a pointed out the similarities and and just you know if you want to take it to the extreme, some people may say, hey, this ripped off that. I don't know that I agree with that, but I'm just I'm just throwing it out there as as kind of chatter mentioned in hindsight you know like yeah. I, I don't think that was ever anything said when i was growing up i don't think it ever occurred to me when i was reading it i don't remember you know wizard magazine never was like hey just ripped off this like buy it right. kids or whatever it's just one of these things where you know i think people kind of in hindsight are, are looking at it and going hey mark grunwald was very unappreciated because you know not only did he write a watchman-esque story in the squadron supreme but he also was kind of at you know a, a grandfather of kind of this epic arc where a hero gets replaced and if you look at it like captain america seems to be you know at least this story seems to be the first in a long line of things where you know superman dies and then four supermen come back and replace him you know batman gets right. his back broken and then uh, uh Azrael comes back and replaces him you know Hal Jordan goes crazy and, and Kyle Rayner replaces him, you know? And yeah. so, you know, w- with that as the simple idea, you, you see like, Oh, look at all these, these stories where, you know, you know, I mean, I guess you could also point to things like, you know, which is even before this, but you could point to something like Walt Simonson having beta Ray bill replace, you know, Thor Odinson, right? Like, so, right. Yeah. so, you know, you can go back even further than that. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, in entertainment in general, whether it's comic books, movies, music, whatever, there's there's truth to the fact that there's not really that many original ideas left, if any. So what it boils down to is taking the idea and putting some sort of unique spin on it so it doesn't become derivative. And, you know, that's why that's what that's why, you know, it's it 
it's okay that you have both the cap no more and the night and the night quest and all that type of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty much all about what makes a hero a hero type of a deal. But at least the storytelling is different so much, you know, it differs enough that it's not going to be, it's not going to, it doesn't come off as derivative. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I think they're influenced more than I think my personal opinion is they're influenced more than their ripoffs or derivative or anything like that. Yeah. Now, if you want, if you want to, you know, talk about stories that should not have taken place around that same time where everyone's like changing up and being greedy in that 1993, 1994 time frame. What was that ridiculous Captain America story arc where he ends up being in battle armor because his body's and, falling and see apart? That's, it, it's called Fighting Chance. And, and, and the interesting thing about that is that's written by Mark Grunewald. Do you by know what Mark, I mean? Like by it, Mark Grunewald, like exactly. That, that, that's, that's the, that's the, the uh, I guess... He went out with a whimper rather than a bang or whatever you want to say. But was but, it was that I mean, his last story arc? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, pretty, pretty, that... pretty much like that. The, the way that story <laughs> ends, then it, that transitions into the the Mark Wade and Ron Garney run, which is pretty well renowned and everything like that. But right. that's that's the end of his you know eleven twelve year run and everything. And and a lot of some of the characters from this are still in that fighting chance run. And and it's a good thing that you brought that up because. I, I wanted to to cover this because th this may be of interest to people. So Captain America in this issue is, is I, I, I phrase it as he's speaking with his friends and family and deciding what to do. And some people he can get a hold of and some people he can't, right? So he can't get a hold of Bernie and he, he can't get a hold of, you know, certain folks like Nick Fury or whoever. But he talks to Monica Rambeau, who was like, I think, the chairman of the Avengers at the time. And she mentions to go check it out with like one of the Avengers lawyers. He gets to talk to Falcon for a little bit and he gets to talk to D-Man, which kind of sets up D-Man's involvement, you know, later in the story arc and everything. And he can't get a hold of Nomad, uh, Nomad because of course he's a Nomad, right? He's he's tra right. traveling across the, the States and, and can't get a hold of him. And then finally, the, the last person that Cap talks to for a little bit, and I guess it's, I don't know if it's like supposed to be this kind of, you know, let's cast uh, Michaela Culkin in the Captain America movie or whatever, but they've got this computer whiz kid who appeared, you know, a few issues earlier named Ram, and I'm kind of like, oh, get it? Like, the whiz kid's name is Ram, and it's, yeah. of course, it's like, it is short. It's like Chip for... from the Transformers. Right, right, right. It, it, of course, his name is short for Hiram Ridley. And and basically, the, the backstory of this kid, Ram, is he, he hacked the Captain America hotline, but did it for altruistic good reasons to help his hero, Captain America, get better search results or whatever, right? So he's this, he, you know, basically, he's a little Mark Zuckerberg. He's, you know, hacking. he's Google before Google. Right, right. He, he's basically giving him this, this kind of tool of the trade or whatever and essentially he ran the captain america hotline now i thought about this and i was like now whatever happened to this poor kid so speaking of fighting chance the the the, the last time we ever see hiram poor hiram oh, uh, no. captain america shows up in his armor and 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 he's like hey man i haven't checked the hotline in a while how's it hanging dude and he says uh, he, he's mad because his mom got shot in the head on the way home from church. And of course, it's supposed to be one of these like 
gut-punching moments where Cap didn't know about it, and like he's like, I'm sorry, sometimes heroes can't always be there, and all this other stuff. And so I guess his mom is comatose, and and you know, poor Hiram is left with this comatose mother, and, and I assume that is the end of the Captain America hotline. Like, no one's running it after that, and, and that's the <laughs> end of it, right? And and so, like, I was like, oh, that's kind of sad, but that's that's essentially... You know, it's like sometimes you you know you look into what happened to these poor poor people, and 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 usually if they're not the lead character, and you know, I mean, some people say you know women get refrigerated, but I mean it happens to to kid and male characters too, right? Like in that sense, I guess you know poor Hiram, you know, who was also he experienced a great tragedy, and the tragedy was not so much his own as to mainly be a a blow to the lead you know, heroic character in a story or whatever. So yeah, it's basically, yeah, (laughs) basically, Hey, Harem, how's it going, buddy? Long time. No, see it's Captain American battle armor here. How are you doing? Oh yeah. No, my mom's in a coma because she was shot in the head. Cause you weren't picking up the phone. Q price is right. Tuba. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think that, is one of those things. The Captain America hotline is is a writer's tool. It it works when they need them to get someplace in a hurry, but when when they want to tell a story, then it seems like Captain America easily ignores the hotline and or is so overwhelmed. You know, it's like, dude, email's awesome. It means people can send me messages at any time. And it's like, well, when 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 you need to get to Timbuktu to fight, you know. I don't know, El Diablo or something like that, whatever. It's like, great, I read my email, I checked the CAF hotline, and I'm totally on my way to South America now. Isn't the CAF hotline great? But when the story calls for, like, CAF to be surprised that, like, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Hawkeye stole his socks, it's like, oh, I didn't have a chance to check that CAF hotline because Jarvis had sent me an email about Hawkeye stealing my socks, but since I never read it, I had no idea the socks were missing, you know, so it's like, it, it, it kind of, it, it works at the, at the behest of the writer. It's successful when the writer needs it to be successful, and it's, it's an absolute failure when, when the writer needs the, the characters to be shocked and surprised and stuff. You know, you know what I would love to have seen, and I don't know, I I know they never did this, but you know, you hearken back to those those hotline commercials from the nineteen eighties, because that you know kind of where it stems from. I would have loved to have seen what the Captain America hotline commercial would have looked like. Mm. Like you if know, they if they if they did some kind of promotional comic book thing where they were trying to sell the comics, but they just no, got like, like a an actor like in the, to play like. Like, like in the world, in the in the in the world of Captain, in the world of Marvel Comics, in the world of Avengers, you know, while the 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 registration, the Superhuman Registration Act is going on at the time and all that, and and you get somebody in that Marvel world turns on the TV and, hey gang, are you in need of help? Come on out, give us mm-hmm. a call here. Captain America will be on the way to help you. Hello, friends and Americans. I'm Captain America. Give me a call today. One nine hundred Cap thirty six hundred. You know, water operators are standing by, and I would just, I would just love to have seen what, what that, what, what kind of fucked up cocaine fueled commercial that would have been. <laughs> operators are standing by. That's awesome. Buck ninety nine for the first minute, ninety nine cents thereafter. <laughs> that that's how that's how Cap paid back a million dollars. <laughs> he, he he charged five ninety nine for every minute or whatever. Of course. So so do you press do you one have if you've got on a. T- 
But I was just say, press one if you've got a tip. Press two for all the great Captain America news and happenings going on right now. It's like, it's like, now listen to Cap read you a story. And for the ladies, <laughs> press three for Cap's sultry for, nights of ecstasy. For, for the ladies, <laughs> Cap after dark. There's a new man in town. And he's not fooling around. There's a new man in town. And he's not fooling around. People missing up. There is something. So Cap 333, cover date September 1987, on-sale date June 2nd, 1987. The title is The Replacement. Continuing the writing is Mark Runewald. The penciler will continue to be Tom W. Morgan for the next couple issues, and the same kind of creative team. The synopsis for The Replacement. Although outraged that Steve Rogers gave up the role of Captain America, the commission is already searching for his potential replacement. After considering several potential candidates, Val Cooper suggests the Super Patriot. After the Super Patriot reveals he is really John Walker, Cooper invites the Super Patriot to become the new Captain America. Walker calls the old Cap's phone hotline and asks him to meet at the Lincoln Memorial, thinking he'll be able to ask him why he resigned his position. Walker's team of sidekicks, the bold urban commandos, show up instead and roughhouse with him for a while. Walker has intentions of having his manager, Ethan Thurm, and his sidekicks join him as the new Captain America. The next day, Walker is told by the commission that the job is his as he supplies them with a list of his requests. As they review Walker's requests, Val Cooper has Walker suit up as Captain America for the first time. Thrown right into the fire, Walker trains with the former villains turned government operatives Freedom Force. Walker puts up a good fight against Blob, Pyro, and Avalanche, but he is quickly outclassed. Luckily, Cooper steps in before the blob can crush his throat. Exhausted, Walker rests for the next three days. Upon his return to the Pentagon, he is informed that he'll need to drop Thurm as his manager, and only one of his sidekicks passed the FBI's background check. Fighting through a moment of hesitation, when the commission asks if he has any problems with this, he says, No, sir. And this is one of those ones where, yeah, it's an important story within the arc, but it also kind of points out some of Grenwald's eh, shortcomings, quasi almost hackneyed writing style in some ways. This is one. Can I can I go ahead and start off with 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 the 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 the, the, the down on this issue before we get yeah, into yeah. the good stuff? Go, go ahead. Yeah, so as I'm sitting here looking, and I, I'm not going to sit here and give page numbers or anything like that, but, you know, right at the beginning of the, the the issue, they're talking about possible replacements and all this type of stuff. And so the first two candidates they give out is is Nomad and the Falcon. And they throw Nick Fury in as a possible replacement. 
motherfucker, like he's gonna step down as head of shield to be Captain Fucking America. <laughs> no. And I think also too, you know, it's like uh uh, you know, later on in the issue, you know, he's he's doing press because of the whole Washington Monument thing that went on the issue before and all that. And he goes in and has a meeting with some of the commission guys. And they're and, and there's he's talking about his past history, you know, like I always wanted to be a soldier. My brother Mike went to Vietnam and then I tried to go to Vietnam and it didn't work out so well. And it's just him. This panel is really the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Here you've got a giant uh, a, a totally disproportionately drawn John Walker, where he's got like his arms are way too fucking long, his head is like so small, and he's peeling potatoes, and it's like this giant mountain of potatoes where the stool that he's sitting on <laughs> is barely poking out of this giant mountain of fucking potatoes. So I don't I don't know if that was a Grenwall thing or Tom Morgan, the artist who pulled that off. I have no idea. You know, but getting into the good stuff, you know, it was it's it, I like the interaction he had or, you know, kind of that whole uh, the Weasley manager, the Ethan Thurm manager mm-hmm. who's sitting there trying to be like, hey, tell he's, him, tell him we want this. Tell yeah, him we want this. He, he's a sleaze because he's he's like the most important non-negotiable demand is his 100K salary. And then he's like, oh, and and have yourself insured for a million dollars and and make me the beneficiary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like, he, you know, it's like this quasi, you know, like professional wrestling manager, you know, Bobby Heenan, Jim Cornette yeah. style character yeah, yeah. with the with the complete unabashed selfishness of a of a Daffy Duck. It's yeah. just amazing. I just. I just I love I love just that the sleazebag character of him. And then as they, you know, as they introduce the commission, this is where Grenwald's knowledge of the Marvel universe comes into play. And something that as again, one of those kind of, you know, one of those comic book nerds that I am, I really appreciated was the fact they bring back characters like Valerie Cooper, who I think the yeah. last time we saw her was in the X-Men. Um, yeah. Henry Peter Guyrich is a member of the commission where the last time I, I, I think we've probably seen him in the X-Men as well. But really, it always stands out um, in the with the Avengers in the 70s where they were cracking down on 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 the, the membership size and all that type of stuff. And he was like the the U.N. liaison, like you're going to follow our will and all that type of right. shit. And so it's nice to see they were bringing back. You know, not not going out and creating some new bullshit characters, but playing in the sandbox with the toys that you've already got and bringing in characters like Val Cooper, like Henry Peter Guyrich. Yeah, um, they, they had um, the General Lewis Hayworth is the, the general from Daredevil Born Again. So he's he's the same guy who essentially created Nuke. And then right. he also created G.I. Max, which he fought in some other issue. But he he's been creating these kind of, you know, crazed super soldiers, you know, as, as some kind of, you know, pre replacement for Captain America, possibly, you know, cause, cause they, they have their own military interests and everything. You, you know, it's weird. Like, okay, so they've got the CIA liaison and that's the, the African American person, uh, his name's George Mathers. And he, it, it, I guess, I guess maybe that's a shield. Cause he, he's the one who's like the Falcon could be a replacement, but I don't think America's ready for for a black Captain America yet. We're, and, and we're not like, ready I, I to have one of <laughs> we're not ready to have one of those Captain Americas just well, I yet. Mean, it's like, <laughs> but I guess I guess that's the thing. It's like you can't have you can't have like one of the white members of the commission say that. So you've got you've got the black head of the CIA say that just as a, a factual thing, not a 
you know, it's not supposed to be a racist thing. It's just supposed to be, hey, I don't think that, you know, people right. are ready for this. Yet. And, and then, and, and again, yeah, it's 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 a clear it's a clear case. And it, I mean, it's not any, I mean, obviously, the, the uber sensitive snowflakes are the ones that are going to get kind of like up in arms about something like that. You should have that edited out or rephrased or whatever. But the fact is, it's a product of its time. Yeah. You know. You know, you could get away with writing a hell of a lot worse in 1987 than just that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The I think the, the this is this is where it gets confusing because man, it, the the way they they don't the, this is where Grunewald definitely differs from Chris Claremont because Chris Claremont would probably have a splash page drawn by Mark Silvestri where the commission all were using their superpowers and it would like have their name, their middle name, their full name, their their wife and kids, and then what fucking superpower they had where it'd be like, well, Val Cooper looks really hot, you know, has blonde hair, does this, does that, whatever. You know, General Lewis Hayworth uh, makes his soldiers pop pills and, you know, can uh, run a 50-meter dash in under, you know, under three minutes or, what, you know, whatever he does, right? Like, you know, that kind of thing but then you know there, there are other characters that's like they call the see this is this is where i'm gonna voice my my conspiracy thing or at least the, the there's a common sort of thought in this that when this story started the the notion was to just have it be the the villain was big bureaucracy like, right. like and 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 i i think i'm just gonna spoil this ahead of time and i think it's you know uh, it, it's a very old story so i think people know the outcome of it but you know ultimately it's revealed that the red skull is behind all these machinations ultimately and and he's in control of the head commissioner who eventually i'll point out when they actually say his name but his name is douglas rockwell and at this point Val Cooper calls the head commissioner Mr. Yates. And so I'm like, well, who was that supposed to be? And like the only thing I could think of is there's there's a character that was kind of like a Flash Thompson in the army for Captain America named Sam Yates and was like didn't think like Captain America should be a soldier like cuz he was like you know, more of a mascot or something like that. And I was like, right. is that supposed to be like an older version of that character that's like jealous or something? I mean, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't quite place it. There's, uh, I couldn't quite find enough info. There's like another character from Marvel called Professor Yates, but I, I think ultimately, like what I settled in on is, I, I think this was supposed to be Douglas Rockwell, but they just called him Mr. Yates because they didn't have the whole story worked out yet. And that's yeah. that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. So so like some of it's a little looser than others, but like you said, you know, Guy Rich, Hayworth, Cooper, uh, Adrian Samish, like all all those guys have existing you know appearances and backstories. So so it's not just that they they pulled people out of thin air to be on this commission. They they are made up of characters that that have appeared in the Marvel universe before. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things too, where, I mean, if we're, you know, like I said, it's, you know, spoiler alert for a story that came out over 30 years ago. The other thing too, and, and it, it certainly stands to reason that it, it, I don't know, it may have been an editorial edict. It may have been, you know, mid swing. Holy shit. I got a, I got a much better idea. Cause I mean, you would figure they were always going to build up to that 350th, issue being the yeah, switch yeah. back but you know the whole reveal of the red skull i mean they kind of gave that one away the first time they showed the image of him because here you've got a mysterious figure draped in red 
right right, right. you know with red I, light I, so think, you... I think they I, I mean I'll, I'll get into it when we get to that issue but I think they kind of figured that out somewhere in the 340s like they knew like where they were going you know but I think yeah I think this is proof that they didn't quite know you know like that that yeah not 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 that you know it's 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 one of those things like yeah they didn't have everything completely mapped out they they probably had a loose framework of where they were going like you're saying but they didn't know all the details i, I think it's interesting you, you talked about the different candidates they mentioned in the story uh, what i think is interesting is we've got another mike set cover the blurb kind of says who will be the next captain america with a question mark and with the empty captain america costume you see all these different faces in the background there's men there's women there's people of all shapes and sizes and stuff like that. And Stan I, Lee. And Stan Lee. And Stan Lee <laughs> could have been a possible replacement. Now, what's interesting is, since you mentioned Stan Lee, I'll mention the, 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 the women that are in the picture as potential Captain America replacements are uh, Laura Hitchcock, who is an assistant editor for Star Comics, and Don Seeger, who was a designer at the Marvel bullpen. So that's also kind of like Stan Lee, little nods to, to folks. I, I'm guessing maybe, I mean, I don't know if this is why it was, but uh, Tom Morgan worked a lot on Star Comics, and I don't know how much Mike Zek worked on Star Comics, but I wonder if, if that had something to do with including Laura Hitchcock as far as like just a subtle nod or something like that, because Tom Morgan worked on like Masters of the Universe for Star Comics, and then he did, you know, Web of Spider-Man, he did Punisher 2099, he did West Coast Avengers and Iron Man and Extreme Justice. And, you know, since you mentioned the strangely shaped Johnny Walker peeling the potato peels, I mean, I, I think I think there's there's a competency in Tom Morgan's pencils. But I wouldn't ever say like I like basically he he was the replacement penciler on some of these things like Extreme Justice and Iron Man and or a fill in artist, you know, like that kind of thing. And all I'll say is I, I can't say that I, I, I don't have a big problem with the art style. I mean, it's better than some and not as good as others. But I, all I would say is I, I probably am not excited by seeing you know like if, if he comes into a book it's not something that that kind of elates me or excites me or whatever and i i can't say you know i i think initially when when 2099 was coming out i think the titles that i immediately rejected were punisher 2099 and ravage 2099 you know i think i tended to focus on spider-man 2099 and doom 2099 and i think you know, Pat Broderick doing the art on Doom and Rick Leonardi doing the art on Spider-Man 2099. I think those excited me more than, say, Tom Morgan doing the art on Punisher 2099. But right. I, I guess just just getting back to the the choices. So so it, they have a little key in the letters page to tell you yes. who those people yeah. are and everything. Yeah. And and I found like some of the choices were pretty interesting. I mean, you know, obviously they settle on John Walker in the story and they mentioned Sam Wilson and Jack Monroe and Nick Fury by name, but in the in the key, I think it's interesting like they've got the Hank McCoy beast, which I think is very interesting because you've got the incredible Hulk in sunglasses. You've got the thing with a beard. I think that was supposed to be Doctor Octopus. I think the, the no, that's that's the old that's the old Al Milgram Incredible Hulk. I want I don't want to say it was like issue two forty eight, but no, that's the Hulk. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just they got the Hulk with sunglasses, and then on the opposite side, like you've got him at the the sea of Captain, 
and at the end of cat at the end of captain you've got um uh, uh you've got ben grimm with a beard so i think that was just mike zek having himself a little bit of fun mm-hmm. okay so something else that like w- one of those is supposed to be tony stark which is interesting i think that's and then, yeah that's the one right next to next to nick fury there i'm looking at the cover as we're talking so yeah yeah and and then and then the, the other thing is like if you look off to the I think it's like on the right side and his face is kind of half obscured. It, one of them is supposed to be Frank Castle, which which I do find interesting because when they did the whole arc where they you know they, okay, they had yeah. Captain America get shot and everything and after Civil War like there was a period where Captain or where Frank Castle was kind of dressed in this kind of strangely garbed Captain America outfit, you know, type thing. So so I find it interesting that even back then, like, they, they kind of throw his face in, like, not as a likely candidate, but just something that that that's possible and then and then the other the other person that i keyed in on the most that i thought was the most interesting is and 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 you probably wouldn't have known i don't think without the key but underneath nick fury and tony stark is uh-huh. that's wyatt wingfoot so and Wyatt wingfoot was the, okay. the native american character that was friends with johnny storm and the fantastic four and like right. you know i don't know I, I i've got i've got native american background so Wyatt wingfoot always stood out to me even though he he might not have stood out to like a bunch of other folks but like like that i think is interesting in terms of you know like they had neil gaiman do like the 1602 series where his version of Captain America was native, you know, type thing. So, so like, I, I find that kind of interesting as like a potential choice and it, it's probably something that they, you know, wouldn't have gone with at the time. Just like they, like, it's like, I guess the, the idea being if, if they wouldn't have gone with Sam Wilson as Captain America, they certainly wouldn't have gone with Hank McCoy because he was a mutant or, or, uh, uh, Wyatt Wingfoot because he was Native American, you know. So like, I, you know, I, I, I and I, I just find it interesting that th- those are part of the potential candidates, but they don't actually, you know, the the type of group that the commission is, they they wouldn't have not gone with any of those choices, but they're sort of thrown out as as likely, you know, I guess you know strong candidates that that could take up the mantle. Right. Right. Yeah, and I mean, because that's I mean, it's funny you're saying that because you know here again I, they in the in the digital the digital download that I got they did include the letters pages so that key is missing from this, so yeah. you know a lot of people may end up not knowing who a lot of these guys are like I'm sitting here you know and here you got Frank Castle nestled in between the <laughs> the thing with a beard and and Nomad, and right. I would have even thought about it because here again you know he's not wearing a mask. But but you can tell because of the the sleepy bags under his eyes and the and the, and the scowl. Yeah, yeah. I never would have. Oh, go ahead. I never would have called out White Wingfoot unless you would have yeah. said something. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you kept your notes. Who's who's the fat black guy behind Wyatt Wingfoot? See, you, you, know, you, know what's, you know what? You know what's funny about that is like anybody that they can't identify, they they basically list as still not Irving Forbush. So it's like there's a bunch of stars on the key that are just like that. Like, I think that that guy that's behind Wyatt Wingfoot and Tony Stark and you see the guy next to the Super Patriot, like like his face is totally cut off. Like he also is still not Irving for Bush. So it's just like they've got a bunch of like folks that, that are like listed on there, you know, like as as not Irving for Bush. And I'm I'm just kinda like, 
oh, okay. So basically anybody that they couldn't figure out in the key, they listed as not Irving Forbush. So again, I mean, I guess I guess it's anybody's choice as to as to who that that could be. You know what I mean? Like like for all you know, it could be like Bill Foster or something, but it, you know, probably isn't. But but I I, I just I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, and neither is the the key you know right so i i do have down that you mentioned the flashback that sort of sets up I, i'm gonna call them john walker's Chekhov's family are introduced here you know they've got the mother the father and then what i took note of this time just looking at it critically was they introduce his sister and i'm kind of like they never do anything with his sister in this story there are some mentions later like there are some some backup strips where they they you know transfer the role of U.S. agent to to John Walker and then I think at that point he's going by the name like John Daniels or Jack Daniels or something. Yeah, it was Jack something. Daniels. Jack yeah. Daniels, which which is ridiculous, right? But yeah, so his name well, is Jack Daniels. It's, it's it's all about whiskey. The Johnny Walker Red, the Johnny right, Walker right, Black, right, right. So, Jack Daniels. So yeah, so so they they mention her in three seventy eight and three eighty, but. I still have to say, like, I find it interesting that they never, like, you'd think, like, something like that could have been something where it's, like, if he really goes over the bend, then they bring his sister back to, like, you know, stop him from walking off the ledge or something, you know what I mean? Like, like I could have seen something dramatic like that, where it's, like, <laughs> he, he snaps out of, like, a... A uh, 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 malaise or 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 some vicious vendetta because they they stick his sister in front of him, and I'm also kind of surprised they didn't try to kill his sister as well. I was gonna say, and then in a bl- and then in a blind rage, he snaps her neck just because he's just because he's just can't he's all he's seeing is red, and he and she's just yeah. another victim. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised they didn't either have someone else kill his sister or or that that she wasn't used as some kind of tool to manipulate him one way. And then I guess the the only other thing that I have is I I thought it was a nice touch. Like it it shows some of that three dimensionality that I'm bringing up with with John Walker. Like I I like the, the moment where he asks Val Cooper to turn around when he changes clothes and puts on the cap outfit for the first time. Like it's one of those things, like it's, it's this sort of, you know, modesty about it or whatever, you know, it kind of shows his upbringing and that, that kind of thing, like that it's like, Oh, you know, just, just turn, turn the other way. And I will, I will disrobe and I, I won't, you know, do that in front of you, but, but if yeah, you, it, it just ain't decent, ma'am. Yeah, we all need to yeah, turn around now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it, there's nothing, you know, it, it's interesting. Cause I think, I think, you know, in, in some, some, uh, forms of entertainment, you know, Val Cooper's a good looking lady, you know what I mean? In some forms of entertainment, they, they'd make her like the, uh, What's her name from Top Gun? You know the the Kelly McGillis oh, the Kelly, or whatever. The Kelly McGinnis character, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and and have them hook up or something like that. But they never, you know, it's it's just it's 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 a business. You know, it's professional. You know, like she's she's one of his superiors. There's no fraternizing. Like like I, you know, I don't know. I just I I, I find that kind of uh, you know I, I just something that I wanted to point out that I find sort of either you know charming and or you know just you know, kind of like, hey, see, like, look, there's a there's a good example of, of workplace interaction that you don't have to call in HR about. Like, look, look at that. <laughs> That's nice, you know?
Okay, so 334 has the cover date of October 1987, released on sale date June 30th, 1987. The title is Basic Training, and of course the same creative team at this point. I'll, I'll note when the creative team starts changing up and stuff. As Walker continues his training to emulate the original Captain America, his friend Lamar Hoskins joins him as the new Bucky. The commission even gets the Taskmaster to train Walker in the use of Captain America's signature shield. Val Cooper mentions that Walker's former manager, Ethan Thurm, is pestering her with constant phone calls. In the next training session, Walker and Hoskins spar with four men wearing guardsmen's suit of armor. When Thurm threatens to go public with the government's ruse to replace the original Captain America with John, he and Lamar get the idea to suit up as guardsmen. They try to scare Ethan, but only end up hurting their old pals Hector and Jerry and inflicting massive property damage on a local tavern. Ultimately, when confronted on his recent actions by Val Cooper, Walker confesses to taking the armor and wrecking the tavern. And that is pretty much the issue. The cover blurb, of course, it's still a really great my exact cover, and it says, Introducing the new Captain America and Bucky. And, you know, it's... <sighs> It's always kind of puzzled me as to why Mike Zek wasn't available for the interiors. Because I don't think he was doing any any interior work anywhere else at the time. It may have been a thing like, I, I know McFarland's always gone on record as you, you make more money doing covers and you spend less time doing the work. So I don't know if he was of that philosophy at this point. I'm trying to look because maybe there is some kind of Let's see, this was 1987, June. So let's see, what was he doing in 1987 besides covers? Because, see, he was doing tons of G.I. Joe covers at that point. You know, right. even before he was doing the Captain America covers. So it seemed like he started making his name just you know, doing all the covers and everything. And then, and then yeah, I'm just looking down a list of stuff. It was like he was doing Chuck Norris covers. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so oh my it's like... God. It seemed like he was just, you know, making making money doing covers instead. And and it right. seemed, I bet you those I bet you those GI Joe covers paid good money. Like that oh, book sure. sold really well, you know. And uh, so yeah, I, I, it was I, it was a those, top ten title at yeah, the time. So yeah, I don't I don't I don't see too much other than like. And it's funny, I'm not really checking, but I can pretty much tell like he. he you know what he eventually did? You know what he was probably working on or leading up to? He was probably do working on Craven's Last Hunt. Because oh, that, yeah. that, that came out a few months after this. So that that's probably what he was working on during this. Yeah. So that that's probably why he wasn't. At, I mean, you could probably make the argument he was free to do some of these issues. But but I bet you that was the main <clears throat> The main thing that you and I bet you it took longer to do that because he did all the chapters. You know what I mean? So right. and that I think came out like quicker. You know because it was like you, you'd have like three issues of you know Web of Spider Man, Spectacular Spider Man, and Amazing Spider Man all come out the same month, and then the next month it was the follow up chapters. So probably right. I, I'm sure he was probably getting a, a head start on that. There was yeah. So that's probably that's probably yeah. There 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 was lead time involved in that definitely. Yeah. You know, and it's funny you brought you brought up Tom Morgan and at kind of being the serviceable replacement. It's it's kind of funny because I do find like comparatively speaking, Tom Morgan's art was way better than the previous art team of Paul Neary and Vince Coletta. 
I'm like now I'm I'm part of the bandwagon. I'm like that's probably Vince Coletta's fault. Yeah, that's kind of been a thing lately. A lot of people have been yeah. shitting on Vince Coletta yeah. lately online. There's a there's a YouTube show I watch called Comic Tropes, and I mean they went through and just talked about. You know, he went through and, and did the whole nine yards about how I didn't realize how much of a hack Vince Coletta was. You know, he's one of those guys that there's kind of the in the industry, there's always that joke about the penciler draws the most beautiful rendition of a colonial house with trees and, you know, the, the grass and flowers, the most beautiful thing in the world. And to save time, the inker just draws a beach ball on top of it. Yeah. Just to cover the whole thing. And that's kind of what Vince Coletta was. They showed a lot of examples as far as like what he did to basically, I mean, for most part, let's just call it what it is basically shit on Jack Kirby's art. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, well, that's that, that's like my buddy Mike is fond of bringing up that Steve Ditko was always like, don't let that fucker touch my pencils, you know, like, right. Thing, you know, so yeah. Yeah. And, but it was, it was definitely one of those things where the art style prior to, God, I want to say Morgan started in on this probably somewhere around like 329, 330, somewhere around there. So he started just before the the Cap No More run. But prior to that, I mean, you had Mike Zek, and then it went into Paul Neary and Vince Coletta. And I just, I was not a fan of their work. And I'm not, you know, again, not to shit on Paul Neary. I'm sure there are some fans of his out there, but I was never a fan of his pencils. And to throw on Vince Coletta on top of that, ugh, you know, but it was also during a time where you also had some decent stories going on, too. I just wanted to make comment that Tom Morgan might not be your favorite, but he's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. No, it can, I, it I, can be worse. I, I agree with that. I, I think, you know, it's it, again, I'm just going to point out that uh, as far as dialogue goes, even though I think a lot of think like Marvel wikis and things will say that that Douglas Rockwell and the majority of the commission's first appearance was in Captain America 331. Cause there's that first thing where, like you said, they were trying to set up the FBI agents being sent to hunt down Captain America and all that stuff. Right, and you see right. like the shadowy board members and all that, they're never mentioned by name. And so just tracking the evolution of, of the head commissioner, like we, we mentioned how, he was called Mr. Yates earlier by Val Cooper, but now she calls him Mr. Commissioner. So I'm just I'm just tracking the evolution of that as it, <laughs> as it goes on. You know, there there's there's some interesting moments about, you know, the the training. Like the first they try to have Walker look at old videos of, of Steve Rogers, you know, doing his moves and throwing the shield. And then, you know, eventually they 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 have a kind of a cool bit bit where they they bring on the taskmaster to actually train walker because he can mimic everything that that captain america does so yeah. so you know as opposed to having the real deal you know who who is the best replacement for for the real deal training him in the use of the shield well, it, it would have to be the the taskmaster and that's one thing you know because that really is to me the standout thing about this issue this is this is where we see him getting into his training and they they bring in Lamar's Bucky, which here, you know, it's kind of funny. <laughs> Spoiler alert, down the road, they got some letters because uh, yes. Mark, Mark Grenwald, and, and to, to the same extent, my, you know, I can, I can attest to this because he, they, they got a lot of letters that came in talking about how Bucky or the term Buck is a racial slur in, in certain parts of the country. And, you know, he he was on record saying, I'm from I'm from like Nebraska or Ohio. I don't remember which one it was or Iowa. And he's like, I never knew that that was a racial slur. I had no idea. Same thing. 
I'm up here residing in Montana. I had no, I would never would have even thought that, that was a racial slur. I had no idea. And of course, as we, you know, continue further on, you know, we can rectify, we'll rectify this situation or Grenwald rectifies the situation. But it's, it, 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 it's just, it's kind of funny in the fact that, you know, this, the, the introducing the new Captain America and Bucky and all that type of stuff. And the thing that just stands out the most to me and something that I, as we talk about situations that they didn't play upon or do a callback to was the fact that the feds used Taskmaster, who is an established Marvel villain. His great superpower is that he has photographic reflexes. Okay, sure. Why not? And basically, you know, he can he can mimic anybody's moves just by seeing them once. So he has, and I have no idea how in the hell you're going to get the archer ability of Hawkeye by watching him shoot because it's still hand-eye coordination. You have to have the eyesight for it. So I don't know how they explain that or how that works. But so he knows all of the various heroes fighting moves, you know, so and, and he had a, a cool arsenal because he had a replica shield. He had the bow and arrow. He had Billy Club's like Daredevil's set of stuff. And they brought it up where Walker was questioning the the training, saying, what if he purposefully tries to mistrain me? And they just kind of went on the, along this thing of, you know, he's going to get time knocked off his sentence if he helps you out. But why didn't they, play, you know, press that issue a little bit more? Like, say, at some point, you know, instead of, oh, instead of, uh, you know, further in here, we go to like 339, which is a complete throwaway issue, other than the fact, and, and okay, spoilers, we're getting ahead of the game here. The only key moment out of 339 is the fact it's the first time that John Walker, as Captain America, kills a villain. Instead of having that as issue 339, they should have had Taskmaster break out of federal prison. Captain America, John Walker, has to track him down, and he does. And at that point, he realizes he's slightly overmatched because Taskmaster taught him everything John Walker knows, but not everything Taskmaster knows. Mm -hmm. I think, and so, the, the, I guess my, my no prize might be, I know later... But, you know, again, spoilers jumping ahead to when the, we, we kind of know because of the red the red monitor screen or whatever that we know this guy with the, the cigarette holder is is the Red Skull. He right. mentions to Douglas Rockwell, he's like, and, and see that Taskmaster gets released because without him, you know, finding good help is so hard these days. And, and, and my thought is in, in the Red Skull's twisted mind, he wanted John Walker to be the best captain america he could be so that when he tore it all down you know you know what i mean like like he, he i i imagine in the retroactive nature of the story you know the the skull knew he was going to pit captain america against captain america the whole time so if sure. taskmaster was you know working for the red skull on the sly then the red skull would basically go yes you know like give give him all the tools he needs to to best Captain America, so so that that would be your explanation of why maybe he wouldn't, you know, quote unquote, mistrain him or whatever. Ah, uh, maybe, but you know, I I just like I said, I just think for for a better a better story presentation, it's something that I I think 
ah, they, they they should have pursued it just a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, no, but... I agree because because the, the Taskmaster is is pretty popular. He's a pretty entertaining villain. Like it, it is interesting that they just brought him on as a trainer, but but that he never had to confront the Taskmaster at any point. You know, and 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 you you'd think if if something like that is is laid down, you know, maybe that would have gotten a follow-up, but you're right. It, it absolutely is not followed up upon. I mean, as far oh, as, yeah. as far as Walker confronting Taskmaster, you know, one-on-one in a, a real scenario, as opposed to a training scenario like that, right. that never goes down. I think, you know, like, like you, you mentioned Lamar before and everything. I mean, to, to me, I always viewed it as like a good thing that like, I don't know, it's weird. Like, I guess it's a touchy thing, right? Because you, you you have the the you know it, it, they've got him named Bucky and then you've got the thing that the letter writers wrote in about saying that that Buck was a racist term but then you've got the the notion that you've got someone here where you you see Lamar is undereducated and and basically part of his you know not only is John Walker going through physical training with Lamar but you find out that Lamar is also getting a basic education finally. You know, and, and yeah. to me, I I think of that as a good thing. But then I, I suppose there's people who, in hindsight, view it as that like that that there's some kind of insinuation that that's a uh, an automatic or a given that that because of his background, because of his skin color, like he's undereducated as default. And I, I don't necessarily think that that was what was intended here. I think it was just that that was what how, how that character's background was, and he was trying to better himself. So. Like I viewed that as a positive thing, but I don't know if you know. I'm I'm sure there's other people who might see it differently than I do. Well, and the people that are going to see it differently are the ones that want to see it differently. Yeah. Here again, I mean, on my end, my interpretation of it has again nothing to do with with skin color, background, other than the fact that he was just a big dumb jock. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, it, like, like you know, his other the the other friends, you know, Hector and Jerome, Jerome, Jerome and Hector. Right? You know, like like yeah, I, I Jerome assume, and Hector. I assume they are as uneducated as as Lamar is, and 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 then as we'll see as the story continues, they they continue to be undereducated, whereas Lamar is not. Right, like he goes on. Lamar goes on to bigger and better things as a result of that education, whereas the other two do not, you know, so, right. so that's, that's also true of them. I, I think, I think also that, it, you know, I know, I know you say like that this is not, you know, for you, this doesn't have the biggest moments in the story or whatever, but I think, I think a key bit is beyond the, the training with the taskmaster is the, the idea that John Walker comes to this realization, like, you know, cause he, he, he's trying to be on the straight and narrow. And at first, it's more out of a sense of concern. Like, I don't want to screw up these new cool jobs that you and I have, Lamar. So let's not rough up Ethan to keep our secret. But then when, when he ultimately comes up with the plan to have them take the guardsman suits and then that, you know, sort of conceals who they are, but they can still sort of, you know, try to put the fear of God into them and, and get him to, to back off with the blackmail. Like, I think it's interesting that the way he rationalizes it is he says, well, what would the real cap do? Like, what would the original cap do? And and he, he thinks to himself, the original cap wouldn't go to Val Cooper to solve his problems. The original cap would solve his own problems as a matter of honor. And and I, I think, you know, it's 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 kind of twisted, but it's also kind of, you know, uh, he, he's coming from 
from a different place than the character had before. Whereas like before some of it was more out of self-interest, whereas he's trying to apply a higher standard to himself. This is the first instance of him trying to, to live up to the standard that the, the mantle of Captain America has, as opposed to just, you know, kind of, which is kind of, which is kind of funny because like for the past, you know, damn near 10 issues prior. He's uh, all he was doing is, you know, shitting on Captain America, yeah. being an old yeah. fuddy duddy and, right. and all that type of stuff. And, and, and it's, it's the minute he puts on the colors and he's got the shield, then all of a sudden it's what would, what would the fuddy duddy do now? Right. You know? Right. And, 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 and he's, he's walking in those shoes, <clears throat> you know, literally for the first time, you know, so so and 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 it he gets a new vantage point on it. You know, it's not, and that that's why I think he is a three dimensional character. You know, he's not he's not a one note simpleton or a one note villain or a one note replacement. You know, there there's there's a lot of thought that goes into how he you know reacts to the situations that he's put in, and once he's 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 putting on the costume like how how his thought patterns change you know he in now he's like oh maybe i shouldn't have been calling him an old fuddy duddy this whole time this is this is harder than it looks you know what i mean like that that's right. that's ultimately the realization that he's coming to right so so i i, I think all those are good bits and, and key moments for the character indeed and you know it's it's one of those it's it, it's representative right what I what I had spoken to earlier and the fact that you know throughout this eighteen issue story arc what started off as being a very two dimensional character you know just a, a big lug you know with the the you know the the broken nose thicker jaw I'm gonna be the bigger badder meaner I'm the new age Captain America Grenwald took the time to really add those layers to the character like yeah he's a good old Southern boy with you know, with the manners and the and the and really the respect and the honor that you know maybe being away from Ethan Thurm's influence, those morals that he grew up with in Custer's Grove, Georgia, start yeah. to shine start to shine through now. Yeah. yeah, you know, and so once again, you know, when we get it, you know, get a couple further issues in, and we start seeing the turning point where the pressure begins to start weighing on him and that pressure ends up being released in taking it out on his enemies and 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 even almost kind of to a minor extent it almost kind of starts in this issue or i'm sorry not this issue but the next issue when he when he fade when he squares off against the watchdogs for the first time So let's 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 go into that. Captain America, three thirty five, cover date November nineteen eighty seven, on sale date August fourth nineteen eighty seven. The title is Baptism of Fire. Again, the creative team is fairly similar. I'll just point out that the the cover is the first time Mike Zek is not doing the cover. It's actually a Tom Morgan cover, 
so it's it's slightly different. The Commission to coordinate superhuman activities is ready to send the new Captain America and Bucky out on their very first field mission to stop the arson and vandalism of a group known as the Watchdogs. John and Lamar go undercover in Walker's hometown, Custer's Grove, Georgia, to infiltrate and dismantle the group. To set up John's cover story, Lamar poses as a talent agent for a magazine who is auditioning young women to take part in a photo spread of Looker magazine. The two stage a fight, and their ploy works as John is quickly initiated into the ranks of the Watchdogs. Before he knows what's happening, John discovers his old high school sweetheart, Mary Lynn Norfolk, was at Lamar's phony auditions, that he'll have to bring in old friends who share his own ideology, and to boot, the watchdogs have drugged his partner so they can strangle him to death. Walker decides to preserve his cover and leaves Lamar to his own devices while he changes into the new Captain America and stops the watchdogs from burning down a local library. Luckily, when Walker finally returns to learn Lamar's fate, he discovers Hoskins was able to break free of his handcuffs and save himself. John rationalizes that the Commission purposely set up their first mission as a test that would be as morally and personally difficult for him as possible. And that is the long and short of 335, the introduction of the Watchdogs. The, the cover, of course, says <clears throat> featuring the new Cap in his very first adventure. And he's tossing aside all these Watchdogs, almost a precursor to, to some of the, the crazed battles we will see in upcoming issues. Yeah, you know, I think after last issue and this issue, I can certainly understand why all of those those letter writers were writing feverishly trying to stick up for poor Lamar Hoskins. You know, last issue, we go ahead and we throw the name Bucky at him. And then in this issue, we're going to go ahead and, and, and have him as his cover be a pornographer, you know, a pornographer looking at fine old white women. Let's go ahead and see what you're going to look like. And then and then what are we going to do? We're going to lynch him. I mean, my yeah, yeah. God, I yeah. I can see where people were up in arms and just writing feverishly. What the hell are you doing over there at Marvel? Good Lord. Well, and, and but I mean, I guess the, the point is supposed to be that the watchdogs are the bad guys, right? Like like they 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 are not supposed to be you know, upstanding citizens per se. I mean, it's it, it's interesting because the, the things that, again, I think it it makes Walker pretty three-dimensional because he he acknowledges that some of their ideology are things that he would stand behind, but then the way they go about it, it's like you gun down a pornographer's business, a pornographer, and then like blow up his business. Like that's, that's you know the extremist kind of thing right like right. that's that's right. the thing where you're like that's you know it's like one thing to say yeah i i don't think it's great to to uh you know uh kind of take advantage of of young women or something like that but then it's another thing to like you know gun somebody down and 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 burn their house to the ground or whatever you, you know you dirty filth peddler <laughs> right right and it, it, it's kind of funny listening to their their kind of play fight you know because he, he definitely has the you know it's like I, I i'm not gonna you know accept you like luring young girls to satan as they do like a, a kirby <laughs> smash on each other or whatever you know, <laughs> stuff like that and and speaking of stuff that they they didn't really follow up on like i really <laughs> expected that they were going to do something else with his old girlfriend like that they did either rekindle a romance or that 
that that somehow she'd she'd play a role later down the role or something like that. But well, it's just not not now that she's you know he comes to find out she's a dirty trollop and a whore. <laughs> But she had the little thought balloon. She's like, oh, I hope he doesn't think I'm a bad person. You know, like she she seemed like a nice girl. Like, it's too bad. It's too bad that they didn't they didn't do anything else with her. You know? And she's probably all herpes riddled too. that <laughs> filthy, filthy little trollop. Uh, no, that's that's that, that's later for when that's later for when nomads wondering about Diamondback. Like that's that's later in the episode. We'll, we'll get to no. that. <laughs> I was going to say, spoiler alert, we're going to be introduced to Nomad's girlfriend Priscilla here shortly. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we'll, we'll, deal with, we'll deal with some of that other stuff. Um, <laughs> so uh, just, just keeping tabs on Mr. Yates, who slowly devolves into Douglas Rockwell, Walker also refers to the, the character of design that was previously called Mr. Yates as Mr. Commissioner. So we're, we're still just keeping track of that. You know, but like there's some cool bits where Lamar, you know, he has thought bubbles about, you know, wanting to have his own shield. And again, he's voicing here, you know, in the training in the beginning, the training exercises, he's saying, you know, damn, I should have my own shield. So yeah, so they're, they, they're, throw, they're, they throw the name Bucky at me. They make me cover as a pornographer. I get lynched and I still don't have a fucking shield. Like, I, don't even, I don't even have my own damn shield. So, yeah, what the like, fuck going on here? So, so they're 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 definitely laying the groundwork for him to to get his own shield. It's it's a slow burn, but it's coming. <laughs> the the other moment I thought was interesting was I, I thought it was a, a nice moment where you know it, they they have him pontificate on when he makes his oath of allegiance to the Watchdogs because he's you know he's doing the the Miami Vice thing you know he's going undercover with the watchdogs and posing as them to to bring their 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 nefarious organization down and but then he's also swearing allegiance to them at the same time and he thinks back to the allegiance the oath of allegiance he swore as Captain America to the country and and you know it, it just kind of points out he, he feels like a hypocrite right like and it points out you know that that potentially the more you swear allegiance to different things, the more and 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 if those things are of opposing ideologies, like how hypocritical, you know, it's like you can testify to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God. But then if you if you go on to say like you know I don't know if you're say a uh, a gangster and you swear omerta, you know, to 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 you know be loyal to your family, right? Like then then the oath that you testify in court. Is meaningless because you've already sworn the oath of Omerta, right? Like so. So there, there's things like that that I think are interesting. Like, and again, I'm I'm just gonna keep hammering home that I think that that Walker's a, a fairly three-dimensional and layered character, and and also, you know, th th there's there's a good sense of what's the right word? He, he's he, they they expose all his flaws. I mean, he's he's very much a Marvel character in that way. You know, he's not perfect. He's not ideal. He's not you know sort of the 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 kind of DC archetype where it's the very best of humanity or something like that. You know, he he has these difficult choices, and 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 some might say he made the wrong decision to leave Lamar behind and say, "What the fuck's the matter with you? Why'd you why'd you leave your friend to hang?" You know, and and right. but you could you could see yourself wrestling with this. What do I do? Do I do I do I expose myself now and and lose the chance to catch these guys, or do I do I make his sacrifice worth it and 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 actually bring in these bad guys now to me i would think if it was that you were going to bring in the entire organization that might be something 
worth willing to wrestle over. But I, I also do think it's kind of funny that they're like, okay, he brought in like, you know, 16 members and, but there's still like, you know, 500 chapters of these watchdogs, like all over, all over the country. And I was like, well, I don't know if that was worth it. You know what I mean? So, so you know, cause it's like, and, and I mean, he lucks out too, right? He gets, he, he, he makes a lot of mistakes and, and he gets reprieves. And I feel like, you know, maybe me as a young man, as a teenager, or even, you know, of college age, you know, I made a lot of mistakes and, and got reprieves. So I, in that sense, I think I can, I can relate to that at least, you know, like that, that, that maybe you didn't always make the best decision, but, but you were lucky enough to, to have a second chance and, and kind of go on from there. So I, to me, I just think, you know, that that's, that's a human moment for the character and, and, you know, all the flaws he has are atypical of a, a, a Marvel Comics character that lends itself to, to having good drama. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, and and, and it, you know, going back to the whole, you know, layered thing, God, it's just, it's just a damn shame that they didn't really do more with John Walker as U.S. agent other than to be, like, Captain America light. And that's, a, I mean, granted, that's just my opinion. It's the way I've, I've kind of seen yeah. it. But, I mean, there was just so much good set up you know there was a lot of meat on the bone that mark grenwald did set up for for u.s agent and i mean post cap no more it, it to me it just seems like the writers and editorial dropped the ball just thinking him as as being a second-rate captain america where clearly issues like this and and further on down the road it's not the case there was a boy a very strange enchanted boy They say he wandered very far, very far Over land and sea A little shy And sad of but very wise And then one day A magic day he passed my way And while we spoke of many things Fools and kings This he said to me greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. So let's go on to Captain America 336. The cover date is December 1987, on-sale date September 1st, 1987. The title is Natural Calling. And of course, we're now back to Mike Zek covers. I actually I actually really like this cover. I think this was something I didn't buy off the stands, but it definitely this cover caught my eye in the the back issue bin and 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 I knew it had to do with this arc, so I remembered that was a reason why I picked this up with my hard-earned comic spending money in the back issue bin. But the synopsis, 
With John Walker, the new Captain America, continuing his campaign to arrest and stop the organization known as the Watchdogs, we catch up with a now bearded Steve Rogers on the road. Meanwhile, Dennis Dunphy, also known as D-Man or Demolition Man, recruits Nomad Jack Monroe, his girlfriend Vagabond Priscilla Lyons, and Falcon Sam Wilson to find Steve Rogers. While on the road, Steve's van sinks into what appears to be a naturally made crack from an earthquake zone. He manages to leap out on his Captain America motorcycle and comes across the man known as Brother Nature, an ecological saboteur who is actually the cause of the earthquakes. When Rogers decides to stop Brother Nature, he is bombarded with gale force winds, a stampede of deer, an owl attack, and must punch and kick a grizzly bear to leave him alone. Rogers identifies himself as the captain, and when Brother Nature gets carried away with lightning and earthquakes, he falls with the captain into his own fault line and breaks his ankle. When he awakes, Brother Nature finds that the captain has tended to his broken ankle and shows him that the consequences of his actions led to the destruction of the very forest and trees he was so hell-bent on preserving. The parallel to Roger's own journey reaffirms his decision to continue being a hero, yet not declare war on his own government. And that is Natural Calling. So the cover blurb says the search for Steve Rogers. And like I said, it's back to the Mike Zek covers. I guess for me, I, I, I can make the comparison. Like this is, I don't know if it's the first time we've seen a bearded Steve Rogers, but it does make me think of, of the direction they went with him in the Infinity War film when Chris Evans came back with a, a big bushy beard and everything. Right. And, and I, of course, I, I had a specific question for you, TJ. Okay. On, on the event of this issue. Uh, I, I was thinking as I was reading this, did D-Man bring young TJ dreams of being a wealthy, unlimited class wrestler? Like, <laughs> I want to have a big-time mansion and have uh, Priscilla Lyons come in and get all wet for me because I'm rich and have a mansion. Speaking of brother, you know... I, <laughs> Dennis, you know, D Man is such a hit or miss, love him or hate him character. I love, I love D Man. I can, I, I, I don't, I don't care if people hate him. D Man's awesome. <laughs> well, and and he's he's appeared on a couple episodes of the History of Comics on Film, I believe, yes, hasn't yeah. he? Yes, yes, he has. <laughs> yeah, as far as instilling the the need, want, and desire to 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 be a professional wrestler, no, Dennis Dunphy had no bearing on that whatsoever. Okay, okay. But here again, D Man is another character that they, they they totally dropped the ball on as we get into further issues of the Cap No More series. He's gone for a while. He takes a bit of a powder. And when they do finally bring him back, I was extremely disappointed in how they went about doing it and what they did with him. I, I truly believe if you get away from, you know, the Wolverine style mask and the original Daredevil like outfit, if you would have, you know, bumped it up a little bit more, given something, he could have been a quality C list character, you know, that could have been in for some guest spots here and there, that type of thing. But instead, they make him into a smelly, a joke, basically, you know, a smelly bum that everybody, you know, sits tries to avoid because they can't stand the smell of him. Right, right, right. 
I was I was just very disappointed on how they handled that. Yeah. But yeah, so anyways, yeah, Captain America takes down a filthy hippie. That's pretty much what this issue really at the, at its core is all <laughs> yes. about. Yeah, pretty much. You know, you know what was funny was I was like, I was like, have they did they ever do anything else with Brother Nature? And did I they? found out I found out later after the Civil War, he was later hunted down by the Thunderbolts in Thunderbolts Breaking Point Number One because because they wanted him to register. And and the genius thing is he's like, I may be a hippie, but I'm not stupid, you know. And it's like they they even referred to him as a crazy hippie even in that. So so you're you're you're, you're, you're totally on point as far as as brother nature goes, you know. Well, so. here again, here again, when we start talking about hackneyed dialogue, it's man, you know, it's this far out groovy thing, man. I'm just out here trying to protect the woods, so you need to get into that fossil fuel burning rig of yours. Man, <laughs> I like it, I like the look of I, I like the whole blue blue t-shirt jeans and then Captain America motorcycle helmet look for Steve. Like, I think oh god, cool. yeah, yeah, you know, and that's it's one of those deals. Like, as I'm, I'm sitting there looking at it, and you know, uh yeah, the blue t-shirt, the helmet, the whole nine yards. It's like I mean, I understand, you know, you're you're having to you know wear the helmet for protection, but you know, the fact that it falls immediately off as you're jumping away from a stampede of elk. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, but, it's, but in it's, this issue, it's, it's Steve Rogers' Smallville look. You know, he's got the colors, <laughs> but he's not quite wearing the costume, you know? Which, which, which you know, he, he could have been sued for because one of those demands the commission made was that he was not to be dressed in any form of red, white, or blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's why he couldn't continue with that look. <laughs> Which, you know, it also kind of is it's funny to me in the fact the commission went through all these stipulations. You know, you cannot in any way, shape or form take on an appearance resembling or similar to Captain America. You can't wear the red, white and blue. You have to get back in the house. None of them, not even a one of them said, oh, and by the way, we're going to bust your ass if you try to do any type of, of vigilante activity. Mm-hmm. You are not you are not a deputized member of the law. You're one of those filthy vigilantes and we will we will prosecute accordingly type of a deal that was never mentioned and i was kind of surprised on that you were talking earlier in issue 322 about how he was trying to talk to friends and family and in this issue we do find out he eventually did go and talk to bernie who is probably sporting one of the greatest femme mullets of all time in this issue (laughs) i don't know i guess after i guess once you're once you've once you've been with captain america it's kind of ruined you for all other men Uh, uh, poor Bernie. Poor, poor Bernie. And then, yeah, you know, and then, and then we, uh, you know, we're introduced where we get the old Captain America crew back together. You know, Nomad and D-Man and Falcon are all yeah, together. They, they, they kind of set up that they're, it's more one-sided. It's more Nomad being a jerk to D-Man than, than mutual. But, but I mean, they definitely set up this antagonistic relationship. Like Nomad is, Probably, you know, he won't acknowledge it, but he's probably unconsciously jealous of D-Man's wealth and pad and the fact that Priscilla is impressed by it, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But but it seems like he's, you know, one of these guys is like, dude, this is my squeeze. Like, you know, what's up or whatever. <laughs> what does he say? He says, he says, this is my steady babe. I'm like, oh, yeah, that would totally fly today. Right. Like, they, they well, turn around and be like, this is my steady babe. 
he he is from the fifties. You do have to remember yeah, yeah. that. So he's got that. He's got a bit about bit of that greaser yeah, in that's him. That's true. That's true. He's he's anachronistic even in the eighties. <sighs> so you can't. I'm like you can't pin this on the eighties, people. <laughs> this is the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing we're missing is a greasy pompadour. Uh, uh, that's funny. That's funny. Okay. I'm glad. I'm uh, glad you clarified uh, that for me. It's the fifties fault. It's it's not the eighties fault. That's right. That's right. But yeah, no, I mean, it, and here again, this is where you know some some really good dynamics are coming into play. In that you've got Nomad, who who D Man is just trying to be a good guy. Yeah, you know, yeah and he's, he's like, he's hey, trying to make know, we need, yeah. and, and we need we need to find Steve. You guys are you guys are his partners, and immediately Nomad is on the defensive crouch of, oh, so you think you're the fucking new guy? We know him better than you do. And he's just, yeah, he's just a total, basically just a total jealous jerk about the whole damn thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess in some ways, like beyond that, it's like Falcon shows up and he has no reason to be jealous just because he's a good-natured guy as well. But also, he's like, I can answer what happened, like why D-Man's looking after the hotline. He's like, D-Man's looking after the hotline because Cap asked me first and I had to turn him down because I have other responsibilities right i can't take over the hotline and d-man can you know but but maybe another another you know they don't go into this in detail but maybe another thing that jack is is uh butthurt about is that he was never asked to take over the hotline but it could have been he couldn't get a hold of the fucker you know what i mean exactly so you know so so obviously it probably wasn't the ideal choice you know yeah well you know and like i said i mean it kind of fits into that that mentality of you know just hit with him being the you know, the drunken jerk that he is where he's pissed off that you didn't even ask. It's like, well, we couldn't fucking find you. Yeah. Well, that doesn't yeah, matter. Mean, you just, you just didn't ask where, you know, and carry the attitude. So right, right. again, that's, it's, it's that it's the small characterizations. It's those little, little nuances that to me make Mark Grenwald such an underappreciated writer, yeah. you know, granted yeah. some of the dialogue can be stilted. Some of the dialogue could be hackneyed, but it's, it's the intent. It's the, the underlying foundation of those characters, you know, with with the 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 interpersonal jealousy there, the building up of John Walker, the the uh, Steve Rogers questioning his beliefs versus his duties, you know, a lot of this stuff. It, and if 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 it was just that, if the dialogue were slightly better, I think this would be considered one of the not just one of the greatest Cap runs of all time, but I think one of the greatest comic book runs of all time yeah, I, I think mean, it's I, the, I think it's the dialogue that ends up killing it and i i think i think as opposed to your i think concerns with with the future of john walker you know i think nomad fares out better in the reverse you know like he's he's kind of uh you know in this he, he's <laughs> kind of a jerk he goes on to be a drunken jerk you know and, and things like that but as as captain america progresses and as as nomad goes off into his own comic by Fabian Nicieza, you know, he almost has a, a Mandalorian like, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub arc, you know, where he's a, a man with a baby on a mission and he becomes, uh, you know, he, of course right. he's nineties and cool, you know, he's got the long hair and the shades right. and the, yeah. the, the shotgun and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but he, he, he becomes a lot more of a likable character because of, of that title. And I, I think that, you know, somebody there, you know, 
Fabian Nicieza more than likely, you know, found things that were good about that character and and embellished them and 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 brought them out over you know a long course of a title. Whereas I think you know your your complaint is that you know it, I or maybe your wish is that somebody like Fabian Nicieza wrote a long form you know John Walker comic and made it just as good as the Nomad comic you know so yeah. and, and that I, I will agree with you there were there were attempts there were mini series they tried to do things with them but I will agree with you that they, that he was never you know US agent never had as good a comic series as as Nomad ended up having right and and now now this could be where like I may you know have have missed the mark here and there on that but once again it's a case, you know, in my view, it's a case of they kind of they kind of threw away, you know, did threw away and shit on the ja- on the Jack Monroe Nomad character when the Winter Soldier thing started. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah, know, because he, he basically, yeah, he got he got killed off. And again, like you know, if it was a female character, everybody'd be screaming about how they got refrigerated. But since it's a male character, nobody gives a shit. And, well, but, and it, but, but, but he does but he does get refrigerated like you're absolutely right like if you if you like that character whether you followed him in thunderbolts or you followed his own series like i mean that that's one of those things it's unfortunate to, to bring back bucky they 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 aced nomad they aced jack monroe yeah. well and it's it's not even that i don't it, it doesn't it's not even the fact that they killed him off it was the fact that they made him just a broken down down on his luck drunk mm-hmm and it was like, but they had built him up enough to where, you know, through Nomad, through the Nomad series, and I guess he was in Thunderbolts as well. And I didn't read any of the Thunderbolts runs, so I don't know how they portrayed the character during that. But just in the in the in his in his final appearances, just to make him just a, a broken down, shattered drunk, I just thought, man, you know, there's 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 better ways you could have, you know had Jack Monroe being betrayed other than that. It's it's interesting because because Greg Rucka's run is is pretty widely heralded. And I mean obviously they used it as the basis of like one of my favorite films, which is Captain America Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I, I feel like a lot of the characters in this arc, you know, D-Man and and Nomad, they get especially like shit on in the Rucka run. Because you know D-Man goes on to become the new scourge, you know, in that. And so that's just as much of a, you know, he's not smelly and homeless, but he's also basically mind controlled and evil, which is not a good thing either, you know? So right. if, you, if you add fondness for the characters, you know, they, 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 they don't take them down paths that you're happy about, you know? So, so you're, you're either waiting for them to be, you know, brought back to life or, or somehow redeemed, you know, in, in, stories by other writers who don't view them as disposable or regard them with little fanfare. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not looking at putting them on a pedestal, you know, you know, bronzing their statues or anything like that, but I'm just saying, I mean, there's, there should have been just a little more respect towards those characters. And, you know, it just kind of seems like in those early two thousands, you know, they were just like, ah, you know, these guys, there's, there's nothing going on here. Just get, just, you know, Get rid of them any way you want to. You want to shit on them, shit on them. We don't care. And for someone like me, where my introduction to, I mean, I wouldn't say my introduction to Captain America, but when I became a Captain America fan, these were the characters that were there. So they definitely hold that kind of little bit of a, you know, a special place in there. Oh, yeah. You know, on that end. And it's just, it's disheartening to see the way that they kind of just shit on them, you know, years later. 
city gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. They're all living, the devil may care. And I'm just a devil with no despair, so So let's let's do Captain America 337 because this this continues with these characters. There's a I'll just point out before we get into the synopsis. The cover blurb is titled "Steve Rogers Fights Again," and there's a a really nice Mike Zek cover homage to Jack Kirby's cover from Avengers Four. And you know, in the place of Captain America on Avengers Four, you've got the Captain in his new look. And then you've got, instead of the other Avengers, you know, you've got who we've been talking about uh, pretty profusely for the past few minutes. We've got, you know, D-Man, Nomad, and Falcon, and, and of course, Falcon's bird, Red Wing. The cover date is January 1988, but it was actually released September 8th, 1987. So these are the these are the tricksy ones that, that I have to keep track of when I'm doing History of Comics on film, because it, it isn't really 1988, it's really 1987. The story title is The Long Road Back, and again, the creative team is still Mark Greenwald and, and Tom Morgan. Falcon, Nomad, Vagabond, and D-Man, hot on the trail of Steve Rogers, discover his cap van buried in the earthquake fault from last issue. With some struggle, D-Man manages to toss the van from the fault out onto the surface. In Las Vegas, Serpent Society wannabes Puff Adder, Copperhead, Fer de Lance, Black Racer, Pulla Heist, and a local casino. Since the police now surround the casino, the group decides to hold the employees hostage. Steve finally returns to the site of the earthquake to recover his van, and when he tells his pals he intends to continue as the captain. D-Man supplies him with a new costume in basic black. The Cap Computer Hotline alerts the group to the hostage situation in Las Vegas, and after a quick private plane flight, D-Man, Nomad, and the Captain tackle the wannabe serpents while Falcon flies the hostages to safety. And that's the long and short of The Long Road Back. And this was the issue that introduced the captain outfit and oh my god I, I can't remember I think I had, I can't remember if I had heard that it was either Mike Zeck or Tom DeFalco that had done the design on this outfit okay but oh my god I just I love the captain yeah, outfit it's so good it's so I good. really this is this is just so badass and it's kind of one of those deals where honestly if they would have made this like say the new Captain America outfit I would have been okay with that yeah, I, 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 I adored this. I, you know, I probably people who are, are faithful listeners to the podcast will have heard this story before. But the the New York comic store, and I'll I'll get into this a little bit. But the the New York comic store I went to on a summer vacation when I visited relatives, that was where I first picked up my first issue of Captain America. And it's a few, it's 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 a number of issues from now, but it's issue three forty seven. But at that store. They had not only did they have a glass case with all the original Secret Wars action figures, but it was the first time I'd ever encountered custom action figures. And what they had done was they had the Secret Wars Captain America painted up in the Captain colors, which I thought was the coolest shit ever. Oh, nice. And they had a Wolverine 
repainted as D-Man. So nice. I was, and I was so like super excited to see that. Like I thought it was like the greatest thing ever. And of course, I, I I did not have the skill to do that on my own. But I think what I asked was my mom would like <laughs> sew a lot of stuff for me, and so like I would have her like like for Doctor Doom since he came with all the circuitry and didn't have his cape and his his little clasps and all that stuff. I had my right. mom like sew me like a a felt green cape and a felt like overlay so that it had the she she sewed on these like little like i don't know like jewelry like like yellow things that were supposed to be clasps and and for captain america since i wasn't going to paint the figure i sort of tweaked it so that it had the chest piece but I just I, I had her do it on blue felt so it matched the blue. And then I had her put like a little white star that was another jewelry piece that she sewed on. And then she sewed the the straight, you know, red and and white stripes onto that blue felt. And then I overlaid that onto the figure. So for that was my makeshift, you know, quote unquote, the captain figure or whatever when nice. I when I played with my my secret wars or whatever. But yeah, nice. I, I adore I adore this costume. I think it's great. I, I, I think it's interesting that that Steve Rogers has to deal with like he was he was so used to the sort of subconscious authority and and privilege that he had being in the Captain America costume, everyone recognized him, everyone deferred to his authority, everyone knew who he was, they knew he was an Avenger, and when he kind of shows up on the scene as the captain, like, people in Vegas, the, the, the local law enforcement, they don't immediately have the same recognition, and they don't afford him the same authority, and they don't take his word that he's an Avenger, and, and that was not necessarily a consequence that like the commission laid out and listed to him, but it's another way, you know, you, you mentioned why, you know, yeah, Mark Greenwald might not have all the greatest ideas and all the best dialogue all the time in this entire 11 year run. But this is, this is a good example of something, you know, uh, uh, that he establishes very well and it's, it's well thought out and it's an unintended consequence of, of giving up the mantle of Captain America. Right. Exactly. And it it you know it plays in like at the very at the very end of the of this issue when you know basically everyone's getting arrested, you know both the, yeah. the 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 snake villains as well as Steve Rogers' little band of heroes. Everybody's going to fucking jail, and you know the Falcon brings up the point that you know hey you know we 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 we're not going to do any good being locked up. We need to get out of here. And once again, it kind of plays into you know the thought process of Steve Rogers' beliefs, where he's like, well, if we start breaking the the littlest bit of laws now, what road are we going to go down? When is it too far? You know, when is far exactly. too far? You know, like, exactly. like when you bend the rules, how far is it before you break them? You know, a lot of characters like this in comics, you know, they, they have to walk the tightrope. And, and it's usually really fun watching a character walk the tightrope. But then ultimately, at some point, you're bound to be disappointed because some writer decides, OK, fuck it. It's time to push them off the fucking tightrope. And when they fall, right, they really fucking fall hard. And then and then at that point, you know, you, you can make the arguments is is are the toys irrevocably damaged? Is the character totally broken or can they 
can they come back from that? Can you just wipe the slate clean and go, oh, yeah, Captain America never worked for Hydra. You know, it's fine. You know, or can you can you get past that and just kind of sweep that under the rug and, and go on about your business? You know? Well, and I mean, it, you know, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, we the minute they were playing that Hydra game with them, we were, I, I, the first thing I said was, OK, it's a Cosmic Cube story. Right. You know, I, I already I, that was obvious to anybody who's ever followed anything Captain America prior to that. So, I mean, for the new kids in, they'd probably be surprised by that. That's what puts this story above those type of Cosmic Cube type of saga situations is that this is grounded. Quite frankly, it's grounded a lot more in reality and in dealing with the, the, the political situation, not even just of that time, but even the political situation that. Is kind of always there, you know. What what is the the difference between your beliefs and your duties, and how that changes when a nation's administration and political structure changes over time? Yeah, yeah. you know, when you have when you have new presidents, new senators, new congressmen, in the values of the previous administration aren't necessarily going to carry over into the next. And so then it becomes a case of, are you going to be the Captain America you are, or are you going to be the Captain America that they want you to be? And this is where all of the, the Steve Rogers stuff just kind of continuously gets reaffirmed in the fact that he is very much a, a man of his beliefs. And another thing that he, he comes to the conclusion of that's pretty important in this issue is that he's not much of a captain, regardless of what kind of captain he is, without a shield. And it's interesting because the the cover homage, homages Avengers 4, in which he has a shield, and he's he's wielding his original shield on the cover. But in the yeah. entirety of this issue, he he does not have the shield. And and he he thinks to himself, This is this is another consequence. You know, like he 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 feels naked without the shield. He needs to have some kind of shield and that's what first plants the idea that you, from someone he's going to have to get a replacement shield yeah and i was i was actually going to bring that point up do you think that was a do you think that was a fuck up on mike zach's part or do you uh, think they intentionally or do you think they intentionally put the kept the shield in on the cover as kind of I mean, a little subliminal i mean i i i wonder if if maybe they originally did some kind of cover with you know, maybe the initial thought was, let's do a cover with Cap and his gang. And maybe in the course of the story, they realize, well, in the story, he doesn't have a shield, but it's not as dynamic. And maybe that's what triggered, you know, this is just speculation. I don't have any inside info on it. But but my, my thought would be maybe they, the excuse is, look, it's an homage cover. I'm homaging Avengers 4. Thus, it doesn't matter if the precise elements of this cover are not a hundred percent reflected within the story i mean you know the the essentials are right like steve rogers is in the basic black that's true you know he's he's aided and quote-unquote abetted you know by a, a right. man falcon and and nomad so all that stuff holds true it's just the the one element is that he he doesn't have his shield quite yet and 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 yeah you could you could say oh this covers a false bill of goods he doesn't get his original shield back you know wah wah my butt hurts but i i, I think if if you thought it was going to be wrapped up that nice and neatly in this issue like you're you're you know, you're drinking the Kool-Aid or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, and but like I said, I mean, this this one is is one of those issues where, you know, it a lot of people can kind of dismiss it, but really, this is kind of one of the the big key issues 
on this arc because now yeah. we've got Steve Rogers now as the captain. We've got his little fighting force team. We're doing their little, you know, traveling roustabout road show of ass whooping and, you know, setting it up now to where, okay, clearly being issue. What, what was this one? 337. Yeah, 337. So we know that here in the next year, there's going to be the captains colliding. And so this is that issue where, okay, now we're, we're really, you know, it's kind of, kind of wetting the appetite. Like, okay, now we know Steve Rogers is back in the game. We know he's still the captain that he's always been. Now let's really get into the good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, there's certain moments in this where the story really ramps up. And I think when it when it starts to hit its climax in the late 340s is when I think it starts really ramping up. But this this is definitely, I think, like the, the midpoint and they're establishing, like you said, that there's going to be a captain versus a captain, you know, type thing. Well, and that they're you know, going to... It's like anything else, you know, like a lot of people were sitting there when the Mandalorian first came out and everyone was talking about those first couple episodes and they were like, oh, this is fucking boring. What the hell is all this? And it's like, people, you've got to set the stage. You've got you're trying to tell a story. Let the story play out. So, yeah, we've got, you know, three or four issues where we're setting up John Walker and every, and that builds up a little bit of the missing of Steve Rogers. Now yeah, we've got yeah. Steve Rogers back in and now it's like, okay, now, you know, now we know things are going to start ramping up and it's, but, but the thing is you can't just tell a jacked up, ramped up story. You've got to, you've got to set the table first yeah, and it's these, yeah. And it's these first six or seven issues that are setting up that table and getting us ready for, for, you know, the, the really good stuff to come. Yeah, and and I guess the the only other thing I have on three thirty seven is I think I think one of my favorite panels, and and I have other favorite panels in the run that are similar, but I, I love the the dismount multi image panel where he like stops the bike and does the the Olympic athlete flip into like the 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 standing position where he's got yeah, his hand. Yeah, I was I was gonna make the comment on that too. I mean, my God, is that is that how is that how you you know when you pull up pull up to your buddies on your on your on your motorcycle? <laughs> is that you know you know it's it, you, you can you can just simply dismount. It's okay, but no no no, we got it. We got to do that front forward flip so you guys know it's, it's me. It's Steve. Yeah, it's Captain America. You know, whereas, whereas if I was Sam, I'd just look at me like, you fucking show off. <laughs> Who the fuck are you trying to impress? Yeah, yeah. No, but that that, that stuff is all great. I, I love that stuff. Like, that's <laughs> that, that's like that's like that moment in the Winter Soldier where he flings the shield and it bounces off and hits the guy and everything. Like, that's, you know, all, all that. That's Captain America. The the, the athleticism and the, the precision kind of balance and uh, Olympic level type you know, acrobatics and stuff like that's, that's all super awesome. I mean, how the fuck does he get up from the dinner table? You know, is he always, does he always put on this, this show? <laughs> you know, does it, 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 to me, you know, it, 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 are you, are you always going out of your way to try to impress everybody? Like, look what I can do. I'm Captain America. You know, great. Like I said, the only guy you're impressing right there is fucking fanboy Mark D man. And even he'll get sick of your shit after about a year. <laughs> There's a path that leads back to my Adirondack home I'm going back tonight and I never more will roam I can see my mother there for her boy, she says a prayer She waits in her armchair in my Adirondack home <laughs> 
All right, let's do uh, 338. 338 has a cover date of February 1988, on sale date October 13th, 1987. Uh, the title is Power Struggle. The new Captain America and Bucky are on a side mission in the Adirondack Mountains to retrieve one Professor Anthony Power, an armored supervillain and founder of the Secret Empire. At Power Castle, the two face off against soldiers dressed as Roman gladiators, robots Lamar says don't look as well designed as his nephew's Transformers, and a giant man-sized man-child named Levi, short for Leviathan. Meanwhile, Rogers and crew are in a jail cell alongside the Serpent Society members from last issue, as they disobeyed police instructions to not interfere with the hostage crisis in Las Vegas. As Rogers is no longer Captain America, the local police do not recognize his status as an Avenger. While Nomad gets interrogated next, followed by the Falcon, Sidewinder, the teleporting leader of the actual Serpent Society, begins to teleport the wannabe villains away one by one. Ultimately, D-Man bends the jail cell bars so that the Captain, Nomad, and himself can try to stop the jailbreak via teleportation. When Sidewinder threatens to kill Ferdelance, instead of teleporting her to freedom, the Captain releases him from a reverse headlock and allows the two to escape. Falcon then returns from his own interrogation, having just convinced the local authorities to release his group from custody. Walker and Lamar eventually form a chokehold on the giant man-child Levi, which results in him passing out. When they finally catch up to the comatose Anthony Power, the scientists at Power Castle launch Professor Power in a rocket to avoid him getting captured yet again. Walker throws his mighty shield bringing the rocket crashing to the ground. When he pries Power out of the cockpit, Power groggily awakens and sucker blasts Walker in his gut. Angered, John decides to stop Power any way he can and proceeds to beat him until he stops breathing. While Lamar congratulates John on a job well done, Walker laments that he should not have become the government's official executioner. So yeah, this is power struggle the cover on this one is a, a ron friends cover so now we're, we're switching up we're not going to have mike zek covers for the rest of this run it's going to be mostly ron friends covers up until issue 350 where it's a kieran dwyer cover but yeah so from now on out they're going to be ron friends covers and i i like ron friends i mean i i guess i since you know i said i started with with cap 347 I'm I'm kind of you know I, I guess I'm what's the right word I, I guess I I grew up on you know his art and you know I I have some original art from Ron Friends and that I'm like super duper happy with I I feel like he's one of those guys that you know I I think a guy Harold is one of my other favorite artists is is Tom Grummet but I think him and Ron Friends you know I I feel like they both sort of make characters look like they're supposed to I know that's kind of vague and and unspecific, but I feel like that's a talent they have. Like when I see something drawn by Ron Friends, I feel like all the characters are quote unquote on model, you know, like I, I feel right. like they, they look like they need to. And and that's something that I think is is cool about, you know, the 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 covers that uh, Friends does and will continue to do for the remainder of this this story arc. Yeah, I'm uh, when it when it came to, you know, this this stretch of the run, Definitely, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of Friends' covers 
throughout the re- throughout the rest of this. And this is also the first issue of where uh, Kyron Dwyer or yeah. Kieran Dwyer, depending on how you pronounce his name, this was his premier Captain America issue. And Kyron Dwyer is to me one of he's one of the most he's one of those influential artists of mine. You know, he was okay. one of those guys that I really looked up to. This was also a time you got to remember. This was also the time where McFarlane was on Spider Man. Maybe he yeah. was on Hulk, but you know, it was kind of around that time. Yeah. You know, you had Sylvestri on X Men. You know, you, you, we were starting to get all of those guys. The Image guys was just starting to come out of the woodwork, and to me, I think it was it, it, it because of those Image guys. I think a lot of people sleep on Kyron Dwyer and just how good his art actually was and still is to this day. I mean, because nowadays he doesn't really do a whole lot in, in comics. He's mostly that. That from what I've seen, he's mostly doing, um, you know, advertising work and storyboards okay. and that type of deal. He's, but you know, I don't. I don't know if you know this or not, but he, he at one point he was the stepson of John Byrne. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And John Byrne was one. Was flat out told him he's like, you'll never make it in the comic book industry. And it's like, eh, he's done all right for himself. So, fuck you, Byrne. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I I feel like like certain aspects of his art start out being you know very influenced by Byrne, and then I think you know over the course of of his run in Captain America, specifically in this storyline, I I think he really comes into his own as an artist. You know, it becomes his own style and, and his own kind of, he finds his own voice, I guess, or, or style. And, and, you know, he may have been influenced by his former stepfather, but, but I think he, he definitely kind of comes out swinging, you know, as far as, as transitioning into a style all of his own, you know, I think there's, mm-hmm. there's flavors of, you know, Kirby and, and, and other elements, but I think he, he kind of fuses that all together and he really, makes it his own. And I, I, I like the art and, and, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I think normally like when I do things like this, I'm a proponent of, you know, Oh, it'd be nice if the, the artist who started the arc, like finished it off. But I, I think I, I welcome, I'm like, I welcome the change to our new penciler overlords, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm on board with it. Yeah. And I think his run lasted until somewhere in the, I want to say three sixties. So, I mean, he had a good two, two and a half year run on the book and his run on the series, not just not just with the the Captain Moore stuff, but his run overall. It's a prime example of where unless you are doing your own inking, if you have other people inking your stuff, you need to be aware of who is inking your stuff because Mm -hmm. you have guys that can either make you look like a million bucks or guys that are just going to make you look like shit. And I want to take a look here. I'm not quite aware. I'm just going back and looking at the credits here. Tom Morgan is inking Dwyer in this. So, yeah, so, okay. so Tom, there's still, I guess, there's still a sense of consistency in that, you know, Tom Morgan might not be doing the pencils anymore, but he is inking the new penciler. So there is sort of that that carry through with the, the, the change of the guard, I guess. Yeah. And there was, I mean, there was a, there was a changeover in, you know, who was doing you know, the inking up until the point where you had Al Milgram doing the inking. And Al Milgram inking Kyron Dwyer looked like shit. Mm. And that, now granted, that's, that's, you know, completely my own opinion. It is what it is. But just for my sensibilities, Milgram's always been what I... 
he's never been one of my favorite artists. I'm like, he certainly charges enough for his autograph. Oh God. <laughs> you you've had you've had the pleasure, have you? Yes, yes, I have. Oh boy. Yeah, no. I mean I look at like like the big runs on stuff that he's done, like Secret Wars two and you know, some stuff I think he did like on Hulk. I'm just I did, trying to remember like where he was actually the artist. And it was just a damn shame that he was basically using his influence as an editor in Marvel to get himself some of the primo positions and, and some of the primo work because his, his artwork is just too blocky, too chunky. It just, it's just stiff. And it's just, I mean, God, there's just nothing. I, I don't, I, it, I don't want to go out of my way to shit on an artist, but, Milgram to me is is not one of my favorite guys. Well, let's, and, let's 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 put a pin in Milgram and we can talk more about him when we get to like three forty or whenever he, he when shows we get up. To those. Yeah, and right. then and then just but, just for just for right now, I, I just yes. was going to point out that finally, good old Lamar, like they they finally hooked a brother up with his own heater shield. Like he's not yeah. shieldless anymore, at least. Like he's still he's still a Bucky, so people are still probably mad and writing letters about that. But at least at least the brother has a shield, so so oh, we've got that. Yeah, so from. so so not only not only have we thrown him with the name Bucky, not only have we made him a pornographer, and not only have we went out of our way to lynch him, but now we're gonna give him the old throwaway shield that the Captain America first used in the forties. What, he's not good enough for an original shield? He's not good enough for an aerodynamically round shield. How is he supposed to throw that and take out some guys? Man, Lamar is just getting the shit end of the stick. Dude, you, you just, throw just that, boom, you throw throw that with the road. pointy end facing forward, TJ. You, you stick that pointy end in somebody's <laughs> neck, and that's how you throw it. <laughs> Beyond the, the Roman gladiator people that are all cosplaying, there, there are yes, these the sort centurions. Of, yeah, there there are these mandroid light secret empire robots, and and there there is the the thought that perhaps this is a very very loose armor wars tie-in that that you know perhaps some of the Stark tech is in these secret empire robots or something like that, but I don't know if that was ever followed up on. Just some more conflated and and somewhat convoluted historical stuff professor power is basically killed by walker in this like this is this is the the first person that that i think john walker kills in the course of this run and you know i, I mean i can understand like i wouldn't want to be shot in the gut either so so i i sort of get the immediate gut reaction and and but what's funny is this is this is not something done out of vengeance this isn't something done because there's you know, lives at stake or anything like that. This is just something based at the sheer, you know, heat of battle, like, ow, you hurt me, I'm going to punch you until you don't breathe type thing. But interestingly enough, you're still sort of accurate, TJ, because I think you said later, you know, he killed somebody for the first time in a different issue later down the road. But, you know, because comics, because it's super convoluted, apparently Professor Power doesn't stay dead after this because I guess it's his son's body and his mind was transferred into his son's body, and then later he's in his own damn body or something stupid. So, yeah. so he doesn't he doesn't no, this, stay dead. Yeah, though no, this this is the one race where I said this was this was the incident where he where he killed somebody for the first time, and of course you know because comics nobody stays dead for very long, but it's it for what it was, it's still held a little bit of you know it it still held enough pardon the pun but held enough punch in that oh shit captain america just fucking killed a guy 
And it's funny how, you know, I don't want to say it's like, you know, Anakin Skywalker turning to the dark side or anything, but it, in me, at this juncture, he he's he's feeling the remorse and he's like, shit, no, you know, like Lamar's like, dude, it doesn't matter. It was all about, you know, eliminate the situation by whatever means necessary. They're going to condemn, they're going to, they're going to condemn or not condemn, but commend you for this. Right. And, right, yeah. you, and, and you, Walker, you, did what you were supposed to do. Yeah. And Walker's leaving it by saying, no, this, this is not how it was supposed to have been. He's, he's, he, he's getting that, those regrets, but you're seeing that his baser instincts is just uh, uh, kill a motherfucker. Well, you, you and know, even, it's interesting that you brought up, you brought up Anakin. Cause I mean, I think later he does have a episode two Anakin moment. Walker, John Walker does. But I think if I, if I was going to compare this to anything, th- this would be like little Annie, like after the Bunta Eve races, walking up to Sebulba and like beating him to a pulp after the race until <laughs> like he died. And Anakin doesn't do that. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm all, that would have been pretty bitching if little Jake Lloyd just went up and beat the shit out of the CGI Sebulba until he was like a bloody pulp. And just, he would have just been carved like, a motherfucker. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, Qui-Gon could be like, well, uh, I, I guess he deserved it. <laughs> Moving on. There's always a bigger fish, you know, and then he just kind of makes 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 way. But yeah, like like this is this is definitely a a, a moment like that. I, I I wanted to regale people with some behind the scenes stuff that I think is humorous. So so comic DB is dead and gone. That hurts me to my very soul because it makes comic book research like this about minutia like really really difficult. So I was trying to find out like what became of of the giant man child Levi. Like what what happened to Levi? And so I'm doing my Google foo, and I'm like, okay, like if I look up the word Leviathan, there's like you know 20 other Marvel comics characters and DC comics characters named Leviathan. So that doesn't help at all. And then I looked right. up Levi, which just yields pages upon pages of many fine young Jewish men on Facebook. So that doesn't <laughs> help me, right? And and so I'm like, God damn it. Like, I'm, I'm about to give up. But then I think, like, what other resources? So thankfully, I thought of the Super Mega Monkey Marvel Chronology Project. And that told me that Levi also goes by the name Gargantua. So then when I looked up Gargantua, I was able to figure out that later... Levi goes on to fight the New Warriors, the Hulk. He is a member of Dr. Octopus's Masters of Evil in the original Guardians of the Galaxy 90s comic book. And I think the most recent appearance, which I've never read, uh, he ended up becoming an inmate of Pleasant Hill, which deals with the Avengers standoff, I guess, event. And that took place in Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. number six. So I was just curious about that. And, and I thought it was funny how I finally found all that knowledge. But but it was a lot more difficult than it used to be. I miss Comic DB. I'm very sad that it's gone. So just wanted to say that. That's that's basically all I've got on the issue. Well, you know, but it's it's nice to see Levi actually went and, you know, went and made something of himself. You know, yeah. that's what that's always nice to see. God, what in the hell was it? What, 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 what bridge was I going to go down on this one? Yeah, the Mandroid armor. Were you as disappointed as I was to find out that they were remote-controlled robots and there was nobody inside the armor? Hmm. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't give it just much because thought, then, then that way it's an even it's an even bigger bloodbath, and we're just we're just turning hmm. the John Walker Captain America into. I mean, yeah, he ends up becoming I, just a total yeah, rage blind psychopath. Were. Yeah, I think they weren't ready to go down that path fully yet. So I, I, I don't think I was disappointed or even surprised <laughs> about that. I think I think I think they wanted to just 
focus on the one, you know, they wanted to give the professor power thing the, <laughs> the utmost weight. And I think if, if they had been real, then that would have just diffused from the, the emotional impact or the conflict he had over that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, I mean, you know, here again, I mean, aside from that one incident, the one incident where this is the first guy that, you know, captain or that the John Walker, Captain America kills. I don't know. It just didn't really seem like there was a whole lot about this issue that really just stood out. I mean, granted, you know, we got this is where, you know, Sidewinder is looking to induct the new snakes, which does lead into, you know, the next huge, big, major subplot within this. Yeah. You know, within I mean, this you know, that 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 kind of leads to, you know, something where, you, you know, you constantly have this thing where like a villain hold someone hostage and that, you know, I don't know, like, like I think it's, there's justifiable criticism over, you know, the captain basically going, okay, fine. Like you can teleport away. So you won't kill another bad guy. You know, like, 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 I think, I think there's, there's that part of you that wants him to be like, yeah, so what? Like, you know, like try it and I'll, I'll, I'll stop you or whatever. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the, the best resolution to something like that is, but it, it does seem very much like there, there are these moments where you, you have to have the, what I call like the Mr. Cap, like say his platitudes and, 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 you know, sort of uh, speechify, but yet not actually sort of live up to, you know, the, the speech itself, you know, like, like right. for, for the sake of the story, you know, and, and I, I find that disappointing. Like, I, like I'd rather, if somebody's going to talk big, I'd rather have them, back up the big talk and like it, it just seems like you know in some cases when 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 there's the big talk he has to sort of tuck his tail between his pants and like just kind of take it you know because like you know it's like what is he going to do against sidewinder like nothing right like sidewinder basically right. owned him because he's like oh i'm not gonna let you kill him uh, or kill her like okay i guess you can get away then so it's like that that i i always find that stuff unfortunate only because I usually want somebody to to come up with a, a a cool way for for the lead character, the protagonist, to to still look cool even if he has to be flawed and and fail, you know. So right, right. Let's do TJ's. Apparently, I can tell this is his favorite issue because he's he's lambasted it already like five times during the course of this program. <laughs> We're going to talk Captain America 339. It is a Fall of the Mutants tie-in. There's so many X crossovers, I can't keep up with yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. It's a Fall of the Mutants tie-in. The cover date is March 1988. The on-sale date is November 10th, 1987. Keeping up with, because TJ mentioned it, keeping up with the guard change. We, you know, of course, this is still Mark Grunewald writing. Again, uh, the recent penciler change, Kyron, Kieran, Dwyer. And then, in this case, the inks are by Tony DiZuniga. So hold off on the Al Milgram bashing. We'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> but, but not not until not until next issue. So the title is America the Scorched. 
And here we go. The captain and crew pick up a radio signal that alerts them that one of Apocalypse's horsemen, the dreaded famine, has been poisoning the farmlands all over the Midwest. The new Captain America and Bucky are also passed with tracking down the renegade mutant. As famine destroys U.S. military helicopters, the Falcon and Red Wing, his pet bird, tackle famine. The Captain, Nomad, and D-Man skydive to the surface while the Falcon grounds Famine. Famine blasts Falcon with her mutant powers, making him weak and famished. D-Man tries to wrangle Famine's metal steed and after some struggle, finally brings it down. Famine then turns her wrath on Nomad and the Captain steps in to assist with a makeshift shield ripped from the grate of a tractor. Once the captain subdues Famine, she is quickly teleported away. D-Man and the captain are left to take Falcon and Nomad in for medical attention for malnutrition. Hours later, the new Captain America and Bucky are late to the scene and have no clue who stopped Famine's rampage in Kansas. Weeks later, as Falcon and Nomad are treated for malnutrition, Steve Rogers pays Tony Stark a visit at his Los Angeles branch of Stark Enterprise to request a new shield. As the two old friends catch each other up on current events, Steve tests out his new adamantium shield. Due to his recent troubles with the U.S. government and the gift of a new shield, Tony Stark is confident that Rogers will not interfere with his own private armor wars. And that is America the Scorched, the Fall of the Mutants tie-in! Good God, yeah. No, it's so many things to unpack on this guy. Number one, Iron Man, you should know you're never going to be able to bribe Captain America. That's not how he works. Which, of course, you know, as we go further along, that, that'll, that'll be made clear. Also, you know... I've just I've never been a fan of tie-ins just for the sake of a tie-in. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, it almost, it just kind of broke everything up. It just I mean, on my end of it, eh, I just wasn't a fan of the whole, you know, Caps group of ragtag heroes fighting on fighting, can, you know, one I, of the four four I, horsemen. Sorry, can can I just tell you, you know, you know what you need to do from now on? Uh, just call them the traveling Wilburys and call it a day. <laughs> the traveling like Wilburys. Traveling Wilburys. Yeah, that's 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 what we're gonna call them from now on. That's 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 what their group name is, even though it's not it's not officially sanctioned by Marvel Comics. I'm, I'm just gonna call them Cap and the Traveling Wilburys. It's officially sanctioned by Comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? <laughs> Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It, it's so weird, especially especially when you're not caught up in the shit. Like 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 when you're reading all the comics all at the same time as they're coming out month to month, and you just read like Fall of the Mutants, you know, tie in whatever it was, and X Men, you know, two twenty five or X Factor twenty four, and then you go read this and go, oh shit, like. <laughs> Famine from, you know, Apocalypse's Horseman is in this, so wicked, so badass. Like, that's one thing, but it, it's funny to read it in the context, like, when, when you look back at an epic, long-running story like this, and then another epic story intersects in between it, and you're not reading that, and you for, you know, it, you're like, I haven't read Fall of the Mutants in, like, I don't know, 30 years, yeah. right? Like, yeah. so, so you're like sitting there going, scratching your head going, oh yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I remember things. I remember, you know, Archangel, you know, they, they attack New York, all this kind of stuff in X-Factor. You know, then then they do the Texas thing where the, the X-Men fight the, 
stupid i forget what it was god the and die and they're not really the adversary. yeah yeah you know and and so see I, like you remember more than i do but like i mean i i remember <laughs> those things but like you know and i know who famine is but but i i get what you're saying that that it's it's one of those things where if you're just a reader of captain america it sort of interrupts the flow a little bit you know like yeah. where yeah. It, it, i i remember having the same the same thought like it was funny at the time when when house of m was coming out i bought house of m i bought most of the tie-ins but then i went back and a book i had never read before and even the house of m tie-ins was a book called new x-men and it had a bunch of new x-men characters and they were you know it was kind of like a new mutants book it was like young you know kids training at xavier's school and everything like that and as i read the book on its own i was i really got into it i just read it flat as as the title and when it got to the house of m tie-ins it like actively pissed me off because I was like, oh, I remember reading that crossover like, you know, five years ago. And I remember practically nothing about it. And it was such like a violation and interruption of what I was already enjoying. So I can totally relate to like why, you know, something like this, you'd be like, why the fuck are these X-Men things in my Captain America? You're like, get this shrimp out of my Fruit Loops. Like, why is right. it here? You yeah, know, exactly. Like, you know. What the hell? Yes, you know, and and like I said, you know, that, that touching that point, it's it was a it was a breakup of the story that was quote, pretty much unnecessary. If you wanted to do it as a you know billet as a tie-in, there's a great scene in this where John Walker and Bucky Lamar, whatever you want to call him, run into their good buddies from the Freedom Force, the Blob mm. and Pyro and Avalanche, and the Blob is like practically fucking coming all over himself because the X-Men are dead. Right. You know, he's right. like, hey, I'm going to get, that, I think it, that, that, that would have been fine. Right. If that's, that, that was the only tie in. That's all that's, you need. Right. That's all the tie in you need is just the follow up. The, the post, uh, uh, Dallas forge Plaza incident where everybody thinks the X-Men are dead. And the blob is just overcome with happiness. As he says, as, as he says, and I quote, I'm going to go have me a 20 keg salute. <laughs> well, it is the blob. It yeah. is the blob after all. And and that would have been fine if you just want to make that as a tie in just as kind of a, a little wrap up bow on the, the fall of the mutants thing. And and here again, you could have had the captain and the and the Wilburys fight uh, fight against a another known Captain America villain. You know, somebody yeah. just kind of, you know, half-assed, something along those lines, and at least have it make a little bit more sense. The other thing, too, and this kind of always, th you know, kind of threw me off, especially going back and reading it now. When the hell did they hire fucking Magnum P.I. to be their pilot? I mean, my God. I mean, there's, you know, there, it's, dun, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Yeah. D-Man's got massive amounts of cash. I'm sure he could hire Tom Selleck to fly them around the <laughs> continental United States. Yeah, and then also, too, I mean, but, you know, here now, again, another another great sequence that was, it, it, it. you know, it seems like the whole thing with Famine was just more filler than anything else. It's mm -hmm. like we've got some great scenes for this book, but we need something else to kind of kill another 10 pages 
a great dream sequence of, yeah. of Steve Rogers yeah. and his nightmare of dealing with the Captain America, the government, you know, his own sense of self-worth. I, I like how how the, the the bureaucratic red tape becomes like Spider-Man's alien costume and it starts like in the bureaucratic red tape comes out of the hands and starts enveloping him and it turns into his the captain costume. Like that's some right. that's some really great imagery. And this is this is probably the first time in this story that we see like when he when it's like this mountain sized bureaucrat like he rips off the face and then it's Ronald Reagan and then he rips off the face and then it's his own face. They they make a mention to the Red Skull, but I feel like they still didn't know at this point that he was going to be the one behind the whole thing just yet. Right. And also, too, here again, this is kind of when it gets into the level of corny. I don't know if this was Grenwald's idea or whether or not this was something that Dwyer decided he wanted to do. But seriously, the the, the star-spangled boxer shorts, that that total. You got I mean, you know, to wear your boxer shorts, right? Oh, my God. I just, yeah, I mean, there's there's like cool, cute, and quaint, and then there's like damn near just hack level there's there's two extremes of hack, right? There's the Star Spangled boxer shorts, or there's like the Batman damned Batawang hackney thing, where he, <laughs> Batman doesn't have any Batman underwear, and you just see his little Johnson, and it causes his little bat outrage and uproar. Yeah, so so I mean I mean you, you know like if if it was just if it was just like plain like white boxer shorts, then then you'd have no complaints, right? Like that's is that what I'm getting? Or I think I think Cap would be a tidy whitey kind of guy. Okay, okay, then then plain tidy whiteys, you you go yeah, for that. I think that's okay. kind of where he would be at, you know, because because this was 1987 or 1988, depending on you know where we were sitting at, but the the, the boxer briefs weren't a thing yet. I think modern era, I think probably Black Widow or somebody would have hipped him to the wonder and awe that are boxer briefs. <laughs> and I awesome. think he would have easily converted to that. But yeah, as far as going the full star spangled boxer shorts, it's a little bit much. I think that's fair. That's absolutely that's, that's fair. just me. I was actually slightly amazed at how quickly Falcon and Nomad recovered from from Famine's attack. Well, I mean, it, it does say that they they were they were laid up for for weeks. So, eh, okay, well, I'll give it then. And then, of course, you know, we end off with Tony Stark bribing Captain America with the new with the new clear shield and all that type of stuff. So, Cap gets his shield back for a little while. Advanced spoilers. Keep your keep your eyes out, kids. Ironically, there's there's a bit of a. a a typo because the end blurb says it will be continued in Iron Man 238. But kids, the the next issue that me and TJ will be talking about will actually be 228. So just if if, if you're following along at home, it's it's not going to be 238. Like the end well, of the issue says. Nobody's perfect, Derek. Nobody's yeah. perfect. But yeah, and 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 the the cool dynamic here too is the fact that. You know, I don't I don't know how many people were always kind of taken aback by the Civil War movies or, you know, not Civil War movies, but the MCU movies and the fact that Civil War took place. And, oh, my God, Captain America and Iron Man don't get along. Anybody who's read the comics <laughs> for any length of time and knows any level of the history, it was very rare that Captain America and Iron Man ever actually got along philosophically. They were always they always had their differences. It wasn't anything new. And this this coming sub subplot story arc within Cap No More 
is just another indicative example of how these two definitely did not see eye to eye on things. Yeah, I, I, I think that's very true. I, I guess for me, like the, the, the only other stuff I have on this issue is just that I feel like Falcon thinks a lot about convincing Steve to like continue to fight against the bureaucrats, but like when he does voice it, it's kind of more meek, more meek than his thoughts, and and Steve never really gets convinced by it. So it's like it's like his heart is in the right place, and he he tries to sort of say, hey, why don't you you know why don't you fight back? Like why don't you stand up for yourself? Like in that way, he's a lot like like Bernie Rosenthal, you know, like they they're both you know they have his best interests at heart and they're kind of trying to push him in a certain direction but it's like he you know at this point in the the story run he he doesn't seem to be willing to to do what he views as something that would be damaging to his country you know for the sake of his his personal autonomy i guess yeah well you know and i've never i've personally i've never seen the falcon as being that kind of character that was you know overly exuberant about things and so i mm-hmm. don't know if it was a case of they were just writing towards that or if grenwald after receiving a bunch of hate mail regarding the lamar hoskins bucky wanted to pull back so falcon didn't come off as being some sort of militant anti-establishment angry black man yeah no because I, I i think i don't think falcon i don't feel like falcon at least in captain america titles was ever portrayed that way i think you know, we recently talked about one of those issues in the Avengers run, you know, when Guy Rich was overseeing them and he basically forced them to have Falcon as a member and everything. Yeah. And I think yeah. in there he seemed to have like kind of a chip on his shoulder. But that that's the only time I've ever really encountered that portrayal of the Falcon. And I, I don't think he comes across that way in here at all. You know, I just think to me, I just think it's interesting that he, he's constantly trying to sort of make recommendations to Steve and, and, and some of it seeps in and some of it doesn't, you know, cause Steve kind of, it, it's like, he doesn't ignore what the Falcon says, but he kind of goes his own way with it, you know, cause yeah. he's, he's sort of, you know, you know, he's kind of takes, trying to figure everything out. Takes it under advisement. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And I guess if anybody was, was interested in what happens to, to, to good old famine, you know, Miss Autumn Rolfson, as she was eventually named, like she's, you know, mostly she was an X-Factor villain during the, the course of, of these comics and everything. Like we mentioned, the, the aforementioned fall of the mutants tie-in and everything. But Yeah, because um, they, they kept believe... swapping out the horsemen, didn't they? I mean, they kept yeah, swapping yeah, out they, the horsemen, did. right? They did. Yeah, yeah I, I believe her most recent appearance was in Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force, The Dark Angel Saga. And I know, I think the fanals talked about that like a gazillion years ago, but I'm sure it's in some some backlog of our podcasts or whatever. But yeah, she does show up in the Dark Angel Saga in Uncanny X-Force. And that's that's basically all I have on, on 339 on the... America the Scorched.
right, so we're moving on, and we're moving on to Iron Man 228, which is a guest appearance of the Captain. It was a, it had a cover date of March 1988. It was on sale November 24th, 1987. The title of the story is Who Guards the Guardsmen? And, of course, the creative team on this is going to be a bit different. Uh, interestingly enough, Mark Grunewald is the editor on Iron Man 228, but the creative team, the writer is David Michelini, the penciler is Mark Bright, the plotter slash inker is Bob Layton, and the letterer is Janice Chang. The issue opens with the meeting between Tony Stark and Steve Rogers from Captain America 339, but from Tony Stark's perspective. Stark plans to continue his quote-unquote armor wars by using negator packs on the armored guardsmen stationed at the supervillain penitentiary known as The Vault. When Steve gets wind of Tony's plan, he asks him, as a friend, not to do this. Tony is unwilling to back down and sends James Rhodey Rhodes into the vault disguised as the Spider-Man villain Electro. Rhodey shuts down the vault's perimeter defenses, and the Silver Centurion Iron Man enters the vault. As the two knock out most of the staff, with PC2 gas, the captain quickly follows Iron Man into the vault and places on a gas mask. With only 12 of the 41 guardsmen on duty, Rhodey uses negator packs on all the off-duty suits. Iron Man manages to take out and negate four guardsmen, while Rhodey negates a fifth guardsman who gets the drop on him. Iron Man takes down six more guardsmen, when the captain arrives to stop him from negating the final guardsman. When the guardsman's air supply starts to run out, he begins to suffocate. As the captain removes his helmet, Iron Man immobilizes the captain with an electric charge. Though immobilized, the captain remains conscious as the two old friends lock eyes as Tony negates the final guardsman's suit of armor, effectively ending the longtime friendship between the two Avengers. In the epilogue, a vault maintenance crew discover that Mr. Hyde and Titania's cells are empty in the aftermath. So I, I, I didn't go totally in-depth on this one just because it's more of a tie-in to Armor Wars and it's more of an Iron Man story, but it does have a sort of a key moment, at least in the relationship between Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. And I know, you know, a, a lot of times when people are first getting into comics, maybe they, they have their their key moment where they, they see this dissension between the ranks. So, I mean, I think I would say, like, this is the first time I ever sort of saw that. You know, you, you've got the cover, you know, where it's kind of like Iron Man versus the Captain, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, friends no more, you know? So, I mean, uh, all I can say is that I'm, I'm a huge fan of this storyline in Iron Man. I'm a big fan of the run in Iron Man, you know, the the creative team, the Armor Wars in general, like MD Bright's pencils with Bob Layton's inks are really gorgeous and I think, you know, the moment where the towards the end, that moment where where he and, you know, Tony and Steve kind of lock eyes and he still moves forward with it anyway. I mean, that's that's a pretty epic moment and and and, and you it almost kind of freezes time you know where you're 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 seeing like that's the moment where 
you know, if, if, if it was a real friendship, like, and it wasn't the silical nature of comics where, you know, the Avengers get back together and they do the whole routine again, whether it's, you know, Kree scroll war where they have a sort of disagreement or, or civil war where they have a disagreement or, you know, or whatever galactic story. storm where they have, yeah, 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 yeah. Galactic storm or, you know, the, yeah, there's, or, or even in the, the Hickman run, they have this big knuckle drag out fight between the two of them. So like, like that, that's always going to be <laughs> part of that story process. But, you know, I, for me, this was the first time I'd ever encountered that disagreement and it, it, it definitely, you know, hit me like that. Th- this is, this is my introduction to that sort of, I guess, feud between, you know, Tony and, and Steve, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like back in the, like the, you know, like the maybe mid to late seventies, you would get little spatterings of that going on in some of the old Avengers stuff. But I, I really believe this was probably the first time where it was, I guess, delved into a little deeper you know, making the characters a little bit more richer. And that's kind of always been the thing with Marvel versus DC characters was the fact you had this type of thing that was the norm. You know, whereas Marvel re- or DC really didn't start doing that that type of stuff until, you know, what, the reboot after Crisis? Yeah, yeah like, yeah, post-Crisis type stuff. You know, the, the <laughs> mid-80s, they, they you had characters that were not necessarily all good friends or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about this this issue in particular is if you were a captain, if all you did was read Captain America, you didn't miss a whole lot by missing this issue. Yeah, yeah. You know, because, I mean, like, what, the first third of it is recapping, like, the last four pages of Captain of, of, of Cap Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's well done, and, and we'll even see in the follow-up issue, if you, if you were a Cap fan that missed this Iron Man issue, they do a pretty good job of getting you up to speed on what happened yeah. in this issue yeah. as well. Because. So, so, so it, it, it seems like they, they, they definitely have you covered either which way. If you're, if you're an Iron Man reader, you're brought up to speed on what's going on with Steve Rogers fairly quickly in four pages. And if you're a cap fan, if you miss out on this Iron Man issue, the, the next issue of cap kind of fills you in on, on the key moments of this issue as well. Right. Exactly. Going back. Cause I, 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 I can't honestly say whether this was the first time I, you know, going back and doing this, whether this was the first time I had read this issue or not. But there was definitely, you know, definitely some good stuff coming out of here. The cap issue really didn't explain how uh, the vault went into, like, power outage lockdown, which, as we see at the end of this issue, we start seeing, you know, the breakout of, of Titanium and Hyde, and then we find out other characters, you know, in, in the upcoming Cap issue. But that really wasn't explained how that happened in Captain America, whereas here we find out, yeah, Rhoda kind of fucked up. You know, Rhoda kind of ended up blowing the damn generator and, you know, causing more damage than what should have been. And, and the other time about this PT, or the, what was it, the PC2 gas? Yeah, I yeah. was looking this stuff up. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe this is like total contrived bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I mean. Because I was looking it, it up. I was, yeah, I was looking it up. I was trying to see if there was anything, you know, any I think, bounds I think of reality. If, in this. if you if you use gas to do this to somebody, there there would be more. Like, there, I don't think there's such a thing as, <clears throat> quote unquote, harmless knockout gas. It's like basically what they wanted was a way for, for, Tony Stark and and Rhodey to be in the moral clear. Their their intentions were to recover Tony's armor without injuring anybody who's working for the vault. That's a quote unquote 
good guy or a guy just doing their job. But I mean, it's the same moral conniptions you have when, you know, they try to enforce this whole, you know, like superheroes don't kill code thing. It's like, okay, Batman doesn't use guns, but he has high explosives in all of his batarangs. It's like, you can't control death if you're throw, tossing out high explosives. I mean, you know, like, like it's like you either just have to accept the caveat that they're all like the Lone Ranger, that they're all such great sharpshooters that, that all he does is shoot the gun out of someone's hand rather than shoots their hand off or, you know, accidentally, you know, shoots them in the throat or whatever, right? Like, you either have to accept that caveat that they're all superheroes and they're so perfect that they don't hurt other people or, like, this, you know, mythical gas is so great that it it doesn't have any lasting effects. It's not like it's not like all the guardsmen don't end up with, like, you know, brain tumors or or irrevocable damage from being gassed right it's like in real life you know when they use gas in wartime scenarios you know it's like agent orange it affects people for years after that right like it's like you know the 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 firemen that that are all you know horribly affected by you know all the the smog and and smoke and everything from 9-11 it's like you know there's no there's no such thing as like magical gas that just you know you know, I mean, I suppose you could say, like, what is it like? What do they always use to knock out a Wonder Woman? It's like they, they use, like, the, the alcohol or whatever it's called. It's like, oh, it's, Jesus, yeah. You, you know I what I mean? Remember. Like, like, like yeah. that's true, but there's there's no way to to gasify that, right? Like, like anesthesia or whatever. It's not like, it's not like you can just magically be like, and there's little sprinkles of angel anesthesia dust, you know, but that that's what this was supposed to be, I think. Like some yeah. some way to sort of have. I, I was curious. Like I, I I've always known you were a huge Captain America fan. I, I was curious. Like how much into Iron Man did you ever get into? And and did this did this issue lead you to stay away from Iron Man because of what he did to Cap? Or or did this issue make you curious to check out Iron Man for a little bit at all? No, I mean, you know, it, it was kind of tough growing up where I lived at. It was kind of I had two places that I could go to to get comic books that were within a relatively close distance. And with that being said, it, it was kind of one of those deals where if the comics were there, great. If not, you ended up missing out. So there were a lot of of times where, you know, uh, uh, Captain America, Iron Man, you know, all these all these t titles that I would have loved to have checked out just weren't there, you know. And so but there was always Spider-Man. There was always Batman. There was, you know, always the big ones. It was just kind of whatever the distributors dropped off to the to the convenience store or the grocery store, whatever it may be. So I it was kind of one of those deals where because of all the the the, the comics that I could get, I was always aware of the characters and I always knew who they were and kind of what what was going on. That's one great, again, one great thing Marvel always did was make sure you, they, they, they always went with the edict that every comic book is somebody's first comic book. You know, so one of the cool things was if you did get a random issue of Iron Man right on the cover, you know, you had your splash page, but right above that was the little text box that gave the quick origin synapsis of the, the hero of the story that you're reading. And so Iron Man, it was always kind of one of those guys where, 
And I think I think what may have turned me off from collecting him in the 80s was the fact that there was that long ass period right after Demon in the Bottle where Tony Stark wasn't Iron Man. Mm. He was Rhodey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, not from a racial standpoint, but from a standpoint of if Tony Stark is an Iron Man, it's not going to be something I'm going to want to check out. You got to remember, you're talking about the logic of like an eight or nine year old kid here. And it's kind of like, well, and then when the, the Silver Centurion armor came out, it, I was kind of like, well, I mean, this isn't the, the Iron Man that I grew up with. You know, mm. I like the I like the old red and gold. So then I, I kind of faded off of, of the Silver Centurion. So there was I don't I don't think I really think the only time I kind of roundabout collected or really got into Iron Man was during John Romita Jr.'s run. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. Right around okay. that time. Yeah. Armor Wars <laughs> too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it's funny. Like those those were the 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 storylines that I keyed in on. Cause I, I remembered really liking armor wars. Cause I, I bought a few of that, of those issues off the newsstand and then, and then sort of followed that story. And I, I guess I'm kind of the inverse from you, you know, like I, even though I quote unquote grew up with, you know, I saw like say the golden red armor on cartoons or, you know, I had the secret wars action figure with the golden red armor. I, I found the silver centurion armor. Like that's, that's probably like my favorite Iron Man armor. So I, I, I somehow really, it, it made an impression on me, you know, like I imprinted on it and, and it just kind of stuck with me. Whereas I think, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm hard pressed to say what other Iron Man stories I was, you know, fond of outside of that range at the time, because I think, to me, it was always that that silver centurion armor. So it's like I, I and I don't know that I necessarily followed Iron Man as much as I followed Captain America, but I, I did enjoy like the Iron Man armor wars type stuff. And then, you know, because you were talking about the Ramita Jr. or what they call like the the big boots armor or whatever, you know, like I right. I remember yeah. getting that just because they put the subtitle of Armor Wars too, and I remembered how much I like the original Armor Wars. And what's funny is I don't think they ever really wanted to call it that, but clearly that marketing totally worked on me because I, I, I picked it up because it said Armor Wars too. Yeah, and I mean, that was it was a weird time for for Iron Man and Tony Stark because what you had the the psycho chick that shot him so he was crippled for a while. Yeah, yeah. He had his big old mullet, and then like you said, you know, he had the overemphasized boots and gloves and all that type of stuff. And and then, you know, there he is in his glorious permed mullet, you know, and <laughs> it was yeah, it, yeah. it was just a weird ass how I would love to have seen if they would have done some kind of I don't know, multi if they do any kind of multiverse. Like I would love to see Tony Stark or uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Oh with, permed, with the in a permed mullet in a mullet. permed mullet that would be fantastic wow. wow yeah that's that's a little tough to imagine but, but yeah that'd be funny you know as we were sitting there talking about you know the heroes don't kill and you know the right code and all that type of stuff you know heroes don't kill but apparently according to this issue of iron man it's okay to drop an elevator on a motherfucker yeah yeah well see we're, that yeah that's 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 these these kind of little caveats to the rule or things that people don't seem to to think about like because you know it's like you you can you can toss an elevator on somebody but that's not the same thing as you know shooting them or whatever he'll, you know he'll be okay he's just knocked out and <laughs> and then you got like okay at the very end of the issue you got this guardsman where okay the the filtration system on his armors you know only gets 30 minutes so he has to take the 
the deal off. But boy, I'll I'll give you I'll give you my 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 rebreather. So then, you know, this will give you a chance to, you know, not breathe the poisonous PC two air. What the what the hell ever? I mean, it was the the ending was just kind of really goofy on that end of it. Because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, but what about all the other guardsmen who have probably now choked to death because nobody took their fucking helmets off? Yeah, you know, I bet I bet Tony and Rhodey didn't think about that one as much shit as I've been giving the greater Marvel universe for for how the government is really just kind of taking a big shit on 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 poor Lamar and the whole bar- Battlestar thing and just and just really driving home all of that. Rhodey having to dress up in white face. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess I get. I don't know if there were letters about that or not. Like it was funny because I I hadn't read this in a long time, and I I was kind of like, well, wait a minute, what, what does Electro have to do? And I went, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I, I, I had that, that, that serious because I had forgotten that he disguised himself as Electro, and I just kind of went, oh. They yeah. whitewashed Rhodey. Yeah, literally, I guess. He he was like Eddie Murphy in that one SNL skit, I guess. You know. See, and you'd figure, you know, the, the best way to work around that, you remember, it, 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 here's here's where in hindsight, there there is the easiest way that if the genius that was Mark Grenwald, because he, he knew everything that was going on in Marvel Comics. I mean, he was, you know, he was, he was Mr. Handbook of the Marvel Universe and all that stuff. Why didn't they just use that image inducer that they gave to Nightcrawler so he could look like Errol Flynn instead of a, a Blue Demon when he was out and about right, on the table. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You could have come up with other other things, uh, or I'm sure I'm sure uh, you know they could have had some dialogue about, oh, hey, that Shi'ar image inducer that the X Men are always using. You know, uh, Tony Stark. You know, what do they call it? Reverse engineered his own Stark tech. Some some such nonsense. And then Here, that here's my here's my holographic hula gig. Yeah. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll go ahead. We can't do it for the full body, but we can cover up that part of the mask of your face. You know, I mean, it could have done something instead of yeah, just having him yeah. just having him rub off a gallon of Maybelline and call it a day. <laughs> uh, Maybe it's Maybelline. Yeah, awesome. I wasn't born this way. Well, it's all. Cap 340, April 1988 is the cover date. On sale date is December 8th, 1987. Uh, Editor Ralph Macchio, the story title is Breakout, and we'll just uh, regale you with the, the Cap creative team as it's been going. Writer... Mark Grunewald, penciler Kieran Dwyer, inker Al Milgram, letterer Jack Morelli, colorist Bob Sharon. In the aftermath of the vault break-in, the captain and crew, the traveling Wilburys, 
are headed back to Los Angeles so Steve can return the adamantium shield to Tony Stark. Meanwhile, with the power out at the vault, Titania and Mr. Hyde spearhead a breakout at the vault. Their escape is followed by the armadillo, vibro, and the griffin. The griffin and the falcon have an aerial battle while the captain smashes his cap cycle into the front of Titania and Mr. Hyde's getaway truck. Nomad is run off the road, but manages to knock Vibro off a cliff. Titania jumps from the getaway truck as the captain slams his shield through the windshield into Mr. Hyde's throat. D-Man tries to stop Titania, but is outclassed and tossed into the air like a ragdoll. Luckily, the Falcon catches D-Man and uses his momentum to knock out the Griffin. The captain defeats Mr. Hyde and saves him from falling to death at the same time. D-Man, who was nearly killed by Titania moments earlier, decides to let her escape instead of pursuing her. To the captain's surprise, Vagabond manages to convince the Armadillo to turn himself in to the authorities. And that pretty much is the events of Captain America 340. Of course, the cover blurb says, Breakout! And this is another Ron Friends cover that he will continue to be doing covers up until issue 350. Like we were talking about before, the first like three pages or so, they recap Iron Man 228 in case you were not an Iron Man reader. And then I've got a couple other notes on some of the, the characters and events in the issue. But uh, are, are there other things you want to go into in this in this issue? The big thing is this was the first issue of this run that I that I started with. Oh, OK. This this was my this was my intro into becoming the cap, the, the, the diehard cap fan that I became my fandom and love of of Kieran Dwyer and and also now now we get a really shit on Al Milgram don't we yeah <laughs> you don't want to shit on him do you it's okay we won't I'll let it be <laughs> I'll let it be it's okay it's just a personal thing uh, no, no, no. I mean I mean you you can you can say your piece on it I mean you you've mentioned it already a little bit but I mean is there something uh, particularly egregious in in this particular issue I mean, not in this issue, but just overall, it's kind of one of okay. those things where his, his it's just his inks don't give Karen Dwyer's art justice. Like for for all you kids, if you want to check out, probably in my mind, the best penciler inker combo when it comes to Karen Dwyer, I want to say I believe it was Danny Bulandy, and this would have been around the time of Acts of Vengeance, mm. and I think they only had like maybe a three to five issue run together. Oh, but God, he he made he made Dwyer's pencils just awesome, awesome. That's where you really want to check out the good stuff. Here, it just he just makes it kind of blocky and 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 thick and a little bit muddy. But again, that's just my you know type of thing with it. It just doesn't give Dwyer's pencils near as much justice as they could have. That that's all. Still beautiful artwork. Still a great story going on. But I mean, this was my encounter, and I think I think probably what drew me to this issue was the fact that, you know, again, I, I had received the Captain America, the new, introducing the all-new Captain America and Bucky. I got that issue, like, I think my dad for Christmas had gotten me one of those, like, a Sears catalog order, you know, 50 pack, you know, a, com, a pack of 50 oh, comic books okay. type okay. of deal, right? And it came with a bunch of different stuff. I mean, you had that, yeah, I had a bunch of Web of Spider-Man, and, you know, just there was a bunch of different issues that were in there. But that was the first one. I was like, oh, so they got rid of Steve Rogers' Captain America, huh? Okay, well, I'll tune out of that. And then I see the cover of 340, and there he is in the Captain outfit, 
And I'm like, wait a second. What, what the hell is going on here? Why is why did they switch Captain America Black? What's going on? And then I pick up the issue. I'm like, oh, okay. So they, they're, they're still doing something with Steve Rogers. And 350 is coming up. So, okay. All right. I kind of see where they're going with this. Picked it up, checked it out. And then at that point, it was just, you know, it was off to the races. I was I was immediately sold. I do like how, you know, the, the follow-up and the aftermath of the break-in. And and really, you know, kind of like how you said Iron Man kind of took Iron Man's perspective on it. And this one, boy, in, in, in the cap issue here, I mean, they they really... They, between this and the and the follow up issue here, they just really shit on Tony Stark and yeah. just really make him to be a douchebag in these. I mean, I, I the, to me like that's something I've always found interesting about you know reading someone's ongoing title because I I tend to think that's fair. I'm like you don't you don't kick somebody's ass in their own comic book, you know, like so to speak, you know. But but in this case, like like. This is not Tony Stark's comic book, so if if they're gonna have a venue to, I guess, shit on Tony Stark, like th- this is probably the right venue for it. Like you wouldn't want sure, them to yeah. do it in his own book, right? Like, but but here maybe they can get away with with a little bit more as far as that goes. I you know th- this issue stands out to me mainly because it brings back like fun memories of editing like history of comics on film videos because I think this is I singled this issue out because. To, to me, it's like where the cap cycle dies, you know, like if I was doing the, the Overstreet Price Guide, if I was writing it, I would have been like Cap 340, Death of Cap Cycle, you know, because he, <laughs> he, 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 he rides the cap cycle like straight into the, the truck and everything. And like, I'm like, and that's the last that you see of the, the official Captain America cycle where it was like the, the, the I think it was like the, the souped up, you know, red, white and blue type more or whatever Harley Davidson yeah yeah so so you never you never see that after this point and again like (laughs) like it's it's interesting because you you talked about the the elevator too I I I feel like the end of this issue is a little hokey because you're like oh well Cap goes back to save Hyde from falling but I kind of feel like if this was a modern comic book he would have just let Hyde fall because you know, Mr. Hyde fights guys like Thor and the Hulk and all this kind of stuff. So so I, I would think they'd try to play it off as like, well, he'll be fine because he's like, you know, super strong or whatever. Like, I, I'm not going to, like, help him back up. Whereas in this, they, they kind of seem to indicate if he had fallen from that height, like that could have killed him. So and then, and then he he basically helps him back up as far as that goes. Yeah. Cripple Jarvis, you know, broke my fucking legs. I'd let you up, but now, you know what, motherfucker? You don't destroy a man's bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it yeah, sends him plummeting to his doom. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I get it. But I, I I think at the end of the day, I mean, you know, we can always write this off as he wanted to make sure that, you know, if you drop him off a cliff, yeah, he survives, but then do the vault, does the vault guys get him back into lockup? Right, right, yeah. You know, so, true. I mean, I can, you know, realistically, I can, I can see it, but... You know, here again, as as a longtime comic book fan, and you know this as well as I do, you have to come up with ways to explain bullshit and loopholes. You yeah, have to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Hyde would go on to like be a thorn in the side of the Serpent Society, and they probably wanted to, you know, Grunewald probably wanted to make use of the character later, so that's why he was not, you know, just sort of written out or whatever. I I kind of like most of the villains. I think I I've. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with except for you know i guess vibro is mainly an iron man villain so <laughs> i i don't know that i'm as familiar with vibro as the other characters like i knew yeah see i, I knew, 
Yeah. I didn't remember Vibro at all. I had yeah. no idea who the hell he was. Yeah, he's he's an Iron Man villain. Titania, I knew pretty well from Secret Wars. And then, you know, anytime she showed up with the Absorbing Man after that, like she was in, you know, Amazing Spider-Man and She-Hulk and other titles like that. Right. Armadillo was, was pretty much a, a Captain America bad guy. And he, he kind of like, reminds yeah. me... He kind of reminds me of like when they would try to portray the rhino as like this sweet, sensitive soul trapped in a monster body, you know, and, and with him, you, they kept that fairly consistent, too. Whereas, I, you know, I see people online argue it's like in one comic, rhinos, you know, murdering guys left and right with his rhinoceros horn. And then in another comic, it's like, oh, woe is me. You know, I love my wife or, you know, whatever, however they try to portray him. Right. So it's yeah, like, and then you, you like have deadly foes. He's just a moron who can't spell. And right. Yeah. Right. So, so it, it, they, they have these conflicting sort of, I guess, you know, caricatures of the character, but Armadillo seemed like it was mainly just written by Grunewald, and he seemed fairly consistent. Like, he was a big dumb guy. He was intensely strong, but it it was never... I, I, I don't think he was ever... <laughs> let's just say, I, I like the end to this, where Vagabond gets her little win, convincing Armadillo to return to prison, because it made sense to me. I mean, it, it seems to keep in line with Armadillo's character, because he was always, I mean, even in, in his initial appearance, the reason why he went wild and started tearing up the city was because he was swayed by a pretty face, right? And, and right. in this, he's again sensitive and susceptible to a pretty face, but it turns out to be you know, a, a good thing, right? This this pretty face sort of kindly convinces him to surrender to the authorities, whereas in the other case, the pretty face betrayed him, and that's why he was, you know, running around tearing up the city, so. Yeah, and and also, too, I mean, you, you know, as we go back, we talk about the Wilburys here. There was some actually some really good, decent character development yeah, amongst yeah. the team in here, too. You've got D-Man, who now becomes gun-shy about getting into fights with any yeah, of the heavy, yeah. the heavy hitters because, you know, Titania throws him off a fucking cliff, and when he recovers and he's getting up, he sees her again and then fucking hides while she saunters off. It's like, oop, dodged a one there. So then all of a sudden we start thinking of D-Man as a, you know, maybe he's got that coward thing going on. And now, granted, it's not like this is like some major love triangle thing that was ever really explored very much or you know anything along those lines but the jealousy between nomad and d or well the jealousy nomad has for d-man right really right. you know it's, it's kind of been building up and really this is kind of the midway point because it's during the snake war that it, it really you know really starts creeping up but you know i mean just some great character development that went on and you know key moments for the characters not just for cap's motorcycle yeah. In this in this in this issue, you know, arguably you could point this issue out to be a reason why if if, if somebody pointed to this issue as why they don't like D-Man as opposed to, you know, future characterizations of, you know, homeless D-Man or 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 Scourge D-Man or Jewel Thief D-Man or whatever craziness they ended up doing with them later, which I don't really care about. Like if somebody said to me, yeah, I, I didn't like the way they 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 handled them here. Like I could say, OK, fine. But I mean, again, I, I think like you mentioned before, the Marvel characters, they're they're not perfect. They have flaws. This this, this is a guy who's super earnest and, and trying to, you know, do the right thing and, and be a partner for Cap. And th this is his first probably experience with almost immediately dealing with probably like post-traumatic stress. And so he, he decides not to pursue <laughs> Titania. But I mean, I think 
some of his actions later, he, he, you know, clearly maybe to his own detriment overcomes some of that, you know? So it's like, I, in some ways it's probably foreshadowing for what's to come, but also, you know, it's not like he stays static as, you know, I guess if if you were going to label him as cowardice, you know, or a coward, right? He does not stay that way as the story continues either. Right, right. And, you know, and like I said, it's just, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just really good building blocks. And, I mean, it's a shame that there's not a lot of it that really gets pursued much, you know, beyond, beyond this story arc. Because everybody just kind of dissipates, disappears, you know. But, but for what it was, you know, being self-contained, really good character development that, that kind of keeps you engrossed all the way through. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the the and then the only other villain in this is the the Griffin, who I pretty much remember mostly from John Byrne's <laughs> Namor run because he ends up like sort of taming it as as a pet, which is weird because I think I think before it, it became mindless, like it was actually you know a person. Do you know what I mean? And it just looked like a beast. Yeah, but then here, here at some again, point is... it turned into a beast. Yeah, and see, this is one of those characters that probably came out like in the the late seventies, mid to late seventies, early eighties that I never ever saw. So I had no investment. I had no idea where this character came from or what its history was or anything. I mean, it works as far as like you know, it gives the Falcon. You know, like I guess if the argument is you have to have Aquaman do something in the water, you know, you probably have to have Falcon do. something in the air and, and the Griffin fits that bill too. So it's, it's probably a good villain to pair off the Falcon with as far as the, the battles in the story go. Right. Right. Yeah. Falcon. The Falcon is the Traveling Wilburys is Aquaman. Wow. <laughs> Captain America 341. This actually has sort of three little story segments, and I'll, I'll go through all of them, and then and then we'll discuss it. The cover date of Captain America 341 is May 1988. The on-sale date is January 12th, 1988. The editor is Ralph Macchio, and on the first, second, and third story, the credits are writer Mark Grunewald, penciler Kieran Dwyer, Al Milgram, Jack Morelli, and Bob Sharon. The story A, we'll call it, is titled Break-In. Steve Rogers is waiting for Tony Stark when he comes home to his Pacific Coast mansion so he can return the adamantium shield Stark created for him and bring him to justice for the attack on the vault. Although the captain reveals that Stark's break-in resulted in the escape of five super criminals, Tony quickly dons his Silver Century and Iron Man armor and refuses to come quietly. Iron Man ultimately subdues the captain with a high-density beam from his chest armor. Rogers concludes that his own priorities take precedence over bringing Iron Man in and that it could give Stark an opportunity to restore his tarnished honor. The second story we'll call uh, Story B is titled Free Speech. 
Along with his new heater shield from Captain America 339, Lamar Hoskins finally gets a new code name and a new look as Battlestar. <laughs> the change was spurred by a black vault guard taking Lamar aside to let him know that while the name Bucky is fitting for a young white kid from the 40s, the name for a large black man could be construed as the offensive term Buck. Later that afternoon, the new Captain America and his partner Battlestar are introduced to the public at the Washington Monument. Before anyone knows what's happening, John and Lamar's old buddies Hector and Jerome arrive in a low-flying helicopter as costumed interlopers, right-winger and left-winger. Right-winger exposes the new Captain America as John Walker to the entire nation and attacks him with the Super Patriot's old knife torch. Left-winger exchanges blows with Battlestar. Just before the confrontation gets really heated, the Secret Service, after getting all the politicians in attendance to safety, grab and arrest Hector and Jerome. This leaves the new Captain America and Battlestar left to wonder how their public relations department will handle this debacle and if the public will hold this upset against them. And finally, story C is titled in our midst, as Sidewinder's Serpent Society gathers to introduce its newest members, it is revealed that Ferdelance and the new members are double agents working for Viper's Serpent Society. Viper disguises herself as Sidewinder's woman, Black Mamba, and poisons him with a venomous bite. Sidewinder manages to teleport away, where Diamondback is able to feed him some antitoxin to counter the poison's effects. With no one left to trust, Diamondback calls the Captain America hotline. And those are the A, B, and C storylines. And literally, they're all separate storylines, individual little kind of eight-page stories. I guess, again, we're, we're kind of back to the whole Captain America and Iron Man being at odds thing. I, I think it's funny because you, you're seeing that either Steve Rogers or maybe it's Mark Grunewald comes to the conclusion he can't put the entire book on hold for, for Steve Rogers to hunt down Tony Stark, Iron Man. And even if he did, like, something that would happen in Captain America's book, like I said, you, you can't kick, you know, someone's ass in their own book. And, and, and maybe an extension of that is, you know, something that monumentous happening in Captain America's book could not alter the direction of Iron Man's title, or at least back in the day at this particular time. Yeah, and I mean you've got such a because like I say you say you got you got the cap thing going on in cap, you've got Iron Man thing going on there, and you have the nice little interaction. But like you said, you can't just stop what the hell we got going on here to go and and to go that route with that. It yeah, I mean granted, it makes it a little bit easier because Grenwald's the editor of one book and the writer of the other. But at the but but. As far as the the, the the 341, him giving the shield back, they have their little tussle, and you know, it just says, I'm 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 going, you'll never find me, Cap. And he's like, Yeah, he's got more money, I'll never be able to find him. But we'll cross paths again soon, Tony. You know, and I, 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 okay, that's that's good enough. So it was a it was a nice little capper, pardon the pun. It was a nice little capper to the the crossover that was going on. And I thought it I thought it ended it off as nicely as you could. Yeah. I mean, I think as much as I 
like Captain America and appreciate Captain America. I mean, I think a fight between Captain America and Iron Man one-on-one when they're both at their peak is still pretty one-sided, you know, and, and they did not really shy away from that either. I mean, you know, Iron Man was, was fairly easily able to incapacitate Steve Rogers despite, you know, circumstances, you know, so, yeah. I mean... I mean, let's be know, honest here. Yeah. yeah. That's like so, when everyone says, oh... Superman versus Batman. Come on, let's right, let's right, really right. be honest here. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not. I mean, if, 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 if Iron Man's at full power, like that's it's, it's it's not a question, right? So, yeah. I guess th- this is something that that I'd be keen to discuss with you. Like, th- I like I like the way, uh, or I like Battlestar's new costume, but I think especially on that first splash page in this issue, like I I feel like. I can see the influence of of John Byrne, you know, his his former stepfather, like like in that particular splash page, like the way the the barrel chests are and kind of that. Like, I, I think this is a little bit before maybe he came into his own or at least, you know, really solidified in developing his own style, because I can I can definitely see the influence there. But I'm curious how, how you view view that and, and how you interpret it. You know, you you can see it kind of all the way through. I mean, not even just with that, but like certain certain facial close-ups, mm-hmm. you can definitely see a hint of burnism kind of yeah going on there. Um, so you could you could definitely tell. You know, this that, this was since it was a splash page, it was just easy for me to to single out. I think the one thing I will disagree with you on though, ah, God, that bad that battle star outfit is just. The ass end of ugly. Ugh. Oh, you don't, you don't like it. You don't like the uh, what, what do they call the um, what do they call the the ice cream that's like red, white, and blue, like the the little from the ice cream man, the little yeah, I, 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 rocket rocket pop or whatever. The, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what ne- it looks the like. The Neapolitan superhero. Right. Yeah. Right. I just, I mean, from a design aspect, you know, I get it. Red, white, and blue for what it is, it's good. But and I know they they kind of did later incarnations with it as well, where they kind of changed it up a little bit here and there. It's serviceable for what it is, but at the end of the day, and and, and again, you're talking 1988 here, so it's a little more forgiving for the time frame. But as we're talking almost 30 years later, this shit's ugly. I guess what I'm curious then is is compared to say the traveling Wilburys, like like you you think this costume is worse than any of theirs? Okay comparatively speaking for 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 level of okay let's go ahead we'll, we'll let's, let's talk let's talk Wilbury's wardrobe here shall we yeah yeah captain the captain's outfit one of the coolest fucking character redesigns ever ever done yeah yeah I it's agree. A, it, and it, it's a damn shame it just went to be to, to us agent and then fell into obscurity uh, uh the captain outfit by far was amazing the falcon's outfit is a classic and it, it was it was a grand improvement over that ugly hunter green and yellow oh, thing the, that he was, green he was thing. he was originally sporting back in the day. Again, for the eighties and the nineties, the Falcon outfit was very serviceable. Looked looked good. I was okay with that outfit. We talked Nomad. Much improved over his yellow caped superhero look. Now you've got him, he's like in a in a badass bullet, you know, kind of Kevlar line jacket, you know, nice tights, no, no, no cape. So you know, some villain can just go ahead and grab the cape and pull him back or anything like that. Use the cape against him. I've always I've never understood the point of capes. Because they to me, capes are more of a detriment as a suit. 
I mean, especially for somebody who's like a street level guy, right? Exactly. Exactly. Get get that shit out of there. And I think I think Nomad's costume or outfit or uniform, whatever you want to call it, grand improvement over over what he was sporting back in the in the Mike Zek era. So that brings us down to D-Man versus Battlestars. Who's got the uglier outfit? <laughs> I mean, now, for me, I like D-Man, so I'd go with D-Man as the better outfit. But and then and then the outfit is <coughs> is is influenced by you know pretty clearly you know the, uh, the Daredevil and and Wolverine. So it, that's influ- influence is being rather nice when you well, say that. Okay, no, okay, okay. Uh, Frankenstein from Wolverine and Daredevil. He, He's lucky. Dennis Dumphy is lucky he didn't get his ass sued because my because Matt fucking Murdoch's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't using that outfit at the time. Him and him and Logan had some copyright, you know, some gimmick infringement. You know, they they had some shit. They could have fucking made made yeah. some money. Use it, use it or lose it, Murdoch. Use it or lose it. <laughs> it fell into public domain. <laughs> but yeah, no. So. But here you've got really one of the most disjointed costumes. But it was serviceable for what it was. In my mind, Battlestar's outfit is uglier and more garish than the D-Man outfit. So to answer your question, the, the entirety of the Wilburys versus Battlestar... Wilburys win. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I, I, I expected that because you, you seem to feel really strongly about it. So, I mean, I never, I, I, I guess I never really, you know, thought to, to, I, I never had a lot of ill will towards, towards Battlestar's outfit. I mean, it, well, uh, I mean, I, I, ill will is a little bit strong to say. I'm just, it is, it's just ugly. It, it's you know? just, it's just, it's just not your thing. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just, eh, we could have done better. We could have done better. I'm just saying. You got, you got how many, how many Marvel guys? I, I don't even know who the who the actual artist was or who the person was that designed that outfit, but I can guarantee they could have done better. Left winger and right winger. How apropos of a villain can you possibly have? This is this is the, 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 these are the names and 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 villains that could only come up, you know, be come up by a wrestling promoter or manager. Ethan Thurm, God love you. Yeah. Ya. yeah. I mean, I mean, this fight gets brutal pretty early on, and it kind of telegraphs like the, the the subsequent battles that that Walker will have with the characters. So, I mean, from from that perspective, it works as far as like setting up what what is to come. I I mean, I guess the fact that the the Secret Service, you know, it, it's one of these eight pagers where they had to wrap things up. So I guess it's a little convenient that it just kind of gets the kibosh put on it pretty early on. If they're supposed to be as, you know, enhanced, you know, like with the the, the whole powers as as they are. But uh, I mean, otherwise, I you know, it's it's an OK eight page sequence. I mean, it does what it's supposed to do, I think. I mean, you know, I, I guess I don't know. We we don't need to harp on this, but but just in case it's not clear, I mean, the the the, the letters that they were getting sent, uh, like the 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 little sort of semi flashback or explanation of 
Battlestar's new name and costume. You know, they they it's almost as if the the letter column writer's voice is this security guard, right? Like that that he's taking him aside and saying, "Hey, I know you I know you didn't know this, but you know, but by the way, you know, like this is uh, the, 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 it could be construed as offensive and everything. And then you know, Lamar is basically almost you know standing in for Grunwald, where it's like, well, I didn't know that. I will change that immediately. You know, like, and that's right. kind of the end right. of that. You know, like, yeah. I mean, the story, granted, you know, it's 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 granted. Yeah, it's only eight pages, but if you think about it, what like like what my old English teacher used to say is the good stories are like a bikini. They just cover the important parts. And so here you've got the acknowledgement of the, the the faux pas that was Bucky and changing it around. So now that's rectified. You set up John Walker's descent into psychopathic madness with the right winger and left winger outing him as the new Captain America, which as we proceed through more issues, we tend to see what those ramifications end up being, and they actually end up being very serious ramifications for both John Walker, Captain America, as well as the left and the right winger. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I mean, just all around, this was, I thought, like a lot of people, like maybe when this first, when this issue first came out, they probably may have slept on this a little bit and not realizing how important these eight pages were to yeah, the overall yeah. story. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess just a, just a final a final jab in the side for the whole Battlestone thing or Battlestar thing. I'm reading too many Image Comics. Battlestar <laughs> thing. Let's. I, I want to hear TJ's opinion. Like w- instead of the Wilburys versus the new Battlestar design, like wh- what do you think of Lamar in the Bucky outfit versus Lamar in the Battlestar outfit? Like, what's your uh... take on that? Since you're not, since you're not a fan of the battle, like, does it at least do the job of, of, of like being serviceable compared to him dressed up in like you know the the '40s Bucky outfit? In compared to the '40s Bucky outfit, yes. Okay. Compared to the '40s Bucky outfit, a far far better situation. Cause yeah, yeah, but it, if you harken back, if you're any kind of a longtime comic book reader, you just think of Bucky as or again. You think of like a 14-year-old boy in that outfit, a 14-year-old white kid. Now you've got like a six-foot-six black dude who's all jacked up. Right, right. It, just, it, it, it looks like cosplay gone wrong. So at the end of the day, I will take the Battlestar. For, for Lamar, I will take the Battlestar <laughs> outfit over the Bucky outfit. Okay, okay. Is there a, like, like, what would you do for... Battlestar, like if you if if you were in charge, like like would you just make tweaks to the the newer thing, or would you have gone in like a completely different direction? Like like what would you like to see as far as at the time, yeah, like like at the time or now? Well, I mean, at the time, were you also unhappy with it? I thought it was ugly as hell at that time too. Yeah, yeah. So so either way, that doesn't really matter to me. Like what. What what would have what would have made it not for, ugly as hell for you for, for the time for the time period? Get rid of that collar. Okay. Shoulder pads and lots of pockets. Oh, okay. You would you would have done more of a Liefeldian kind of approach. I, th- to I it? thought I would I thought I would have gotten a much bigger laugh off of that one. <laughs> I I was taking you seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, I mean, I mean, I, 
I think probably like if it, if it would have been something more, like, I mean, not time framing it or anything, but just saying an overall better design structure on it, you know, maybe keep the red and blue color scheme of the Bucky outfit, perhaps, but give it more of a more of a feel of the modern Captain America movies where it fits more like kind of like not battle armor, but, you know, is a little uh, more militarized, like, yeah, like, kind of yeah. more of like a Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. outfit or something, you know? Yeah, I'm, 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 you know, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm just trying to think, you know, something like, say, you know, Age of Ultron Avengers or Winter Soldier of it, you okay. know, Winter Soldier Cap, okay. where it's kind of like, I mean, just a, you know, big and buff, you know, it's, it's, you know, just a flak jacket, something that would make him look a little more badass as opposed to, you know, being looking like he's dressed up and ready to go to an ABBA concert. I just, okay. You know, do you, not, do you not think, so bright, not so garish. Okay, so Cut you think maybe maybe you would have toned down the 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 four color aspect of it a little yeah. bit? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, like I said, I get it. Like like if all you're having him do is going out and doing you know press conferences and rallies and just wanting to be like a symbol as opposed to somebody that you actually want to go out on the field and conduct missions. You know, a spokesman, okay, fine. You want to have that Yankee, you know, you want to have it be that, that's fine. But if you're trying to do any level of covert operations, you know, poor Lamar's sticking out like a sore thumb. Maybe that was their plan. Maybe this is, once again, the government taking a big shit on Lamar. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Draw all the attention, draw all the bullets and the attention to Lamar so nobody, nobody, nobody really focuses on on John Walker. Yeah. Maybe it's a conspiracy. I, I think if you actually think about it, though, like left winger and right winger's costumes are pretty awful and garish. And I don't know that they necessarily make sense to me either. Like, I mean, it, I guess if you were trying to come from the whole like, like, shouldn't they be red and blue instead of orange and blue? Like, if you were really going with that, that theme. But I guess. I mean- yeah, it could. And I think maybe the orange and blue or the orange and purple, whatever color aspect it is. I, I, I don't think it, it it is as garish. And I think maybe it's just because of the red. Mm. You know, cut cut the red back and make it more of an accent as opposed to, you know, a primary, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah you know, like sense. Captain, you look at Captain America's outfit, the red is an accent color. The blue is the primary. Yeah, no, no, no. I get what you're saying because because that that on on Battlestar the red is definitely a prominent feature of his his arms and chest and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, I, I understand far, that. As far as the overall design, the left and right winger costumes, I love them. I love okay. the design okay. of the outfit, and I can I'll I'll side with you. You know, I'll give I'll give I'll take I'll give concession with you on the fact that maybe they could have went with a better color scheme. But as far as his overall design for the outfit, I think it was, I think it fits perfect. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, like two halves of the like, same toy, right yeah, winger, yeah. left winger, you know? Right, right. Now, yeah. now, as far as the names on it, boy, I just, <laughs> for a 12 year old, you don't really get it. But yeah. if those characters were introduced nowadays, oh boy. I wonder, I wonder how, I wonder how left winger and right winger as a duo would go over with the public. We, we see Tear. what happens to him in this story. So tearing, I mean. tearing up Captain America, Cap, tearing up Captain America, left wing, left wing and right wing, doing damage to America. Where have we heard that one before? Right, right. I think it's it's a little subtle thing that Grunwald was 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 putting, but but as a kid you probably didn't get it, but as an adult it means it has another layer to it. 
Yeah, as an adult, it's about as subtle as Rhodey dropping an elevator on a guardsman. <laughs> yeah. So how about let, let's not neglect the the Serpent Society segment, which I think is probably just as important. You know, you know how you kind of point out you think, oh, it's a seven eight page story. It, it, you know, it's a little throwaway thing. But I mean, I think this really starts this setup, and I, I guess just because the character means a lot to me. This is the setup of Diamondback as uh, eventually as as one of these kind of bad girl girlfriends for Steve Rogers, Captain America, you know, like and since I kind of I mean, I, I think at least in comics at any rate, I mean, probably in real life, too, because it never works out. But, you know, in comics, at least, uh, you know, I'm I'm drawn to the whole, you know, I like Maximo with Superman or, or when Enchantress finally gets with Thor or, you know, I guess you know, Diamondback hooking up with, wow. with Captain America, like I, uh, Catwoman with Batman, you know, like, like I kind of tend to dig the, the, uh, that element of danger with the, the superheroic figure or whatever. So like, I do, I do like Diamondback as a character and, and the fact that it sets that up here, like, I think this is fairly important because she ends up, you know, she ends up staying with the book for almost, you know, I'd say 40 or 50 issues, you know, not every single uh, issue, but yeah, but, but no, she but, was, I mean, she was a major player for yeah. quite a while in the book. Yeah. And it, it really, that was one of those deals where I wish that that relationship could have progressed, you know, I mean, granted, yeah, you never want to, I mean, it's, it's very rare that you want to have your character get married, settle down, what the hell ever on that end of it. But the dynamic with cap and diamondback, I really did like that romance. Yeah. I mean, and to me, it reminds me of things like I, I'm thinking of more things like, you know, when Spider-Man was had Black Cat as a partner, like I don't view <laughs> this partnership as much different from that. You know, like maybe it was never bound to work out, but I, I enjoyed the allure of it and, and maybe the, the tinge of danger to it when, when it was going on and everything. And I guess, right. you know, for me, like it was enough so that, you know, they, they did a later book that followed the, the civil war comics, the Marvel civil war comics, and it was called Avengers initiative. And, and that was about, you know, basically when that, you know, registration, you know, requirement, they had this, this camp where they were training, heroes and everything like that and and one of the main characters in that was diamondback and she ends up going on to have like this kind of thing with the constrictor and i mean it, it was that that book was a nice place to feature characters that may have been neglected or abandoned and and i think that that was again i, I thought it was was well written and everything and it was a nice place to follow that character too so i guess if anybody's wondering like what you know so whatever happened to diamondback like you can you can read more about her in the avengers initiative book there you go and for this time frame if you want a really good prime example of the the, the diamondback cap interaction check out the bloodstone hunt yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. That's that's really good. It's got everything you want in there. It's got the globe trotting. You got the the action adventure romance. It's like if Captain America was Indiana Jones. Yeah. And you, you know your your initial villains in there is is Batrock the Leaper and his brigade and it builds up to where all of a sudden, ooh, there's a surprise villain. It's almost like a video game in the fact that you think your villain is one deal and then you get pulled the okie doke by who the the real mastermind behind it is. Yeah, and you, the big you, and the big you, boss battle at the end, yeah. You graduate. <laughs> and subtle, and subtle plus, who that is. 
And plus, you get a callback to one of, I think, one of the most underrated Marvel characters of that of that era, Ulysses Bloodstone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh they uh, introduce his, his daughter, and they have a bunch of comics with her now. Yeah, I heard about that. I haven't checked him out. I, you know, I'm... I you know, like old school, you know, the old the old tabloid magazine size rampaging yeah, 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 Hulk. Yeah, 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 yeah. The old black those and white. Are, those, are, those those are I don't know what it is about that that medium and that style of book, but those are like those those magazines are like really captivating to me. And normally like I'm a guy like I, I always make fun of like the Marvel Essentials, I call them coloring books and all that other stuff. But like that format for some reason, like the 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 magazine black and white type stuff, for some reason, like no matter what it is, you know, whether it's like Conan or Bloodstone or Rampaging Hulk or or Nightmare on Elm Street or whatever whatever it ends up being, like those books, the the Tomb of Dracula, like all that kind of stuff, like that always like captivates me because I, I don't know what it is about the the way that medium set up but i i guess i'll just go on record and say i don't i don't view those as coloring books like like i i i, I really do like those so i you, i can appreciate your your passion for those do you think that because they're in that larger format you just felt like like you were one of the adults there, there's that, and then, and then I, I feel so it like wasn't it, as it, bright and flashy, you know, there, that type of thing. There, there's that, and there's a weird element of like I, I want to call it like grayscale to it, where it's not, you know, it, it's not like you're just reading a book you know was intended to be colored and is in black and white. It's like it's like it was something that was intended to be done in black and white. It's like you know how like when people do like like commissions and art and they say, Oh, you can't color this because I've used like white paints and gray paints and all this other stuff. And they're not, they're not designed to be colored. Like I feel like the, the artwork in those books was not designed to ever be colored to for some reason, but maybe that's just me. Yeah. I think there was something about the printing process or the way they were going with it or the fact that it just, it was a cheaper model, but you, I mean, you look at it, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, just though, I mean, Think about it. Mad Magazine, Cracked, Eerie, yeah, uh, yeah, Creepy, yeah. all all of those all of those magazines that you would see all kind of lumped together along with the Savage Sword of Conan, the Rampaging Hulk. I think I think Marvel had that was was Crazy one of those ones too. Yeah, I, I never yeah, yeah. I never saw an issue of Crazy, so I don't I'm not I don't know. I I don't think I ever stumbled upon an issue of Crazy. The only reason why I know what Crazy is is because when they did the 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 secret wars in 2015 and they had like all these characters to identify people were asking me like who are all these characters and i had to do research and eventually i figured out one of them was like teen hulk and teen hulk comes from crazy magazines so that's just the only reason why i know what that is because i like researching shit like that and ended up the stumbling yeah upon, and, see, you know? and, and, and the only reason i know what crazy is is because of in 79 or 80, I want to say they had one of those little in-house ads with Batrock the Leaper. Oh, okay. Advertising crazy. And so they had like their little Irving Forbish type character that was in there as well. And if I remember correctly, there was a character named named Obnoxio the Clown who came from there as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, but but to that end, I, I, I don't know offhand if that was one of those black and white magazines or not. But it just they they all kind of were, you know, in that same area, in that same vein. And I think, you know, I don't know 
if they were just all black and white because of the printing process or the work that was involved. Because you got to remember, I mean, a lot of these guys, like artists, like like say Alf, Alfredo Alcala, I want to say, yeah. I can't. Yeah, that can't, sounds right. Alcala. Yeah, you know, yeah, you. Know, I mean, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Or even John John uh, John Buscema's artwork in the Savage yeah. Sword. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can get a lot more intricate with the pencils and the inks and you don't if, if you have that ability to where you can really get in there and do your zip tone and and, and hatching yeah. and all that type of stuff yeah. yeah and you don't have to save the room for color i mean you know it makes it, it makes it feel more adult yeah. you know in the, in yeah. that realm and i say yeah go for it and i think that's kind of where some of that a lot of that magic happened you know was there with it you know you just you just felt like you're a little more grown up reading those books because you know, uh, uh, Tomb of Dracula, you're able to see titties. <laughs> well, and I don't, I don't that, know, if Savage Sword did. Did Savage Sword have titties? I can't remember. I mean, I feel like they were always. I think they did, <laughs> but I, I haven't read enough of it. I know, I know that was always like supposed to be the, you know, I usually hear those Conan magazines as magazines you'd sneak in, but sometimes maybe they were just in like really tiny, you know chain metal yeah. bikinis or whatever but yeah, yeah. I, so I, I gotta admit i was i was never a conan guy so you know I've, i had sporadic issues here and there but it wasn't, it wasn't i've read day. i've read some conan but but not yeah i'm not as well versed in conan yeah okay so b- back to the snake story <laughs> get back, yeah, let's yeah, get yeah. back on well, track yeah, yeah, yeah i mean i mean i i don't know that i i have much more to say about the snake story other than you know it, it kind of sets up that you know, Diamondback gets Sidewinder away and everything. And I, I just wanted to point out this is, it's not necessarily the first time Diamondback shows up in Captain America, but this is the first moment where she's reaching out to him for help. And it, it you know, it leads to a scenario where she would eventually become uh, a romantic interest and, and a partner for Captain America. Yeah, uh, you know, a couple of my key questions on this here. You know, number one, I thought it was really cool the fact they bring, you know, they bring back Viper because even as a kid, I always wondered why in the hell Viper was not a member of the the Serpent Society. Because if I look, if you look back, like in the seventies, she was actually there were a couple of different Serpent squads or whatever they had. Yeah, yeah. Where she did, you know, where she was a leader, but like the the, the Mega Serpent Society that they had built up in the at this point in time. Yeah, I was always kind of wondered about that, and then you know, so we finally got that. And so instead of a bunch of mercenaries, she turns them into a bunch of terrorists. This might just be me being as shallow as the day is long. Were you, were you disappointed when you found out that under the mask, Sidewinder just looked like Mean Gene Okerlund? Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I suppose so. I, I guess I never really gave it much thought because I don't think... I don't think I ever viewed like I, I imagine it must be like what it felt like to read like G.I. Joe 55 when like Cobra Commander and Destra unmask and put on all those like fake mustaches and beards and Cobra Commander looks like he's like a, a you know, a French kind of art guy with John Lennon glasses or whatever. And you're right, like, right. You're like that's Cobra Commander. What? Like, so I, I, <laughs> I can I can relate, but I don't think I don't think I ever put that much emphasis on sidewinder like i think i think when i think of a serpent society i think of like you know cobra becoming like king cobra you know like stuff like that so like oh way later on yeah 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 i think i think that's what i instinctually think of just because he you know a lot of people see cobra and think of like you know cobra from dc comics with the k and uh, like uh, or or just G.I. Joe Cobra, like, like basically, like if I think of a, a leadership role in a serpent organization, I tend to think 
Cobra rather than Sidewinder. So, and and it's it, to me this is interesting because you have all this like infighting and everything that we'll come to see. But I guess, I, like I guess all I can say to put a cap on it is, you know, it makes sense to me what you're saying. Absolutely, like that you would be disappointed that he's just you know some guy with a mustache who's balding. It's like how does he get all that tail? How does he? How, you know, how in the he, hell is he pulling Black Mamba? Yeah, you know, how in the I, hell is? Yeah, how, how does he? Yeah, he's top dog. So, you know why he's pulling that tail. Yeah, you know, you yeah. know what's going on to be able to get black mom to dress up in a French maid outfit. You know, he's <laughs> he's got the money and he's hung like a goddamn horse. You know, that that's that's what he's got going for. him. <laughs> but I mean, good Lord, to fucking to, to give him the, the to give him that wide part hairstyle. Ugh. yeah, like I said, it's like. Mean Jean Okerlund, you know, banging. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a, a hot brunette at the you know time. Yeah, Mean Jean Okerlund banging Catherine Zeta Jones. That's what I'm seeing, well, and now, I don't want to see that no more. Now, now I know what to buy for my custom Sidewinder figure. Though I get myself a Mean <laughs> Jean and plop that on uh, uh, body, and then I've got civilian just head swap Sidewinder. Yeah, yeah. And to fall back on the Serpent Society, you know, really, uh, the best Serpent Society stuff, really, I think, I think this one was kind of the capper, the capstone. Um, there was some stuff later on that was okay. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was okay. But the earlier stuff, now granted, yeah, you have to put up with Paul Neary's pencils, but God, I want to see those early 300s, like 312 to like 318, you know, just before the Scourge saga. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I I see. I'm I'm looking at some covers, but like 315 has a bunch of them on the cover too. So yeah, yeah. Right I mean that was because yeah, because I mean and and they shit they they did some damage. I think they killed the porcupine. They killed Modoc, you know, and and doing the hit, you know, taking all the hits on there. And I mean they set themselves up as a pretty badass group. And and really, so if you want to really if you really want to check out some good serpent serpent society. Stuff. Their first initial appearance as a team in those those early 300s, like around that 315 time frame, that's really some good stuff to check out. Continue on with the Serpent Trail because we'll we'll be doing Captain America 342. The cover date is June 1988. The on sale date is February 9th, 1988. And the story title is The Snake Pit. D-Man and Vagabond practice wrestling moves when Jack Monroe walks in on his girlfriend, tickling D-Man to escape a wrestling pin. When Jack tosses a stun disc at D-Man's head, Vagabond tosses Jack in the swimming pool to cool him off. Just then, a Wakandan ship arrives to pick up the captain and deliver a vibranium-made shield, a gift from the King of Wakanda, T'Challa the Black Panther. 
The Falcon then drops in to tell Cap about Diamondback's call to the Cap hotline for help. Meanwhile, Diamondback and Ferdelance exchange blows before Ferdelance is knocked into a computer console and electrocuted. When another attacker named Coach Whip arrives, Diamondback uses Sidewinder's clock to teleport them outdoors, where she gets word to Cap that they'll be waiting for him at a local gas station. The Wakandans drop off the captain and gang, and after throwing a diamond and seeing how easily Cap deflects the attack with his new shield, realizes the man in the basic black outfit is the Captain of America she knows. While Vagabond brings Sidewinder to the hospital, the Captain and Diamondback, <coughs> along with the rest of the squad of traveling Wilburys, leave to storm Serpent Citadel. Inside, Viper is having the holdouts from Sidewinder's Serpent Group, Bushmaster, and Black Mamba tortured. However, most members, like Anaconda and Copperhead, have already switched teams. When Diamondback arrives with help, Anaconda attacks her. Rock Python fights Nomad, while the Rattler blasts Falcon with his tail. The Captain leaves D-Man to assist Diamondback, while he tracks down Puff Adder. Diamondback frees herself and leaves D-Man to battle Anaconda. Viper is shocked to see Diamondback and the Captain, who she calls Captain America, break in on their torture session. The Captain and Diamondback work together and turn Coach Whip's whip against Viper's bodyguard, Slither. Cottonmouth tries to attack once freed, and the Captain slams his new vibranium shield into his mouth. The Asp, who stayed loyal to Sidewinder as well, is quickly freed by Diamondback, but needs the antitoxin to live. Nomad and D-Man confront Slither, while Cap and Falcon search for Viper. Black Racer catches up to Sidewinder's ambulance at super speed, but Vagabond manages to knock her out when she launches out of the moving vehicle with Sidewinder's medical gurney. Black Mamba, Bushmaster, and Asp are treated with the antitoxin, but the Captain and the Falcon lament that Viper has managed to get away. So we've got the cover blurb. It says a viper in our midst. Anything more uh, as far as this issue uh, or the Serpent Society? You know, I mean, just a couple things. Number one, I think probably amongst the amongst this run, this Ron Friends cover, I'm probably going to put like in my top three as far as my fave covers of this run. Oh, okay. It just it it just holds it holds like a very Kirby esque vibe to it. You know, I just I really dig the cover on this for some unexplainable reason. Big fan. Yeah, I mean, you know, a couple key things on this. The you know, like obviously, Captain uh, you know gets his good replacement shield from his other rich buddy, <laughs> old old T'Challa. And I love <laughs> as I'm I'm sitting here flipping through this, you know, the 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 digital on this while while we're talking. I find it hilarious how you know here comes the Wakandan ship. We're gonna you know, and oh my God, what is this? What's going on? And Cap, without even missing a beat, nah, that's for me, and and somehow jumps on top of a roof, uses the springboard on the pool to get himself the air to come up. And I'm like, once again, suspension of disbelief. You know, with, with, with that, it was, I don't know why I'm pointing it out. I just found it to be amazingly funny. I love all those after images. Like, he leaps up to the roof, and then he dives back down to the diving board to leap back up. Like, that's total, like, Captain America athletic, Olympic athlete level, like, hijinks or whatever just amazing shit do you think diamondback talked to our old buddy hiram when she called the the when she called i don't know line? i don't know i don't know yeah maybe he was he was distracted while his mom was going to church and it's really diamondback's fault i don't know i don't know <laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, but you know, beyond that, I mean, it's a great, you know, true opening story to the, you know, to the the the, the three issue serpent arc viper controlling the serpent society arc and once again you get the real the, the real big huge jealousy angle going on between nomad oh yeah, you know, yeah. nomad going on. i mean that really well, i mean now they're now they're now they're coming to blows over it pretty much and i mean beyond that you know i mean just just i mean really overall i mean it's just a great action-packed issue everybody gets their moment to shine the only problem boy just they keep making d-man just into it just into like a little bitch i'm just i don't know i think that's the only problem i have with it is so much good stuff they could have done with d-man and i think you're you're on that boat with me as well yeah i mean i'm 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 okay with with d-man in this story for the most part because i know he's a new kid on the block so he's gotta you know he's gotta take some of the hits or 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 he's got his learning curve and everything but i think of course this leads to a certain direction but then i think i I was never a big fan after they he he returned later and you know i i I don't know that it was quite that i think yours your your issue was more your issue was more the scourge one wasn't it yeah i mean i I, i'm not happy with the scourge thing and i'm not happy with the homeless thing you know it's like it's like they took what grunewald ultimately did like right before fighting chance was he was helping people in the sewer and then somehow that turned into d-man was homeless and like i'm just kind of like well wait uh, helping people underground doesn't make you homeless like but or smelly or flea ridden or whatever but so somehow it, it it got you know it's like it's like it was like a game of telephone that you know it's like hey d-man's rich and and he's a wrestler pass it on hey uh d-man got blown up and he's dead pass it on hey d-man isn't really blown up and uh, he's actually like Helping people underground because he, he he got hot for this one girl. Hey, uh, D-Man's like got fleas. Hey, D-Man's smelly homeless and has fleas. Hey, D-Man shouldn't really be an Avenger because he's smelly homeless and has fleas and stole jewelry. Hey, D-Man's like crazy and stole jewelry and has fleas and is homeless. And oh, by the way, he got brainwashed by Scourge and he's now killing people. You know, and that that that's that's that game of telephone where you're like, well, I I don't like anything that happens up until you know, it's like everything that happens after the underground part, like or or actual that however that curve took its turn, like it's like I don't I don't like that stuff. I hear you on that one. Just real quick, just uh, in case anyone was wondering, I have no idea what happens to Kabali after this. But M. Daka would go on to become one of the Avengers maintenance crew, along with John Jameson and, and Arnie Roth, like for the Avengers. So he takes care of Quinjets and he's the man. So that's that's what that's what became of M. Daka. So good, good right. guy. Make, make, nice to see he made something out of himself. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know people were wondering what, what was up with M. Daka. I have no idea what happened to Kabali. I don't I don't think she ever appears after this.
All right, Captain America 343. <laughs> the title is Slippery People. It cover date is July 1988, on sale date March 8th, 1988. The new Captain America and Battlestar are rounding up unregistered mutants, such as Quill, a young kid who can fire off sharp porcupine-like projectiles. Before Quill can be transferred to police custody, the pro-mutant group called the Resistance attack the new Cap and Battlestar, leaving them in a helicopter nosedive, and break Quill free so he may join their movement. Meanwhile, Diamondback and the Captain are in hot pursuit of Viper, who tries to flee in a serpent saucer. Between the Captain's vibranium shield toss and Diamondback's nitro-tipped throwing diamonds, the two manage to knock the ship off balance long enough for the Captain to leap onto one of the landing gears. Viper notices her stowaway and accelerates her speed, so the Captain will be thrown off the ship. The Falcon follows, but is quickly outpaced. Luckily, Nomad and D-Man pick up the Falcon in their own Serpent Saucer, piloted by Diamondback. While Copperhead and Cobra poison the water in Washington, Nomad has Diamondback fire missiles on Viper's Saucer. Viper teleports to the ground while the Captain gets there the hard way by leaping off the exploding saucer and letting his vibranium shield absorb the impact from landing. Viper tries to bite the Captain, but his synthetic chainmail blocks her attack. The Captain gives Viper a Vulcan neck pinch and takes away her teleportation ring. When they land, Nomad, Diamondback, and D-Man are shocked to see the Captain, since they had shot down the saucer he was on. Falcon tries to get word to the Avengers that the White House's water supply has been poisoned, but the Captain thinks they should head to Washington, D.C. regardless. Elsewhere, we see the new Captain America and Battlestar have survived the helicopter crash, unlike their poor pilot, and Walker swears he'll make the Resistance pay. And that is Captain America issue. 343. The cover blurb says, Routed by the Resistance. And, you know, a couple things about this issue. You know, first off, it's it, 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 it it's rather funny how Battlestar, when they have the big, uh, the, you know, the, the takedown of Quill, loading him up to the helicopter, Walker's kind of got the, you know, the, 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 the attitude on it, but, you know, Battlestar really kind of beats the whole purpose of the X-Men story mythos over the readers' heads as far as, mm. as, you know, it's just another minority to pick on, you know, and all that type of stuff. Powers right, is powers, right. doesn't matter where you get them, all that type of stuff. So I, I, was, I don't know, I always kind of found that, you know, like, you know, say, save that save that for the X-Men, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, my, my, my take on I mean, I think I can kind of... I can kind of see where they're going with it as far as like a minority seeing another minority being oppressed, maybe. Yeah. You know, on that end, sure. But on the political end of it, I just uh, I wasn't too much of a fan of that. I mean, even as a kid. And, you know, here here again, you know, another ad, great action packed issue. You know, this is where we get, you know, the Washington, D.C. reservoirs that will get the huge payoff in the next issue. But really, one of the, the big key standout things about this issue is how much they set up the dynamic difference between Nomad and D-Man, where Nomad is the guy who will he, he's not afraid of breaking a few bones or roughing somebody up to get some info. And and D-Man is definitely the wet blanket of, I don't think Cap would do that. The part that cracks me up is, like, even Cap's like, dude, it's totally cool that you shot me down. Like, it's fine. Like, I'm okay. Yeah, dude. 
you know. I'm but, Captain Freaking America. But but I I do think it's funny that they ended up you know going forward with that. But yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I mean, uh, really, other than that, you know, it's 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 definitely more of like a lead in and kind of a filler issue. The one thing with the resistance too, it's nice to see. I mean, well, and and here again, we'll see them, we'll see them further coming up here as well. Nice to see the callback for the the gaggle of of underground mutants that were introduced back in Captain America Annual. I think was it Annual Eight. It was uh, the one with it was it was the one with Captain America and Wolverine on the cover. Oh, that oh, iconic. that. Okay. That iconic Cause I, cover. Because I know, I know the resistance appeared <laughs> in Captain America Annual Four because Magneto was trying to set up like another brotherhood. But then, then the other mutants you're talking about were in the one with Cap and Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just this is my thing. In case anybody was wondering what happened to Quill, he gets depowered on M Day, which is the fate of many mutants with the whole Scarlet Witch's no more mutants thing. The my favorite line in the whole book is Nomad's thought bubble about Diamondback to himself when <laughs> he's like, "This lady reeks of availability. Wonder if she's safe." <laughs> I was like, "That's freaking awesome!" And then you know, much like his entire tenure as an Avenger, no one listens to the Falcon at the White House. Poor Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, th- this is kind of uh, an issue on its way to other things. I mean, there's a lot of kind of battle and fighting and stuff, which I, I tried to do my best to explain what was going on. I mean, you either you either enjoyed right between these these different factions of the Serpent Society with the, the Wilburys involved or, or you didn't. No, and it, it was really cool. I mean, once again. These guys, I mean, they're, I'm not going to say that they're throwaway characters or anything like that. I mean, because, they, you know, they're, they're, they're just great as a snake. I guess, I guess I'm, a, I'm a fan of themed villains like the Serpent Society or the Zodiac or the Royal Flush Gang. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I, I like those themed villains. I've, I've always just kind of dug that stuff. But the problem with those themed villains is that it is very easy to just make them cardboard cookie cutter throwaways. And with the Vipers takeover of the society, once again, it's really, it's, it's really cool to be able to get that, that little bit of character development. Who are the turncoats who are loyal to, to Sidewinder, that type of thing, you know, that sets up like that, that sets up good character foundation. If they ever chose to down the road, you know, do a story where like, yeah, you turned your back on Sidewinder, go fuck yourselves, which I think they did, if I remember correctly, in one of those little backup stories that they were notorious for after this. I think there was I think there was some shit that went down with the ones that turned their backs, but don't quote me on, on that one. Captain America 344, on sale date, April 12th, 1988. The story title, Don't Tread on Me. And before I forget, the cover blurb, the captain, this is the big one, versus the deadliest snake of all. Not, not yeah. So, not so. No, no, no. no. 
All right, here we go. With Washington, D.C.'s water supply poison, the entire city is filled with rioting snake men, including the President of the United States himself. Even Serpent Society members Boomslang, Copperhead, and Cobra are on the run from the rioting. However, before they can board their getaway saucer, they find Diamondback and the Captain waiting for them. Cap's vibranium shield downs Boomslang, but Cobra manages to evade Diamondback by telling her he's some kind of triple agent. He then tries to assassinate Viper, but fails, mainly due to the personal feud between Nomad and D-Man tripping up and deflecting his killing Cobra Sting. Nomad and D-Man's poor teamwork continues, and Cobra manages to escape. Viper then gets the drop on D-Man after Nomad is stormed off. Meanwhile, the Commission calls back the new Cap and Battlestar to assist with, but are unaware of, the situation in Washington, D.C. When the Captain and Diamondback return, they discovered the poisoned D-Man. Cap asks Diamondback to earn his trust by staying to take care of D-Man after they administer the antitoxin. The Captain then goes after Viper alone. Viper is busy shooting up the city streets and heads to the White House. Nomad gets clipped by a bullet from a policeman turned Snake Man, and then Cobra blinds him long enough for the remaining Snake Men to swarm and gang pile him. When Viper arrives at the White House, she finds Nancy Reagan crawling on all fours and hissing like a snake. She is about to shoot the First Lady in the head and then declares she is not worth the bullets. Viper then enters the President's bedroom and gives her more poisoned water to complete his transformation into a Snake Man. With D-Man slowly recovering, Diamondback has finally had enough waiting around and heads out to assist the Captain. She ends up stumbling into the new Captain America while D-Man tackles Battlestar. Battlestar eventually defeats the weakened D-Man and the new Cap has an unconscious Diamondback thrown over his shoulder when the two join up. The Captain follows the trail of chaos to the White House where he gets lost in his memories of meeting Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the Oval Office. The Captain then discovers Ronald Reagan has gone full Snake Man in the Oval Office and attacks him. The Captain futilely tries to get through to the President as Viper looks on in delight as the two continue to fight. Viper begins to shoot the Secret Servicemen storming the building and jumps through a window to escape. The President begins to fight the effects of the poison by way of exertion and sheds his snakeskin, reverting back to human form. The Captain finds that Cobra has delivered an unconscious Viper directly to him, proving his triple agent status. The next morning, the Commission decides to devote all available resources to Steve Rogers' apprehension. They already have Nomad, D-Man, and Diamondback in custody. A few days later, we find the President giving a press conference stating that Washington, D.C. has weathered the storm, apprehended the parties responsible, and assures the public that he and the First Lady were in no danger whatsoever with a sparkling smile and possibly residual fangs. And that is the end of The Captain versus The Deadliest Snake of All, issue 344. Yeah. A classic, a classic double-sized extravaganza. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes, yes. I, I remember this comic because, I mean, really, this one really hits home. Because at the time, I think I, I, I was in the sixth grade, and I was suffering from this weird-ass blood disease called H.S. Purper. It was very rare. Like the doctor in town, he had come from Seattle. He had only heard of like 
two other cases of it, you know, occurring in the United States. I mean, it was really weird. But because of it, I ended up being in the hospital overnight for a couple of nights. And without even having to say nothing about it, because I mean, my dad didn't know what the hell comic books I collected. My, you know, my folks have been divorced, you know, and my mom probably knew, but my dad had no idea. My dad showed up with an issue of Spectacular Spider-Man and this particular issue of Captain America. So this issue holds a little small little place in my heart for mm. for that, for my my being being my my dad's hospital visitation funny book. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. It is. And something 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 for you. This would be the first appearance of our boy Rockwell. Yes, yes, it, it is important to note. This is the first time. I, I feel like it's weird because a lot of people backdate his first appearance because the shadowy commission and all this stuff. But this is the first time they actually call him by name directly, Douglas Rockwell. And I kind of think my argument would be like, I think Yates, the person they were calling Yates and Mr. Commissioner and Commissioner became Douglas Rockwell. And yeah, it, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking by this issue, Grunewald knew where he was going with the Red Skull. Like that, that and, and he let's... was setting this all up. And let's be honest, comparative names. Okay, you know, as we're comparing costumes, let's compare some names. Yates versus Rockwell. Right. Which one's which one's got a little more oomph to it? Right, right. Well, Rockwell. Yes. Hashtag team Rockwell. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like I, 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 I tend to stay away from talking political stuff, but since, you know, we're in the White House and 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 it deals with Ronald Reagan, it, it's funny because I guess I mean, I suppose if if you if you if you hate Ronald Reagan's guts, right? Like if if you're if, if you lean towards that side of the political aisle, right? Like you could read this and and say, oh, look at how damning this political commentary is. They made Ronald Reagan a snake or whatever. But I mean, I suppose you could also come at it from the approach of, well, Ronald Reagan's not at fault. He got you know zonked with this snake juice, and like everyone in Washington D.C. is a snake, not just the president, exactly. right? Exactly. So, so, I mean, you know, you could just look at it as a, a superhero romp where everybody gets infected and, and, you know, Captain America, Steve Rogers, whatever, Captain, the captain, you know, saves the president. And, and that's that. I mean, the, the only, the only place where that gets a little like touchy, I think is Nancy Reagan, like Nancy Reagan on all fours and Viper saying she's not worth the bullets. I mean, that's, you you can't just say that's like a superhero romp like that's that's pretty pointed one way or the other so well you could say that no matter who was in the office yeah yeah you but, know, but i think once i think i'll, I'll just say like like dude they they would have never done this they they would have never made jimmy carter bill clinton or obama a snake man they would oh, have no. never done and that heaven forbid we would see michelle obama on her knees and 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 threatening to get shot in the head, and somebody saying she's not worth the bullets. Not, can you no, imagine? No. Can you imagine like the, oh. the, the there would be riots, the outrage and vitriol that would occur from this book. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, it'd be it'd be it'd be epic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, thank thank God Ronnie was in <laughs> present at that time. Yay. That's that's all I want to say about that. Yeah. It's a case, I, you know, whether it was political targeting or not. I mean, I I'm not going to say that one way or the other because I don't. I'm I'm going to assume that Grandwald's political leanings probably were more to the left because 
let's be honest, the majority of comic book creators yeah, yeah. in that era leaned towards the left. Yeah. Now, from my from my sensibilities, and I would consider myself moderate right. You know, I mean, I I, I I listen to the issues and I make my own judgments. You know, I use a little thing called common sense and free will. I'm not swayed by political parties. I'm swayed by what my opinions and thoughts are about any issue. And there are some things that I do. I do see and agree with on the, on those, you know, for, for the folks that ride this, the, the left side of the fence. I think today's to, in today's society the, with, with the 30 second social media access and everyone wants to pretend they're woke and everyone wants to, you know, try to feel like there's some kind of enlightened social justice warrior and all that horse shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say it. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay being opinionated, direct your hateful comments towards me. Uh, you know, at Twitter at quad M comics, feel free. <laughs> Be the most activity that Twitter page has ever gotten. At gmail.com. <laughs> no, we'll keep the email out of this. But the fact of the matter is, in no way, shape, or form, seeing as how that I truly do believe of our generation, Ronald Reagan was the greatest president of our time, I'm not offended by the events in this comic book or how they were perceived, even it's, especially it's, at the end. It's interesting, because I, I did expect, like, I, I went looking at the, the, the future letter columns, and I went... There has to be somebody who said something about this that was upset, right? And they oh, probably shit. just they probably just didn't print all those letters, but but the one letter they do print in Captain America 353, it's a very short letter that just basically says, This was dumb, Mark. Really, really dumb. And that's <laughs> that's the letter. Like that was it. So like that's that's all they felt like printing, I guess, of, of whatever <laughs> they received. So Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean here again, you know, if it it, it <sighs> It's like the old adage of whoever wins the war gets to write the history books. Same thing. Whoever edits and controls the medium can edit and control what fan response is going to be seen by yeah. the multitudes. Yeah. So if they had like, a ton of people that were really shitting on the book because of the you know, political, maybe, maybe slightly implied political commentary that was going on in there, they could crush it. They could squash it easily. But there's a lot of shit within the letters pages that I don't I don't think they would have intentionally squashed. Yeah. So I just I just think because here again, we as a society, unless it was something really egregious, like, you know, giving a, a black character a racial slur for his costumed identity. I think a lot of people just looked at it for what it was. Washington gets poisoned. What kind of crazy antics can we do? What kind of over-the-top shit can we do? Oh, the captain versus the president. You can't get much more wacky than that. Right, right. You know, so I think most people just saw it that way. It wouldn't it wouldn't be like some crazy political statement like you'd get from the, you know, everyone who's like, you know, two seconds away from protesting that you get nowadays. Yeah, where everyone, I mean, like, I, think, I think this issue is a little more biting than later issues like i think i think later issues they try to present him in a more i mean he's mind controlled as a snake right so so there's that that absolves him of certain things in this but by the end of it like they do have the whole thing where i mean he's pretty much lying right he's saying me and the first lady were in no danger whatsoever you know like uh, or like me and the first lady were in no danger whatsoever you know like what, whatever okay, it is right? if, like, we're, if we're gonna do that let me let me have <laughs> me and nancy we were just having ourselves a quiet little night 
<laughs> Fortunately, I don't drink water like you common people do. <laughs> we had our bottled Perrier that came in. So, uh, no, me and, me and Nance, we were uh, safely tucked away in the, uh, the White House while uh, some fine, fine fighting forces were uh, wrangling those those Van Nile, Van West Nile virus snakes up. <laughs> Question, questions yeah. from the press. You know, it's a, yeah. I, I, I yeah. mean, here again, my throat's trash, so I'm not doing that great of a Ronnie impression either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, of course, they're going to have the political spin on that. I mean, that makes complete sense. I mean, that, yeah. they're, you know, that's not back, you know, being shady. I, dude, they, they, even to this day, they're, you know, as much as everyone wants to, you know, what depending on which side of the Trump fence you're on, He's either lying about everything or he's telling the god-awful truth about everything and, God, this is the president we've needed. At the end of the day, he's no different than any of the, any of the other guys. You know, it's controlled truth. The only problem is, is that you can't control much of the truth when you're on fucking Twitter all the time. And that's what gets his ass in trouble more than anything else. Thank God, Ronnie. They, you know, thank God they didn't have Twitter back in these days. Can you imagine? That, can you imagine? I mean, just... You know, I mean, oh God, Iran Contra, and I'm trying to think of some of the other. There wasn't there wasn't many uh, controversies that Ronnie Reagan was really involved in. I mean, the only big one I can think of is the, you know, the Iran Contra, you know, hostage trade situation. But again, that didn't really affect his his record all that much. He, you know, still was what it was. But anyways, back to the comic book in and of itself. You know, the real cool thing about this issue was. We we got the tease with the Captain and Captain America collide in this issue, and that's re- I think that was really what kind of what you know the exciting ni- nail biter. Because mm. again, it, 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 it doesn't it, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, big of a deal now in the trade paperback world that we're living in, you know the collected series uh, as it were. But when this was coming out month to month, and you had to wait for that next issue. Oh, the tension that was being built up after almost a year's worth of story at this point, waiting for Rogers and Walker to finally, you know, come to blows. This was a great little, little almost. Yeah, they got, they got the Wilburys. They got the Wilburys. But the main event, ah, we still had, we still had to wait a couple more issues for that one. Yeah, speaking of the Wilburys, like Nomad gets taken out, kind of like Jason Todd did in Legends, where like that mob of people like pull him down and beat him, except for. Nomad gets hit up by all these like snake people and everything. Now, do you think this is this is one where I'm going to give D-Man a little bit of of credit because he, you know, he takes the bite from Vita. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, he's drugged out. Diamondback leaves him, but she kind of has to. It's not like she just ditched him. It was like, what what else could she do? So there's Diamondback. And all of a sudden, you know, here comes, you know, Captain America and, and Battlescar. Or Battlestar. Sorry, I went, I went blob on that one. Blob called him Battlestar. <laughs> and then, I think Captain America leaves whatever. But anyways, you know, Battlestar is in the ship. And D-Man, in his, in his, in his venom delirium, says, I got to make up for that debacle with Titania. This is my chance to prove myself. Puts forth a pretty good effort for what he could do. But in his stage, you know, the the anti-tide, the whole nine yards, you knew he was going to get his ass whooped. He was going to get crushed. But at this point, he manned up. So this yeah. is a little bit of redemption for the D-man. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, characters are flawed, but he, he tries to 
do the best that he can, and 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 this is, I think, evidence of that. I mean, yeah, he gets defeated by Battlestar, but that's, I mean, dude, he had he, Battlestar had a huge ass handicap, you know, over, you know, D Man because D Man got the the he got bitten and was, you know, pretty much needed medical attention and was still trying to fight the good fight, regardless of that. So I don't I, I don't hold that against D Man. Yeah. But overall, I mean, how do how do you think how do you, how do what do you think about this as a a nice wrap up to the to the to the the snake war? I you know it's it's weird because you know again you've got that that scenario where the writer wants certain villains to get away and certain villains to get defeated and caught and everything, and it's like you know when all said and done, it's like. Okay, so Viper jumps out the window. Cobra Cap says he's not going to make any deals with, but yet conveniently he gets away anyway. You know, so it's like it's like the, a, a lot of this is kind of like, yeah, you got to put the toys back in the box, but then, you know, again, some of those things it, it goes back to that moment where like Sidewinder's holding Ferdalon's hostage and Cap has to let her teleport away. It's like, you know, it's you know, Cap has his morals, but they don't really help him do anything with these guys, per se. I mean, the best thing is he, he manages to, you know, save the president. And then, you know, and then, like you said, there's that tension of whether Walker and him are going to meet eye to eye or not, you know. And and then, you know, ultimately, I guess the, the outcome of them, you know, th there's a cost to them. <laughs> going down to the White House to save the day because, you know, most of his Wilburys get captured, you know? So like that, you know, it's, 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 it concludes some of the serpent stuff, but only through circumstance, maybe. I mean, it's not like a lot of them are brought to justice. It's, it's more like their plot is foiled, but not, it, not, not so much so that they cannot, you know, try again, you know, like basically they can, they can do a pinky in the brain and try to take over the world some other day, you know, type thing. Well, you know, and again, that's where, like, say you could have, you know, some great wrap up storytelling sidebar type stuff where, you know, Sidewinder, Black Mamba, who else? Diamondback, Bushmaster, you know, all these guys basically take the, the turncoats to trial, mm. you know, their own little inner, you know, inner inner uh snake court if you will yeah yeah self self police you know, yeah and i mean that that would be a great story for like an annual you know one of those annual fill-in story type deals something along those lines they could have they could have if you want if 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 you as a reader wanted a nice little bow for that part of the story they they could have done something like that not sure if they did or not because again i it's been quite a while since i've read the the, the issues that take place after this storyline so yeah i don't i don't remember if anything like that was ever followed up on or not i know i guess as far as like keeping track of who's part of the commission and who's not in addition to rockwell being name checked another person's name checked is raymond sikorsky who was the guy who always worked with henry gyrick when he was like the avengers liaison and the you know this will this will mean things to people who you know watch that really awful avengers united they stand cartoon but that's the guy that hawkeye is usually yelling about coffee to where he's like sikorsky 
you know, like so. Yeah. So, so that's that's somebody who's actually name dropped and everything in in this issue, and is is another as we were saying before, he he is a somewhat prominent you know supporting character in the Marvel universe. So the commission is not just made up of you know nameless, faceless people. It's 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 characters that have been involved in the Marvel universe throughout the course of its history. Requesting immediate medical backup upon arrival. And Hank Sikorsky, have some coffee ready, will ya? Yeah, because like post-Cap 350 and, and Avengers 300, when you know Captain America reassembles the Avengers, because they had their whole like Avengers disassembled in the late 80s. Yeah, yeah. You know, leading up to that. And I think it was at that point in time when they said when he was setting up the new team with like Reed Richards and Sue Storm and Thor and Gilgamesh. I don't know what the hell that was all Gilgamesh. about. But anyways, <laughs> but but I think he was like the head liaison for the team at that from that point going forward, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he may have been. I don't. I it's like I like what you were saying. It's been a long time since I read those. I mean, I, I remember. Wanted... I I remember that issue three hundred. Like I remember that that team configuration. But I, I also think that was like a temporary, like we're, we're putting together this group for Inferno. And then they kind of moved on and added like Quasar and other people to the, the Avengers when Cap was trying to build up the ranks. Yeah. Cause I mean, really we didn't need two Thors. Yeah. You know, that's why I'm like, who the hell is Gilgamesh? Why is he on this team? Get him the fuck out. Oh, we've got Quasar. All right. I'm cool with that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you, I was, and, I was and you, you and everyone else was like, who the hell is Gilgamesh? <laughs> And that's why he's the forgotten one. Yes, yes. Now we're we're really getting into the I think the meat of, of this storyline, but we're, we're now in the, the nitty gritty, as I like to say. We're Act in Captain, three. Yeah, yeah, Captain America 345, cover date September 1988, on sale date May 10th, 1988. Title is Surrender. The commission orders Walker and Hoskins to go after Rogers, blaming him for assaulting the president, along with Viper, in the recent water crisis. The commission figures that Rogers won't leave town, since they still have his friends in custody, the Wilburys. John and Lamar can read between the lines and realize Rogers was there to help, and while Walker isn't worried about a rematch against Rogers, he understands what it's like to walk in his shoes now. Meanwhile, Sam Wilson, also known as the Falcon, and Steve Rogers part ways at the Lincoln Monument. In Custer's Grove, Georgia, John's parents, Caleb and Emily Walker, are kidnapped by the Watchdogs. When John finds out the next morning during their manhunt for Steve Rogers, he goes AWOL while Battlestar stays behind to cover for him. Sidewinder teleports Diamondback and Nomad out of their jail cell while Vagabond and D-Man elect to stay behind. Walker arrives at his parents' empty home and receives a call from the watchdogs. Nomad contacts Steve on the cap hotline, and Rogers arrives at their meeting point to find Monroe is completely sauced. Jack is drowning in his sorrows that his girl left him for D-Man, and walks out on Cap when he says he'll try to free them through legal channels. 
However, when Rogers arrives to see the Commission for Superhuman Activities, they simply level even more charges against him. Meanwhile, Walker is relieved of his shield and blindfolded by the watchdogs. They take him to a barn so his parents can watch him hang. Walker breaks free and tries to draw the machine gun fire of the watchdogs, but his parents are shot and killed anyway. At this point, John begins to kill every last one of the watchdogs. When he's not using them as human shields for gunfire, he's cracking their necks, shoving gun barrels down their throats, stabbing them with pitchforks, and choking them to death with a noose around his own neck. Walker is left talking to the dead bodies of his parents, claiming he saved them, and they can go drink a nice pitcher of lemonade. So yeah, this is this is this is the issue that that gives me the feels, man. I, I get all I get all kinda like I don't know, tingly and 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 kind of ramped like, up the, and excited. Yeah, the the adrenaline gets pumping when you read this. So yeah, and the cover blurb, of course, surrender. Man, Nomad's a dick when he's drunk. Man, like he, <laughs> you know, he's he's just an asshole here. So you know, I mean, a couple of things out of this issue. I mean, obviously, number one, this is the one where where fucking Walker snaps and loses his shit, and we really see. You know, I mean. He had the violent, kind quasi psychotic undertones, but when witnessing the murder, <laughs> witnessing the murder of his parents, he didn't dress up as a bat. He just went bat shit crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for 1980s comics, granted, yeah, you could see some pretty wicked stuff out there if you went and looked. But the silhouette image of the fucking watchdog getting a, a pitchfork run through him. Yeah, that's that's well, you know, like uh, that's pretty damn intense for 1988 newsstand comic book. Yeah, and and code approved and everything. Yeah, like right. like I mean, it's brutal, but I mean, you know, I, I guess you know, you'll never get me to say that I disapprove of any of this though, like because I I don't I don't think I've ever been even when I was really little, like I never really bought into the whole comics code authority. Comics code approved, like, like, don't, don't kill, don't whatever. I mean, for me, like, you know, like before that was really instituted, Batman was, was snapping people's necks and Archie's the Comet was like dropping people off from the sky to go splat and all this kind of stuff. And, and I think a lot of that morality was instituted after the code approved stuff and and i i I think i can see i can see where you know the the point of this is supposed to show yes he snapped yes he's lost it but i mean if you saw your parents gunned down in front of you and you had the same level of of power and everything that walker had i mean i i can't say that i would react any differently i mean even if it meant going all jason Voorhees and shoving a pitchfork in a guy's chest like like that that might that might go down if it was someone who I, you know, really loved, like my parents, right? And 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 again, I mean, I'll just go down the list, but it's like even even if this is to show that Walker totally lost it, like I I, I like these moments in comics, like you know, like I was saying, like it, it gets my adrenaline pumping. I think you know, for me, like I always point to Captain America in earth x when he snaps the little kid red skull's neck like i'm uh, you know to me i'm like i like that i like superman snapping zod's neck and man of steel i like green lanterns that get treated like cops where if they have to you know ring engage lethal force like if he has to do that like 
that's fine. Do you know what I mean? And I, I right. kind of, I kind of think all these guys deserve it, and he totally brings it to them. You know, like so, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with this. Another thing with this issue, and I want, I, I think this may have been the first issue when he started doing it, but it may have been a couple issues beforehand. I'd have to really go back and and hunt it down and look. But a lot of artists in this time frame would put in like secret little hide-and-go-seek glyphs to go try to find. McFarlane was notorious for, A, putting a hidden spider in the covers, and somewhere within the issue of Amazing Spider-Man, there would be an image of Felix the Cat. Oh, okay. You know, that type of thing. And Kieran Dwyer was no different. In this run of issues, and going forward for quite a while, you'd have to track it down, and really try to find it, but he always had a reference to Simon and Kirby somewhere in the issue. Hmm. And I want to say, let me let me flip through here. If you go back and you're looking, and the bar that Walker has to turn himself in, you know, the little roadhouse bar. Uh, okay. Where that that roadhouse's name is Simon's Roadhouse. Okay. And they sell King Kirby on tap. Oh, okay. King Kirby. I want some King Kirby beer. I don't even like beer, but I, I want some King Kirby beer. <laughs> some people really dig on it. Other people just think it's overrated. You know, it is what it is. No, no, I think that's cool. I'm like, okay, yeah. I see it. Simons, and then, okay. Yeah. And and finally, you know how we were talking earlier about shit that would not fly in today's comic book world? If you go to the page previous to that... You know how you how you you uh, said that your one of your favorite lines in this story arc was Nomad talking about reeking oh, right, availability. Right, right. Yeah. So the page before you've got Steve Rogers going into the uh, diner slash bar, meeting up with a a very drunken Nomad, and as Steverino, uh, Steverino back here, <laughs> and in that panel you'll see a gentleman having a smoke sitting on the stool and he looks over at Steve and the exact words were dude's got red boots must be a fruit. <laughs> I, I totally didn't notice that. Well, you, you know, it's anachronistic because nobody can smoke. Well, at least, you know, nobody these days can smoke indoors. Like, well, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, you got to remember, I mean, this story, there's a lot of stuff in here that, that is very dated, you know, as yeah, far as that yeah. type of thing. But yeah. once again, you know, having the first lady on her knees and and also having a guy, I mean, smoking a diner at that point in time, that was a thing. Yeah, but, yeah, they, yeah, they could have done it back then, yeah. But yeah, just, just to have in print, oh, he must be some kind of fruit. I, oh, God. I totally forgot about that line, and I'm pissing myself when I fucking saw that. And I, At first, I thought, like, I, when, when, you, when you started putting it out, I thought it was going to be something that, like, Nomad said about, you know, the, you know his chick or, or, or Git's brain or something like that, but I totally overlooked, like, that, that uh, panel. Must be some kind of fruit, he says, yeah. Once again, kids, the 80s was a bygone like, era of awesomeness. <laughs> You like how like nomads like backing his beer mugs like a pyramid? Um, I've done that with shot glasses, beer mugs, <laughs> beer mugs not so much. Usually, what they'll do is take the beer mug from you and refill it. Yes. So I guess I guess the dishwasher just had nothing else to do that night. Yeah. Or yeah. or they just maybe, wanted to. Maybe maybe the dishwasher is some kind of fruit. You know. I don't take, know. Just just wanted to teach him a lesson for being some lazy piece of trash. 
but the you know, the other thing I love here too, and granted, yeah, they're they're still in Washington, so they're you know the they're kind of limited in their wardrobe choices. But I just find it hilarious that they're both still in costume. Yeah. yeah. And 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 Steve looks like he's taking time away from going and hitting the porn, you know, the the porn shop to you know with his with his with his trench coat to stop by and talk to a dude all dressed in blue and and drunk off his ass. It's no wonder the poor guy at the counter was thinking, you know, some kind of fruit. They, they, this is the first time that uh, uh, that that our boy Rockwell starts getting like shaded in red, and I think that's also a a hint of who his his benefactor will be revealed to be. Like I was gonna say, did uh, I, I'm I'm flipping through the pages here real quick, and I'm just trying to see if at any point in time Rockwell was talking to the mysterious man in the TV screen in this issue. I don't think that happens quite yet okay like, yeah because so, i think i think this is the first like it, it may be not so subtle hint but all it is is he's the color is shading half of his face in in red and at the time you might just think oh it's because they're leveling more charges against them and and red is it's, you know anger it's and just evil. Dram- dramatic effect yeah dramatic lighting or something but but i think there's a little more to it than that so do you think? I mean, in in today's in today's conspiracy crazy society, do you think that would that would slip by today? Hmm. I'm not sure. I understand. Like, you know, I mean, this is how everybody always reads way too much into the littlest things. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. And like, totally like, like blow like, shit out of proportion. It, 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 do you do you think somebody could have could have just easily ignored that detail and just moved on about their business like we did? reading this back then like like but if this today if this came everything's out today. so so overanalyzed like they, there would have been five articles of the rockwell's face is half red and here's 20 reasons why he he's really the red skull or something no but anyways no it's it's a case of i mean like in today's world you know you'd have like three clickbait articles and about you know fucking 50 youtube videos that would just totally, oh, we're going to blow this apart and check out why this issue is going to be so important and all that type of shit. Just because there was a shade of red. Great, great post, post Snake War issue. Great, you know, great issue setting us up for the third act of the Cap No More run. I mean, and not to gloss over, I mean, I know it's probably easy to say, you know, Walker snapped and lost it and killed all these watchdogs, but the way the action is is framed in this sequence, I mean, you know, if 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 I were to, I mean, I don't know how Grunewald worked, like whether he did full script or not. I mean, a lot of the Marvel people, you know, they, they did the plot and, you know, if they worked that, that Marvel method, I, you know, I don't know how they worked or whatever, but regardless, like the, the way all the art is framed, like, I mean, it, it's, it's really good. I mean, you know, it makes me miss like, you know, sometimes there are certain things where, you know, there's not, it's interesting too, because, you know, it's not like it's something that's like super duper detailed where there's a background of the farm in like every single panel but he, he he includes enough of it so that you know where they are, even from panel to panel. And and then when he goes into the, you know, using a watchdog as a human shield, like that's a great panel. And then, you know, the moment where he's just starts snapping necks and, and throwing people into 
pillars and and doing the what I call the Jason Voorhees move, where he chucks the guy with the the pitchfork. Like I mean, all that is is framed really well. And 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 I the thing I like about it too is it's all very intense, spur of the moment action, and it I I, I can never not understand what's going on whereas i think I've, I've seen things like this before where people draw images that they think are cool or 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 draw a fight sequence where you're constantly wondering how did how did a get to z and and you're missing all the alphabet letters in between like i i think you know i i don't want to let this issue go by without just saying that i i felt like all the letters were there like like i was never confused about the events uh, in the sequence of action of, of how that flowed and, and what, what happened in there, like everything, you know, that, that moment where he takes his own noose and chucks it around the guy. I mean, it's just like, that's, that's great. Um, and, and, and it makes perfect sense. Like, I don't know that I would ever think to compose something like that, but, but I, I, I think it's, it's really good. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know you and I have, you know, we, we've talked about it and it had our little differences about the, you know, the classic way of, of, of comics and art and storytelling versus the new, you know, and how I kind of always feel that eh, the modern art is, is, is too over defined, you know, over detailed, trying to be photorealistic. And a lot of the heart yeah. is, 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 is taken out and that, you know, you, you don't have the, really the identifiable, stuff that makes an artist an artist to follow, you know, like, you know, Byrne was his own guy. Kirby was his own guy. George Perez is his own guy, that type of thing. And, and, and kind of focusing on that whole, the photo realism that a lot of artists want to go with nowadays, it's this issue, this kind of action, this kind of storytelling that shows that even in a modern day setting, this type of art is still in my my own personal view is the better style for comic books mm. because it's because it's expressive it's dynamic there's more you can do with it there's a lot of in, insinuation once again it and it you know it doesn't spell everything out for you the 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 watchdog taking the 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 pitchfork through the 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 chest you know it was done in silhouette it didn't yeah. have to be yeah. brutal and graphic you know sometimes you have to be able to let the theater of the mind do the work for you, you know? And, and so that's why, yeah, this entire sequence of, you know, the lead up to and the execution of John Walker, just going batshit crazy and unleashing the full fury on, on, on the watchdogs really, really is a high point of the story arc just because of the great art that was done by Kieran Dwyer, whether or not Grenwald specifically laid out every panel and how he wanted to do it. Or if he said, okay, I want two pages of a brutal ass fight scene. Yeah. Yeah. Give me your best, you know, whether, whether, no matter how it was done, it was just done extremely well to perfection. Yeah, it was it was delivered, and I think you hit the key point of the the storytelling is what's important in this. Like that, that's I think what I was trying to emphasize when when I said it was it was perfectly easy to follow and it flowed yeah. and everything oh, yeah. like that. You know, and it's like to me, I, in some cases, I I feel like the style, which I think is is a lot of what gets focused upon when people talk about comic art like to me the style is irrelevant like well not irrelevant i mean if you like the style then then good for you do you know what i mean like but but exactly. in, in terms of this 
It's like if if you like Kieran Dyer's style and they they have this excellent storytelling, then then that's when it's it's perfect, you know, right? But but even if you're not a fan of say the style, but the storytelling makes it something easy for you to 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 view. I, I if if I had to make a choice, if it's like you know choosing between you know your two darling children and the two darling children are style and storytelling, I'm gonna pick the storytelling child all the time right because you know yes style's nice but if if you can't figure out what's going on then ultimately the styles are not right because because it doesn't it's not a story it's just a bunch of pretty pictures exactly exactly no this is that that this scene is definitely one of the high points of 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 the captain moore saga and and really shows why i do even to this day still believe that karen dwyer is is very underrated in the industry and why he's not spoken of higher you know higher up the chart i'll never know i hurt myself today to see if i still feel i focus on the pain the only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all. My empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you So let's go ahead and continue on down the yellow brick road. We're going to do Captain America 346. The cover date is October 1988. The on sale date is June 14th, 1988. The story title is Ambush. And the cover blurb from the pages of X-Men comes Freedom Force, Ambush. Battlestar and Adrian Samish bail John Walker out of the county jail after his slaughter of the watchdogs from last issue. Walker is in a daze, but acknowledges that his actions won't bring his parents back. The Resistance, Quill, Miss Mistress, Meteorite, break out Mentallo from a prison transport 30 miles from the vault. Douglas Rockwell chews out Walker and quickly contacts his shadowy superior on what to do next, simply stating, the concept of Captain America is important to the American people, the world, to me. Rockwell is ordered to put Walker back into action ASAP. Battlestar is assigned to join Freedom Force in a mock trial to draw out the Resistance. Mentallo, now going by the name Think Tank, leads Meteorite, Paralyzer, Occult, Crucible, and Miss Mistress to the trial. However, his mental powers clue him in that this is a trap, 
and Meteorite sends one of his rocks smashing into the courthouse. Walker has been waiting on the sidelines, suited up as Captain America. He slams his shield into Paralyzer and a Colt and knocks out Crucible and knocks Crucible to the ground. Meteorite stops him from going splat and Think Tank attacks Cap with armed tendrils and lasers. Since Walker is fighting like a man possessed, Think Tank's mental abilities cannot figure out his next moves. Paralyzer makes the mistake of trying to electrocute Walker, but he smiles it off, drooling, and smashes the mutant through a brick wall. Walker <coughs> chokes a colt and plays possum when Miss Mistress thinks she has the upper hand and gets a shield to her gut as a result. A colt falls into electric power lines and Meteorite is shot with laser fire as Walker dodges Think Tank's attacks. As the floating rocks crash to the ground, Walker continues to pummel Think Tank until Battlestar, disguised as a guardsman for the mock trial, stops him. Pyro and the other members of Freedom Force are furious as this ragtag group of resistance was supposed to lead them back to their headquarters. John then reveals to Lamar that he missed his own parents' funeral to be on this mission. So I guess for me, I, I thought it was an important beat or note to, to see that, you know, Walker, at the end of the last issue, it, you, you might make the interpretation that he's completely in denial and he's rejecting reality, you know, cradling his dead parents and saying they're going to go get some lemonade, whereas here he, you know, he hasn't completely rejected reality. He's in a daze, but he... He realizes, he says, I, I know what I did, can't bring my parents back. And he sort of acknowledges, you know, he's, you know, if you're if you're going through the stages of grief, you know, like he, he he's not completely oblivious to the reality of what happened. And I think, again, like we've been constantly saying, these characters have flaws, but it, it also shows their strength as a character that they're they're trying to move on from those instances and those flaws. Yeah. And, you know, I mean. By and large as a whole, there's not really a whole lot with this issue that, I mean, I can go over and gloss on. I mean, a couple things here is that it firmly establishes that this was the issue that, yeah, we saw him cut loose on the last issue. But this is the issue that we know that that losing it has now made it's the losing it persona of where I don't give a shit. I will kill a motherfucker is now established as the norm. Okay. You know, it, yeah. it was yeah. it wasn't like a momentary lapse of reason due to a very extreme moment. It's now become his thing because it's it's kind of this issue where Kieran uh, Kieran Dwyer's now established the the crazed John Walker Captain America smile. Yeah, yeah, and and those are some he, of the best panels. I think the drool and the smile and everything, and and I I think for me it's important to to mention like. You, you don't turn that kind of stuff off. Like, I mean, you know, there's not a, you, you don't have a momentary lapse and become a trained soldier killer and then flip the switch back and just be like, okay, I'm done now. You know, like, 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 I think, you know, those kind of situations and circumstances, I mean, usually they forever change a human being, you know? So it's right. like, that's that's you know uh, to to me I I think the more realistic thing is to to acknowledge that he's going to have to deal with that you know for the rest of his life as opposed to you know you know sometimes when you have these done in one type stories 
you know, it's like something like that happens and then it's, you know, instant reset. But but this is actually, you know, one of these story arcs that's like a full running narrative. And and the events of this, you know, the previous issue, his parents dying, you know, his moment of losing it, they are now carrying over to to the subsequent encounters. Whereas, you know, essentially like this this mock trial, like probably should have been a milk run. They probably should have shown up and then followed these guys back and then that would have been the end of it. But it does because of the circumstances, it does turn into kind of a clusterfuck. Right. Yeah. And that's, and of course, you know, I mean, immediately the first thing they say is, you know, what the hell were you doing? We were supposed to, you know, we were supposed to be able to follow them back to their headquarters and, and Walker's like, fuck it. I don't care. Whatever. You know, you could definitely tell he's gone from being the, you know, the stoic upfront. I will do whatever it takes to be the, you know, to live up to the mantle of Captain America to where, no, you just give me the mission and what happens happens. And so, I mean, yeah, definitely the, the character shift, the shifting character between last issue and this issue, you know, has now gone full force. Well, it's like he, he got he got turned into <laughs> the survivor mode and hasn't been able to turn that off, really. Right. Like because right. that he's still he's still in that same uh, adrenaline juiced, you know, kind of, you know haze basically right. combine that with with you know not really having any time to deal with the grief of losing his parents you know like and and kind of you know blocking any kind of significant reflection on that you know so it's mm-hmm. it, you know it, it's like obviously there's there's there, there there's a lot of layers to what's going on and something that is essentially i mean you know it's 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 kind of a a fill in throwaway but it's also kind of dealing with the difference between if the status quo was, say, you know, Lamar and Walker attacking, you know, I don't know, when they, you know, early on when they went after, like, Leviathan or whatever, if that's the status quo, and then he just, you know, okay, yeah, at the end, he beat Professor Power to a pummel or whatever. But it's like, if everything before that was status quo, this is an example of showing you a day in the life where it's like, oh, if this is an off day for quote unquote Walker, right? Like, like, right. I guess, you know, he's not quite the same wide eyed, innocent, you know, kind of, you know, led by the nose character he was before. Like there's, there's, this has all had a lot of impact on him. I, man, for me, it, like, I know you, you're like, can you keep this mutant stuff in the X book or whatever? Like, which is, I suppose fair. Right. But to, to me, it's like, I think the the thing that's hard for me to wrap my head around is the resistance are X-Men characters that are disguised or renamed or rebranded as other characters. So that's the part like I have to, you know, I have to to write a list, you know, and be like, okay, wait, who is this again and who were they before and all this stuff? Right. Cuz it's like, right. you know, Mentallo, you know, we we've got a Thunderbolts podcast we do, you know, so for for those people that listen to that, you know, the Fixer's former partner was Mentallo. Mentallo's a mutant, but now he's going by think tank right because now that's his his rebranded name his you know his his new name or something like that meteorite was the character that used to go by the name lifter the name lifter i think makes more sense because he's lifting things including meteorites and the guy paralyzer used to be called the shocker not to be confused with spider-man's shocker a totally different shocker yeah yeah a cult was a character called 
Peeper. I was going to say, that was Peepers, wasn't it? <laughs> yep, that was Peeper. Interestingly enough, Peeper was killed by Predator X in Messiah Complex, in case you're wondering what happened to him. Paralyzer, oh, like I thought, some of the... I thought the, I thought the, the scene here again, that's kind of, you know, not meaning to interrupt. I thought he was killed on the power lines. Oh, yeah. See, when he, when he dropped, like, apparently his back really hurt bad, and, like... I think other appearances after that, like he did make other appearances and he wouldn't talk. So I think the speculation was like this injury, like made him like sort of more of a childlike, you know, like it, it, it reverted him to like a very simple state. And then, and then by the time he shows up in some more of those X-Men books, I think he's like an easy victim for, for this predator X thing or whatever. Which is like a, okay, I so, think it was like a monster so, so thing. So what, what we're saying is the power lines didn't kill him after all. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was the beginning of the 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 lengthy, the the lengthy end to to Peeper. Yeah, exactly. Crucible is interesting to me because Crucible was a mutant named Burner, who most I'm guessing most people this is this is going to become a history of comics on film thing. I'm sure most people would know as Byron Callie. And Byron Callie was in X-Men animated episodes, and he was an acolyte that was like Gambit's old buddy on the cartoon, which doesn't apply to any of his comic stuff. Like, he was never Gambit's old buddy in the comics, but in the, in the cartoon, he was Gambit's old buddy. Really long time. When did you sign up? Just having a look around, Byron. And then... Him and Lifter got their asses kicked by the New Warriors in the comics. Miss Mistress, kind of like a lot of these guys, lost her powers on M-Day. So, yeah, for, for me, like, you know, it's just one of those things where I was like, wait, who are these guys? And who did they used to be? And what are their names? And what do they do? You know, so, like, other than that, like, you know, like, I think this is kind of your... It's not a by-the-numbers issue, but it's to show you how the recent monumentous changes would have impacted a by-the-numbers issue. Right, right. Oh, and before we get to the next one, just for you kids that are keeping score, if you're wanting to pay attention, when Meteorite sends the, the giant big-ass rock down to hit the county courthouse, in a panel where you see the, the boulder coming down and you've got Captain America on top of the building, you will notice the building he is standing on contains... Simon's shoe repair <laughs> and and Kirby catering. Nice, nice. I get me I think, some of that some of that Kirby brew with some Kirby Yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. I figure I figure since I brought it up I might as well let kids you know yeah. let kids stay posted with this so oh, they can yeah. play along. All right. All right. All right. Uh, any anything else left on this guy? Then? No, no, I'm I'm good. I like I like drool and smiles. You know, that's that's what I'm about. The drool coming yeah. down the chin. Like that that where 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 paralyzer shocks him and then he kinda just waves that off with, with the crazed look. Like that's that's probably I think my favorite favorite moment in the book. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher, and it burns, burns, burns the ring of fire. The ring of fire. 
Captain America 347, cover date November 1988, on sale date July 12, 1988. The title of the story is Vengeance, and the cover blurb is says Vengeance. So we, we know this story is going to be about vengeance. A shadowy Captain America tells Hector and Jerome's mothers the next time they see their sons, they'll be dead men. When Hector's mother calls him up at the gym, he's enraged and decides him and Jerome need to stop Walker for good as right-winger and left-winger. As the Commission on Superhuman Activities debates on what to do about Walker and Rogers, Rockwell keeps trying to pump Rogers for information. Rogers is starting to think that whoever Rockwell works for has it out for him personally. As Lamar Hoskins takes a final exam to acquire his GED, Albert Malik is freed from a North Algerian prison. However, once he dons the mask of the Red Skull, he is quickly shot in the chest. When Rockwell is chatting with his shadowy supervisor, the man with the cigarette holder gets another call from the Scourge of the Underworld, confirming to his master that Albert Malik is dead. Meanwhile, when Captain America arrives at a Dallas, Texas oil refinery to tell Hector's father his son is a dead man, right-winger and left-winger are waiting for him. Unfortunately for them, Walker was counting on them coming by. Hector and John have a brutal fight, and Jerome tries to drive an oil truck into Walker. When Walker dodges and the truck crashes, he pulls left-winger out of the wreckage and begins to beat and break his bones. Right-winger torches Captain America in the back, but Cap shrugs this off and threatens to break Hector's wrist if he doesn't drop the torch. Hector complies, and John punches him in the face. When Hector begins to beg for mercy, Walker leaves the two tied up, giving the two a single torch to free themselves, and leaves another torch to ignite the oil tank. Just when one of the two gets their arm free, the oil tanker explodes behind Walker, leaving him a slight moment of satisfaction. This is, uh, I, I don't know if you believe this or not, but this is, and I may have already mentioned this, but this is the first issue of Captain America I ever owned. So oh. and that, that, that was the one I got in New York during a summer vacation where they had the custom figures or whatever. So like that was, that was the first issue of Captain America that I ever bought. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you, you, you bought that on off of the stands? Pretty much. It was, well, I guess it was a comic store and then I think it was signed at the time. So unfortunately I don't still have the issue, but I think it was either Grunewald or Dwyer must've signed it or something, but that this, that, that issue did not survive the great purge. So I don't still have it, but, but yeah. this was, it wasn't, it wasn't a spinner rack issue, but it, but it definitely was the first issue of Captain America that I bought from a comic shop. Did it confuse you all or were you, were you new enough to the comic book realm that you didn't quite understand what this whole John Walker, did you think that this was a different Captain America jumping this late into the Cap No More thing? Was it a confusing read for you? Come on uh, right in or I, I think I was, I, I think the, the fact that the splash page like has that, that shadowy <clears throat> kind of nefarious look to it. I, I think it was not, as confusing as you think it might be like I'm, I'm trying to, it, it's hard to remember because I think what, what I knew of Captain America before I bought the issue was I had the secret wars action figure. I, I probably had read issues of secret wars before this. 
So, uh, you know, you might you might think like, oh, you know, or or even Avengers, right? Like, like you might think like, oh, hey, you don't know nothing about Captain America, and you're jumping into this. I think I I had a fairly good idea of who Steve Rogers Captain America was based on I'd say Secret Wars and Avengers comics, and mm-hmm. this was my first venture into solo Captain America issues, and 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 John Walker being different, I think. I'm trying to remember, but I think since it was signed, like I, I, I think there, there, there was some explanation to me on on what that issue was, and I think I figured it out pretty quickly that it wasn't like I think I knew just by the way he was acting and the the way everything went down that this was not necessarily the Captain America I read about in Secret Wars or wasn't you know that my Secret Wars action figure I guess so I don't sure. I don't think I don't think I was super confused and also. I, I was, I was like a sponge back then, you know, like, like, I, I think, I think th- this is something I like to point out, like, you, you know how you said, you know, the Silver Centurion Iron Man wasn't really like your bag or, or, or it wasn't the, the one you grew up with, right? Like the golden right. bread. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think me, like around this era, you know, the, the 88, 87, you know, that I think, you know, even, even the Man of Steel, John Byrne reboot, like anything that, that maybe... If I was, you know, if, if those things came out now, I might be like, what the heck is this new crap? I don't like it, you know, or whatever, because I'm, I'm right. legendy and old, right? But at that point, I think I was a lot more open to any newfangled thing. Like, you know, I think the way my, my you know, brain worked, it was, it was kind of like, oh, this is the new Spider-Man costume. You know, he wears a black costume now. This is the new Captain America costume. He's got the basic black. Like, and this other right. guy is filling in for, you know, I, I think I think I just, you know, I was a sponge. I took it all in and and basically assimilated that as part of my lexicon. And, and I, you know, I just kind of rolled with it. So I, I don't ever remember having any, like, scratch my head moments or anything with this. Like, I think I just, I just took it at face value. Right. R- read it for what it was. And I, I think also this, again, you know, has to me, like, a lot of good the the ambiance of it the mood the atmosphere the way they draw John Walker like you get the idea of that he's 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 mad and and you know he's 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 kind of ready to enact vengeance on you know left winger and right winger who i mean you you could almost say i mean some people might say it's madness right but but to me i mean i i don't think it's that far of a stretch i mean you you called it in the eight page story like they are you know you don't know it at the time but but indirectly they are responsible for his parents death like and and that's something that 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 sticks with him. Like you know now you know now that he's slowly coming out of his, you know his days, right? Like the 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 kind of haze that he was in, where you know they you know Battlestar shows up at the jail cell and they're waving five fingers in front of him. Like, can you see me, John? Like, what's up? And and he's right. not really responding to that. He goes from that to what you're describing as kind of the. Almost, you know, it's it's it becomes much more literal in, in later issues. But they almost, you know, here's Johnny Jack Nicholson kind of look where he's got the drool and the smile and everything. But the way his his mind processes all this, all these events, you know, in his mind, and and I don't think it's it's that unreasonable, you know, if if it wasn't for Hector and Jerome shooting their mouths off and being jerks, 
like his parents still might be alive and 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 he's taken that to heart and and he's 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 in that he's in that survivor you know killer be killed mode still from the watchdog fight and and he's ready to to take it to them which you know is probably not as justifiable you know running around threatening people's parents but i mean i understood the concept of the story and 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 I think I still understood why he was doing what he was doing. And then on top of that, you know, it, it kind of goes back to the old age old, you know, people in tights, you know, punching other people in tights and just yeah. having fun well, with mean, that aspect of the, the fantastical element of it. From, from a realistic point of view, let's I mean, you know, if we if we want to go ahead and play devil's advocate for for John Walker's penchant for death and destruction, his disregard for human life. You also have to think about it too. It's not like he didn't kill anybody that didn't have it coming. Yeah, and 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 again, you wouldn't you wouldn't be having Maybe. the comics code approval moral conundrums with James Bond. You wouldn't have Maybe them the with resistance. Mad Max. Yeah. Maybe the resistance guys not so much. They were just trying to break somebody, you know, break break, break some of their mutant brothers free to join their resistance. But, you know, at the end of the day, they were the ones that provoked an attack and and and, and damn near destroyed a, a county courthouse and then tried to you know uh, electrocute him and well, yeah, suffocate him and, and so yeah, you know the, the, the resistance are, are an offshoot of the brotherhood of evil mutants i mean it's not a stretch like they're not they're not the x men they're not they're not fighting for a humanity that fears and hates them they're just right. another you know kind of uh, group that is 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 not interested in anything but their own self-interest i think so i don't right. i don't but you know yeah i'm just i'm just saying in the grand scheme of guys that had it coming yeah i, I don't know the but yeah they might be on the lower end totem of that pole right right and also too for you kids keeping score at home page two where i can't remember if it was hector or jerome's mother the the elderly gal is sitting on, sitting down, watching TV, minding her own affairs before being thrown into a heart attack slash panic attack, because Captain America told him next time he sees his son, he's a dead man. Tell tell your son he's a dead man walking. Well, if you look on that page where we see the TV screen, she's watching Wheel of Fortune, and the, the puzzle. You can spell it out pretty clearly. That puzzle, Simon and Kirby. First page. Second panel. Oh, got First it, got page. it. I see. Yeah, I see. I Simon, 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 and Kirby. Okay, I was like Simon and Kirby whoa. on the TV okay. screen. Cool, cool. Yeah, I see it now. And that was that was Hector's mom. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That was Hector's mom. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I mean, really, the only other closing thought that I have on this, because I mean, there's not really much to discuss. I mean, a great fight sequence between Captain America and and the oh, winners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's, a great, it's awesome. I mean, just, just the, you know, words cannot describe it. You guys, if you get a chance, you go and you read this, you see some of the great Kieran Dwyer, psychotic Captain America smiling, you know, the whole nine yards here, you know, people getting run over by gas tankers. And it's just, it's, it's just a knockdown drag out with a, with a great, uh, I guess, superhero induced death trap. Well, I, 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 it's been frequently said that Grunewald ripped off Mad Max, which I can, I can see that. I mean, it's it, it's sure, definitely the Mad Max moment, like for it's sure. O- it's okay to steal as long as you're stealing diamonds and not glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good, man. I mean, I mean, to me, this also reminds me, and and it's the same thing. Like, I am 
uh, again, I, you know, I'm not a proponent of comics code. I don't care about, you know, this, this moral, whatever it is, you know, the thing that, that people have with superheroes shouldn't kill. Like to me, this reminds me of man on fire, you know, like, like Denzel, like lighting the guy up and just walking away from him, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's, you know, to me, like, like that, you know, and, and, and that, that to me, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll get the little slight smirk, like John Walker after that goes down, you know, like I, I, I'm I'm okay with that. Like and and again, wh whether you know, I I I've, I've just heard it said. Like when I've read reviews of this arc or or seen reviews from other people that I don't necessarily agree with, I've seen it somehow, like derided or chastised. Like oh, this this ripped off Mad Max or whatever. And I you know I'm I'm kind of I I tend to agree with you. One, but it's, when I read this comic, I had never seen Mad Max. You know, for the first time, because I was only like ten or something like that. And then two, like like you're saying, well, hey, at least he's at least he's stealing diamonds and not you know turds, right? Like right, so, right. So. But yeah, no. My final point on this here, though, is with the Albert Malik Red Skull being shot down by the Scourge, and then immediately going to Rockwell, talking to the mysterious man on the screen. If you don't know who the big overall mastermind villain in this story arc right. is by now, right, right, right. I mean, dude, you can. I, I mean, you, you, you have to be getting concussions from how hard they're hitting you over the head with this shit by this point. If, yeah, if, you, think, if you don't get it, then I don't. I, I really don't know how else to help you. Yeah, and I, I, I think I'll go along with the theory that that this was not entirely planned out from the very beginning of the story, but, but clearly by. Like 344, 345, they knew what direction they were headed in, and and I agree with you. This is they're 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 definitely hammering you over the head with, with with who is the the, the mega mastermind here? Yes, sir. Tell me now, baby, is it good to you? And can you do to you the things that I do? I can take you hard. All right, Captain America 348, cover date December 1988, on sale date August 1988. The story title is Out of Commission. Cover blurb. Caps smashed. The terrorist Flag Smasher is on the run from his own men from Ultimatum. Underground, liberated, totally integrated, mobile army to unite mankind in the North Pole. <laughs> With wicked jet ski skills, Flag Smasher manages to defeat his two pursuers and goes about his urgent mission to expose Ultimatum's true founder and financial backer. He commandeers a communications facility and demands a message for help to be sent to Captain America. Back in Washington, D.C., the Commission for Superhuman Affairs is busy chewing out John Walker for his most recent fracas. They vote to permanently suspend and detain him when, out of nowhere, President Ronald Reagan enters the briefing room. He wanted to meet the new Captain America before he takes leave of office in January. He shakes Walker's hand and asks Rockwell why he was never informed of the original Cap's replacement and wants to know what became of Stephen Rogers. When he's informed Rogers is being held for questioning, he tells the commission his recollection is of a masked man who saved him. 
If that man was Rogers, the president says he should be given a medal and wants to do whatever he can to expedite his release. Once the president leaves the room, all the commission members immediately change their tune. Rockwell informs his shadowy master of recent events and is instructed to plan a bug on Rogers once he's free. Val Cooper then storms in and advises Rockwell of Flag Smasher's SOS. Rockwell knows they only have Walker to send in and hopes he gets killed and saves them the trouble. While Steve Rogers, also known as the Captain, remains in confinement, some kind of explosion kills the lights and he discovers his cell door to be open. When he comes across his vibranium shield, he is certain his release is a setup. Meanwhile, Battlestar and the new Captain America head out to the Arctic to respond to Flag Smasher's call for help. When Flag Smasher holds a hostage at gunpoint, certain Captain America will drop his shield. Walker tells him no. If Flag Smasher kills the hostage, Walker flatly states he'll join him seconds later. Enraged, they have sent him a fake Captain America. Flag Smasher throws away the hostage and slams his mace into Walker's shield. Walker fights back, saying he's no fake, and begins to pummel Flag Smasher. Flag Smasher then makes use of his energy-absorbing exoskeleton to sap Walker of his strength, knocking him out. When Battlestar stumbles upon the collapsed Walker, Flag Smasher tells Battlestar to get him the real Captain America within 48 hours, or the entire world will be plunged into chaos. And that is Captain America 348 out of commission. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, you know, this is probably of the Ron Friends Kirby inspired covers. This one is probably my favorite. I just love the design aspect of it. I thought it, it was a great cover. Yeah, it, it is. And and I, I I don't know what it is, man, but I, I it's like he kind of looks like like an evil space ghost terrorist on skis. But I totally <laughs> dig like the look and the aesthetic of Flag Smasher, like he looks so freaking cool. Flag Smasher is one of my one of my favorite Captain America villains, and I really, really do think highly underrated. Yeah, as far as yeah. just great, you know, because here again, you got to have villains that fit the mold of your hero. And as you know, having that that terrorist group type of a deal like Ultimatum. Which honestly, they didn't need to make you know some jive ass acronym to fit the word ultimatum. Just the word ultimatum is all you need. You know, we are giving the world its ultimatum. That type of thing. You don't you don't need to have that. You know, the long winded bullshit of what it stands for. Screw that. Yeah, I think that kind of put that put a little too much cheese on it, if you ask me. But you know, here again, you know, this is where you know we're definitely. You know, we're rounding that corner. We're gearing up for the big showdown. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, just across the board, really, really a great, a great issue as we start, you know, hitting that final lap with action. I I didn't quite understand that. Okay, so Ronald Reagan comes in and tells the commission, go ahead and, you know, release Steve Rogers. He ain't done nothing wrong. He, He say, you know, he's a he's a credit to our society. Let him go. Okay, fine. Why did they have to be so clandestine about it? You know, you could put a tracker on his shield. You could do whatever you need to do. But instead of just letting him out and 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 saying, okay, look, we're, you, get, you get a pass. We're letting you go. Instead, they do like the sneaky middle of the night, unlock the, unlock the cells and gently set the shield somewhere where he can find it and all that 
you know, to me that that just came across kind of bullshit. I don't know. Like maybe maybe I'm thinking too deep into it. I always felt like the the Reagan scene was somewhat of an apology for 344, and also to to kind of put him in the clear for you know the the way they they establish it is it was a discretionary power oversight, not not that Ronald Reagan had it in for Steve Rogers or anything. You know what I mean? Like, so, so to me, I guess this is my way of saying, I figured they were saying, all right, go ahead and, and release Captain America. But I think before they could even get that done, Rockwell went ahead and implemented like the Red Skulls plan, which was, yes, go ahead and free him, but put the tracker on him and do it clandestinely as opposed to like, like basically let him break free before they can free him with some kind of official, like, Hey, everything's okay. Like here's a parade. Like we were wrong type thing. Cause, cause I think the whole point of the, the, you know, Cass even knows like this is a setup. I don't think, I don't think the setup is from the commission of superhuman activities. I think the setup, is from Rockwell and the Red Skull. Yeah, but like I'm saying, from the time that that Reagan went in to the 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 the, the commission meeting, to the time that Steve Rogers was quote unquote let out of his cell, there was a hell of a lot of time that passed to where there's not that much red tape to where they would have let him out. Mm. I just I think I think at the end of the day, just, I think Grenwald did it that way so he could have like three pages of internal monologue and exposition. Mm, so so he could have Cap think to himself in the jail cell type thing. Right, right. I just I think there's a better way they could have gone with it, like like say, you know, they could have been shady and not told the president that they had Steve Rogers, so he never knew about it. They just they were aware of who he was. They know who he is, but he's at large. And they mm. say, well, when you find him, you give him the highest commendations for for his service and his work because he did mm. a hell of a great bang up job. Right, right, right. And then, and then, and then the other commissioners kind of look at each other, going, "Why did Rockwell just boldface lie to him about that?" Yeah, you know. And then he says something like plausible deniability, whatever. I mean, there's there's other there's other sneakier ways that and and, and you don't you haven't really heard me bitch too much about story writing on this so far because there's a lot of stuff you can let go. But something like that was just kind of glaring to me. And there are ways that they could have could have spiced that up a little bit, given a little bit more punch and really home into the fact that the commission itself wasn't an evil organization. It was just fronted by a corrupt Rockwell. Right, right, right. But again, yeah. that's just me. That's just me. Monday. That's that's Monday morning quarterback, and it's all lined yeah, up. I mean, so. you know, to to me, I I think you know, like uh, you know, I I'm not in love with 344 or anything. But I mean, I think I think this is a decent apology for that. If if you were, if it ruffled your feathers the wrong way, because I, I and I think it's cool too that that they have him basically wanting what's best for for Walker and you know where he's like, oh, you're the new guy. Like, well you know, good for you, son, you know, like that thing, like, like, I, I, I like both of those things where it wasn't, he, he wasn't picking sides, he, he just, he, you know, that, that, that it was one of those things where it's like, uh, 
you know, I'm on my way out. Anything I can do, you know, and it's like, oh, uh, well, free that one guy. And good luck to you, son. Goodbye. You know, and that that was I was like, okay, that's cool. I, I I'm I'm up for that and everything. And I think at this point, like because of the like you said, the the fantastic kind of Kirby inspired cover because of the way Flag Smasher looked super boss and all that stuff. Like I I was definitely at this point I was you know I picked up the 347 and that was my first. And by this point, like now I was like, okay, I'm buying this book like on a regular basis now. You know, like I right. I was I was kind of on board and everything. I think. Uh, I'd say like Dwyer's pencils. Like I'm, I'm noticing less of the Kirby in or Kirby, less of the the burn type influence. You know, like mm-hmm. that. That I, I felt like the this issue. Like you, you definitely see him, you know, coming into his own. Like like I don't I don't think of the 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 boss like flag smasher splash pages. Like when he's on the the jet skis or when he's like the the really cool splash page where he's He's swiping the mace at the shield like that to me doesn't look anything to I mean, I could be wrong. But to me, like, I don't think that that is that that, is not a burn. Yeah, that's not a burn thing. That's just him like like finding his own own style, you know, and I I, I was like, I think this and, and, uh, you know, I I think sometimes what I see as a signature Dwyer thing is is the way it's funny, the, the Walker kind of insane smile. Like, it's funny how that also somehow like Rockwell gets that too. And, and, and there's other characters that, that have certain jaw lines and teeth and all that stuff. And I, I feel like that's, that's a lot of him coming into his own and everything. And I, you know, again, like, and, and, and I think too, just the action element of it, like I wanted to have my, my secret wars figures have cool rocket packs and jet skis and, and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I think all that stuff's really cool. Did they ever make a, a Legends figure for Flag Smasher? Nope, nope. That would be awesome if they did. Son of a bitch! They need yeah. to get on that. We need to start. Yeah. We need to start the fucking uh, the, the petition. petition on that. Well, well, I, I always say how the 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 Hasbro NSA is always listening in on these podcasts. So if they're listening, if if the Hasbro NSA is listening, dude, get get on that Flag Smasher. Throw in some some jet skis and a big honking mace. Like it's gonna be. Super yeah, pitching. and not and not some not some whatever you know a uh, uh, newer thing that I want vintage old school classic flag smasher classic classic from like flag three from like three twenty one you know three twenty one era or or the three the three forty eight era yeah, nothing not, yeah. nothing nothing new nothing you know with shoulder pads and pockets this is the guy I want slight continuity note and also reference to to maybe other podcasts. At one point in one of our Avengers Comics MoFo episodes, we talked about Avengers Annual 17. That was the conclusion to the Evolutionary War, which featured the Captain. That is basically that, and and a little side jaunt in Avengers 298 is what the Captain was up to during, like, some of the events, you know, like, like, after this issue basically so like once he he escapes it's like well why doesn't he get there like right away it's like well he had to go like save the world from the high evolutionary in the meantime so there was a genetic bomb he had to deal with yeah you know it's like uh, and then and then and then there's like demons running around in in new york yeah that'll 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 come a few issues later but yeah yeah so there's there's there's, 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 there's stuff going down 
He's got to do what a man's got to do what a man's got to do. Yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, the annual happens between these issues and then Inferno is between 49 and 50. Yep, yep, yeah. Okay, so. all right, all right. Yeah. I got my timeline figured out. Okay, cool. I'm good. Cool. I'm good with that. All right. For you kids following along at home, and and for one, uh, uh, Derek Crab. Yeah. If you if you look on the final page, final panel of issue 348, where one Steve Rogers, the captain, is checking in to his hotline, and he sees a bunch of crazed gibberish that he doesn't know, but we do know is 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 stemming from the Inferno events that are going on. With the crazed gibberish, if you if you scan through, and just so you can find it a little quicker for you, the ninth line down, where it says, Gabba Gabba Hey, it's then followed by Simon Says, and then on the next line, Hijack. Hijack, yeah, nice, nice. There's... There's your Simon and Kirby reference for this issue. So then, then perhaps we have Jack Morelli to thank for that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still going to say that that's that's a Kieran thing. Okay. And I think he probably told him. He says, "Hey, look, story wise, there's not really a whole lot of places I can fit this. Really sneak this in because everyone's mm. looking at buildings and shit. Could you maybe go ahead and and just slap that in there for me? Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know." I, I don't know how they were working it at that point in time. But there we go. Cap Captain America 349, cover date January 1989, on sale date September 13th, 1988. The story title is Ice Cap. And the cover blurb for the life of the new Captain America, the Captain, side by side with Battlestar. The Captain rising out of the ocean after a three mile swim. He is relieved to find D-Man on what appears to be the abandoned Avengers Island. With the current Avengers team disbanded, the captain gives D-Man a field promotion to Avenger. When Battlestar lands on Avengers Island looking for the captain, D-Man recognizes him and they begin to skirmish. The captain stops the fight and listens to Battlestar fill him in on the Flag Smasher situation. After he's heard enough, the captain is ready to meet the challenge head-on and the three heroes take flight in an Avengers Quinjet. Meanwhile, at Ice Station Able, Flag Smasher has Walker chained and hanging from some machinery with his lower half submerged in frigid ice water. Before Flag Smasher knows what's happening, Ice Station Able is swarming with ultimatum agents on jet skis. In very little time, the Quinjet is also on site, and the Captain and Battlestar disembark while D-Man is left to pilot the ship. While the Captain heads to locate Flag Smasher, Battlestar is on the hunt for his boy, John Walker. He manages to free his friend who is severely frostbitten. The captain soon discovers Flag Smasher armed with his old shield and a machine gun, mowing down encroaching ultimatum agents. When Flag Smasher realizes the captain is the original Captain America, he reveals that he resigned from the group because none other than the Red Skull 
has been financing Ultimatum the entire time. He tells the captain he tried to dismantle Ultimatum's doomsday machine and asks for the captain's help in destroying it. Cap agrees and has D-Man fly himself and Flag Smasher to the Ultimatum base. The two trade shields and launch an assault using the Ultimatum jet skis. Since neither Cap nor Flag Smasher have the knowledge to defuse the EMP Doomsday Machine, Cap orders D-Man to fly the Quinjet into their location and bail out before the crash. Unfortunately, Ultimatum jet ski agents plant explosives on the Quinjet and one of them blows on the outside of the Quinjet before D-Man can remove them. D-Man tries to save an Ultimatum agent that got tangled on his own grappling hook line and the Quinjet explodes, killing them both. The captain screams out D-Man's real name, Dennis, and dives into the water to look for his friend. Reliving the death of his former sidekick, Bucky, the captain cannot find a body and is horrified that one of his sidekicks has died yet again. And that is Captain America 349. The, the, if anything's a Kirby oh. homage, it's it's this cover, man, because this, this totally looks like a Captain America Kirby cover. Oh, very, yeah, very, very much so. And and also too, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious what he was doing there because if you if you look on the bottom, it was it was you know uh, uh, Ron number one was was announcing that this was the final cover that he was doing for Captain America by saying goodbye, and then also the thanks Jack. Mm-hmm. So you know, just kind of all the way around, you know, fitting little end. I'm not quite sure, you know, why they didn't have him do the cover for 350, but, you know, hey, it'd be what it'd be. Somebody was asleep at the editor wheel or the printing press or whatever because they talk about how Cap is coming from Avengers Annual 18, but that will be in the far-flung future of the next year because it's actually Avengers Annual 17. God damn, you think you think they were asleep at the wheel? I, I don't have it up right now because I'm, I'm sitting there trying to hunt down the Simon and Kirby thing. Does it say who the editor was at that point in time for this book title? Uh, Ralph Macchio. Ah, uh, Ralph Macchio. Okay. Yeah. Wake the fuck up, Ralph. This is the second time in this story arc. <laughs> Wake up, Ralph. What's, Jesus. What's Jesus, buddy. Yeah, I mean, again, I was definitely on board. I, I, I feel like that image of, of Walker unmasked and, and his lower half submerged, and then he's, like, chained up on some kind of, I don't know, some kind of construction thing. I don't really know it's what like it a, is. Yeah, it's like a beam. It's like a beam or a girder, you know, one yeah. of those type of deals. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then, and then his lower half, like, even that, he, they, they've got, like, a, a metal beam tied to Oh, I'm his, sorry, that's his, that. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's what he was tied, his legs were tied to. Yeah, I'm trying to get to that page here real quick just to see what we got going on here. It looks like it looks like it's supposed to be a, a half-assed version of like a crane or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, you know, but like, I mean, uh, like a like an engine lifter, one of those yeah. type of gimmicks. Yeah. But I, I mean, I even remember seeing that, and you know, not not that I'm muscle bound or anything, but even then, I went back then as a little kid, I was kind of like, man, like that must suck. Like, like I'm like, you're 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 submerged in freezing water, and like he's trying to bust out of these chains and everything. Like I could sort of, I, I I could feel, I could feel the pain, man. Like that <laughs> that does that does not look like that's comfortable at all. On that day, I felt sorry for John Walker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I was already, I was already, I was already feeling sorry for him because of the whole parents thing. But this, this physically, I was like, "Ow, that looks like that hurts, man." 
you know, it's nice to see uh, old, old D-Man get a little bit of redemption. You know, yeah, granted, yeah. He, had, he had to he had to sucker punch him to do it. But at the end of the day, you know, got 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 a little bit of a comeback on Battlestar there. So good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, just kind of you know wrapping it up, really, just you know setting the table for the big 350th issue. Again, you know, Kieran Dwyer drawing some great action sequences, and you know, I mean, you were talking earlier about how he was kind of getting away from the the John Byrne, yeah, mold. And as I'm sitting there and, and I'm looking at this, it, it's what it kind of harkens to me is, and I'm not gonna say he, he just, I'm not gonna say that he did he that he copied because, you know, they they both kind of came around the same time, but his art to me feels more like uh, uh, John Bogdanov. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I can, you know, I can, I can see elements of that. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's ironic. Like, I think, I think I do like Kieran Dwyer style, but I, 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 regardless of storytelling, like we've distinguished, I, I, I would say I'm not the biggest fan of John Bogdanov's style. Like, I think I, I've, I've always, like when, when they were doing all those Superman books, like, I think if I was ranking it, you know, to me, I'd be like Tom Grummet, you know, Dan Jurgens. And then whoever they got on Action Comics, whether it was like, you know, Butch Geis or whoever. And then and then at the very bottom of the rung, it'd be John Bogdanov, because I'm not I'm not a super fan of the style. But I mean, I think with with Kieran Dwyer, I, I kind of like it. I mean, I and, and I like the way like you're talking about, you, you know, if you're making me dream big, you know, I, I in addition to the, the Flag Smasher Marvel legend. They should have some like troop builder ultimatum agents with like Uzis and stuff, and then they oh, can you have swap yeah. out like skis and, and all kinds of stuff. Like that'd be so so bitching. Yeah, no, you would if you were to do that, you would have to do that. And yeah, for you kids at home, I hate to disappoint, but I'm not I'm not finding the Simon and Kirby Oh reference. Yeah, the, the hidden glyphs on this issue. Could be one of those one offs. I'm not sure, but uh, you know, hey. Can't win them all. If you're listening, you want to go ahead and just, you know, feel free chime in. Let us know what, you, what if you found it where it's at. The page where they swap shields, page 22. I have fond memories of that bottom panel because I I know I totally like swiped that. Like I, I I drew like an image of of Cap like that, you know, with the jet skis and all that, just because I thought it was super cool looking. And I liked I liked that he right. got back his original shield and everything. Like I really. I, I really like that panel. Yeah, where they're where they're flying out and yep, yeah, yeah, and that's you know, and then here again, you know, that's another thing too, where, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, everybody just is so in awe of Cap, like he's like, oh my god, he's never been on one of these, and he handles it like a pro. He really is Captain America, mm. too perfect for his own damn good. TJ wants to punch him in his perfect teeth. In his perfect teeth, yeah, bastard. I... I mean, you know, I, I think, again, this is the, the comics code morality thing coming to bite D-Man in the ass, though. Like, if he had just been like, fuck that ultimatum guy, maybe maybe he wouldn't have, quote-unquote, perished in an exploding Quinjet crash. But, uh, you know. Hey, you want to be, you, you be a terrorist? You, you, you know, you want to play, you got to pay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So, and, and I, I remember that, I mean, that was kind of a big deal to me because, because I think, like I said, I mean, I, I did like B-Man. So, I, and I, I felt, I mean, the, the look on Cap's face after the explosion goes off too, like you kind of see like the, the horror in his eyes and everything. And then him, you know, it's like this almost, uh, this, this saddened look, even though he's still trying to swim down where he says it can't have happened again please god you know like and and right i mean that's that's i mean you know uh, you know you you i don't think that's something you can gloss over i mean that's something where you know it's like if you if you've read captain america you know how much especially in the early issues he would he would opine over bucky's death so i mean this is no small thing that it's reminding him of you know yeah, so this is- this this is his PTSD moment. Yeah, yeah, and and so and I I think the way they they display that is 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 well done. You know the 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 emotion you know and 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 the 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 looks and everything. Like I think I think certain artists might have a you know quote unquote cooler style per se, but I don't think some artists are able to convey this level of of emotion. You know, like it, it goes from that that horror and shocked face and then the that face of of it's like he's in a almost like having a little cry in the ice water you know what i mean like like right. it's, it's it's really good like you know and 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 there's you know i mean there's some people that that can do it effortlessly and there's other people i feel like they they don't know the first thing about it you know so it's like i think i think that's definitely worth mentioning as far as the the events in this issue there's all very good expressions and facial features and, and, and they convey, you know, a certain element of the character to, to the reader, you know, regardless of the, the writing. Yes. And again, just again, a prime example of why I feel Kieran Dwyer underrated artist of the late eighties, early nineties. Anything else? Or should we, should we, should we go on to the penultimate, uh, the, the ultimate issue since we did, yeah. we just did the penultimate. Yeah, let's, 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 yeah, let's get this guy wrapped up. There's life to be lived, son. We've got Captain America 350. The cover date is February 1989. The on-sale date, October 11th, 1988. It's a day before 
Derek was 10 years old. Let's see. The the a, There's an A story and a B story. I don't know that we'll spend that much time on the B story. Or I guess there's an A story and then I, I what did I do? I broke it down into A, B, C, D, and E. But the E is the, the backup story and the B, C, and D is all the special stuff because it's an anniversary, all these little pinups and things. Right. Um, so the A story is seeing red. And then just to establish, this this is the, the issue where Ron Friends does not do the cover. It's actually Karen Dwyer that does the cover. And you've got the two battling Captain Americas facing off. We open on the shadowy mastermind, finally revealed. He appears to be an evil version of Steve Rogers and proceeds to have a sparring session turned death spree with five men dressed as Captain America. He states he is now an American dreamer, which to him means the realization of one's personal ambitions by whatever means necessary. His dream, to deny any other dreamer their dream, to enslave every American citizen and destroy America itself. He then contacts his servant, Rockwell. When Rockwell reports Steve Rogers has not been heard from and has not returned from his mission in the Arctic, the blonde, anti-Steve Rogers, finds it unlikely that Rogers perished during the encounter. In New York City, we find Steve Rogers in the aftermath of Inferno, coming out of Avengers 299 and 300. As the captain, he stops a runaway truck from running over many bystanders, both young and old. At Fort Meade, John Walker is recovering from his mission against Flag Smasher. Rockwell wants to know what happened to the shield, and Walker tells him it was taken from him, but he'll get it back. Rockwell tells Walker to stay put as the commission decides what to do with him. Walker is also upset with Lamar for calling in for help from the original Captain America. When Lamar leaves his hospital room, Walker receives an anonymous call telling him he can recover his shield at the Smith Building by midnight. When the captain comes in to see Rockwell and return the shield, he catches him talking to the anti-Rogers, and Rockwell quickly hangs up. When he begins to interrogate Rockwell, his phone rings again, and Rockwell is sprayed with red dust that shrivels up his face into a red skull. The man on the other end of the line laughs as Rockwell lies dead. The captain recognizes the telltale signs of the original red skull. Even though he is not convinced this is the original Red Skull, he attempts to trace the phone call. Later that night, the anti-Rogers, calling himself Mr. Smith, has invited John Walker to his building. While Mr. Smith can't bring himself to call Walker Captain America, he does leave him to fight members of all of the organizations he has been behind. Ultimatum, The Resistance, The Watchdogs, Sweatshop members, and Scourge of the Underworld. As he leaves, he tells Walker he is Steven Rogers. As Walker fights Smith's goons, Smith reveals to the real Steve Rogers that he is the original Red Skull and that his replacement as Captain America is John Walker, also known as the Super Patriot. Taking credit for all the events that have led up to this point, the Red Skull leaves the Captain to fight an adrenaline-charged John Walker as Captain America. The unavoidable fight continues as images of Walker's kills as Captain America flash on monitor screens. After being goaded by Walker, Rogers tosses his shield to the floor and fights Walker mano a mano. 
Walker looks to have the upper hand and begins to strangle Rogers with electrical wire, but then the captain boxes Walker's ears, finally knocking him out. An applauding Smith slash Skull arrives to witness his handiwork personally. As Smith slash Skull continues to taunt Rogers, he notices he's not inhaling his cigarette holder. Roger ducks as Walker has crawled to the shield, throwing it at Smith slash Skull's back, throwing him off balance and causing the red dust to be turned on its creator. No longer a mirror image of Steven Rogers, but now having a real-life Red Skull for a face. The Red Skull flees. The Skull manages to escape, and Rogers tells Walker he owes him one. In the aftermath, the Commission on Superhuman Activities, with Val Cooper now as their spokeswoman, determines that the shield and uniform should be returned to Steven Rogers. Rogers turns them down saying it's the man that counts and not the uniform. Walker then runs after Rogers and convinces him to take the mantle back, saying he needs to prevent the commission from giving the mantle away to some other poor slob who cannot live up to the responsibility. The cover blurb for this, of course, says the Captain versus Captain America and, spoilers, the dramatic return of the Red Skull. Gotta sell that comic book. This is this is pretty much it. I mean, we'll, we'll go into like the other features and the the backup story and everything. But this is this is the main thing. This is what this this almost two years worth of of issues has been leading up to the 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 face off between John Walker and Steve Rogers, and of course the reveal that the Red Skull has been the master manipulator behind this whole thing the entire yeah. time. Which, which again, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many people needed, needed to have the spoiler alert or how that ruined it for everybody. Like <laughs> right, I said, right, if, you, right, right. If, you, if you had no idea reading the story that it was, it was the skull was back. I mean, how dense can you be here again? Another great issue. Some more great Kieran Dwyer artwork. You know, a lot of people you know, would sit there and say that the manipulation by the skull might seem a little bit hackneyed, but I thought really if if it was Grenwald's intent from the beginning or not, it played itself out well. I mean, I've seen worse, man. I mean, plenty of other endings where it's just completely shit the bed. You know, the the ending is anticlimactic. Like, what the fuck did they did they even write the you know, you know, did they did they even think of an ending or were they just writing themselves into a corner or what the hell? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, you think about you think about like them constantly changing and and then eventually settling on the Green Goblin coming back from the dead, Norman Osborn to be the mastermind behind the Clone Saga. I mean, that's right. that's probably the atypical example of when something totally went off the rails and and does not have even the the slightest modicum of believability. And I mean, I'll accept the criticism that that somebody might say, hey, look. Grenwald didn't know that he was going in this direction when he first started the story. Fine, I, I acknowledge that, but I also acknowledge what you're saying, which is, you know, the way these last like six get out, I I think it's fine. Like I think I think you know you you have to do a little kind of headcanon retconning maybe to to think of it as oh wow the skull was alive like right after he died in 300 and did all this stuff behind the scenes. But you know what I I think it's fine. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a great capper for 
you know, the end. And shit, might as well go. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the supplemental story at the end of the book. I'll just so people know what what's in it. I mean, there's not too much to it, but basically sometime prior to the events of this story at Arnim Zola's stronghold in the Swiss Alps, Zola <laughs> arranges for Red Skull's mind to be transplanted into a clone body of Captain America at the moment of his death. Johann Schmidt relives his origins and greatest battles with the Star Spangled Avenger up until his death in the pages of Captain America 300. Smith then disregards his old Red Skull mask and decides to take a new approach to his life's work. Quote, unquote, the beginning. But yeah, so that's, uh, you know, that, that's kind of, I, I cut it short. I mean, basically, the, the backup, I think, is is penciled by John Byrne. And he he is, you know, obviously the attraction to him with this was to to recreate classic Marvel panels skull and images he seems to like recreating like old Kirby and, and, and Lee type panels and stories and things like that so I, I, I would imagine that was the main attraction to him in doing this backup story right right yeah I mean but I mean it's just basically you know and having it all in there as far as you know Artem Zola being the you know, the one that, that, that went ahead. It, it, it makes sense in the fact that, okay, they cloned or they got the cells to clone Cap's body at that point in time. So so at, at least the return of the Red Skull makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And also, two kids, you know, here's a fun game for you. Going through this issue, go ahead and keep count how many times Steve Rogers says, the skull died in my arms. He um, says it a lot. Don't start a drinking game, guys. There is kind of a, a slight nod to Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' Watchmen in this on 8, maybe, I think. It's hard for me to see. It's basically when they cut to New York City and Steve Rogers is buying the newspaper. And you can see there's a kid reading a Captain America issue with Captain America in the frame. And that, that kind of reminds me of the little kid they had reading the pirate comics and Watchmen and everything. So... I, I thought that think, was kind of a, a nice nod to Watchmen, I guess. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think the kid got pissed off when Steve Rogers was 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 taken off his penciler on the book? <laughs> yeah, probably. For for you kids that don't understand that deep cut, way earlier, like around Cap three. What was it? Nineteen teens. It was in the teens. It was like during the Scourge era. You know, the original yeah. Scourge run. Steve Rogers in a very meta. This is before before Meta was Meta. Steve Rogers was the penciler of the Captain America comic within this Captain America comic. There's the joke. Meta. <laughs> I think really the only thing that I didn't quite understand. And okay, so I guess my big thing on this was you really want me to believe that the Skull funded and founded the Watchdogs, the Scourge of the Underworld, the res the Mutant Resistance, which, I, you know, I thought that was a whole Magneto thing again. Yeah. And who the fuck are the Sweatshop? The Sweatshop were not even touched upon during this run. Yeah. Like, like at least they brought Scourge in for like the one shot for, for killing the, the second Red Skull. So at least we knew who the, you know, give a quick reminder of who the Scourge was. They, did, they didn't even fucking touch upon Sweatshop. Like, I would actually have to go back and take a look. Yeah. Like, to go dig back. I have no idea who the hell the Sweatshop is. And why we have a guy basically just there in a fucking sweatshirt and sweatpants 
just to be nothing more than than you know at ground zero when 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 Walker does his here's Johnny impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Party time. Yeah, that's a that's a good <laughs> panel. I like that panel. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, you know, the, the this issue. I mean, once again, like I said, great art by by Kieran Dwyer. Great fitting ending for this story arc. The fight between Rogers and Walker executed very well. You know, get some dramatic moments. You even have, you know, a bit of Walker's psychotic reign going through him as he's, you know, trying to choke him out with a cable. You know, it's, it's just all in all really well paced, really well done. You get the dramatic ending sequence with uh, the confrontation between Rogers and and the skull and Walker kind of seeing what's up. OK, now I know this. That actually is a real cap. And then and then here we actually we're, we make John Smith. Now he is a red skull. Uh and then follow that up with, I guess if it's if it's passing the torch, would it just be called taking back the torch? Yeah, yeah, reclaiming the mantle, maybe. Yeah, okay. If you want to be nice about it, there you go. Yeah. So you know, all in all, I mean, I mean, what? How? In, in your own feelings on this issue, how do how do, how do you feel about it? I, I, it's, I, so it it's a fun, for me. I'm I'm fond of this issue. I mean, to me, it's always hard to isolate this story at all like in other words isolate a single issue of this story i tend to look at it as a collective whole as being one of my favorite captain america stories but i mean if if you if you put a gun to my head and i had to isolate one issue that kind of sums it up pretty nicely i think it would be 350 because they they kind of tackle you know most of the essential beats of the story and and kind of deal with it so this is this is good for for possibly isolating you know the the themes of this you know like i said it's it's almost two years worth of of comic books and everything you know this could be more of a a sales thing for the avengers back then because they weren't quite as popular as they were today right but there there is that that there is that line of of steve rogers thinking oh maybe i should recruit some more mutants so they don't get such a bad rap to the avengers you know which is interesting too because if you think about it you're like well what are quicksilver scarlet witch and beast are they chopped liver like do they not count like you know or does he need to recruit like <laughs> more popular mutants like you know wolverine or whoever like i don't know but he's he's he, he's having a good thought but then you know like or, or a thought for good reasons but then part of me is kind of like well but you you've already done that like you know like you you you're good, Steve. Like you, you were looking out, and you're still looking out, even though you've already looked out. So, I get it. You're a good guy. Typical yeah. boomer mentality. <laughs> um, we need to re- we need to recruit more mutants. Okay, boomer. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting to note that there's uh, some, I guess, slight redemption if you if you if you took some issue with. John Walker's actions back in 347. It, it's they they basically established that left winger and right winger are not dead. They're just horribly burned with 90% of their their body being burned, but they're not actually dead. What is kind of uh, uh, I don't know if it's funny or sad or or horrific or whatever, but later on when they start doing the uh, Jack Daniels backup stories for us agent they reveal in cap 383 that left winger and right winger were so horribly burned they committed suicide so walker didn't really kill them they killed themselves um (laughs) well by that same token left winger and right winger didn't really they didn't they weren't the ones to pull the trigger on the death of his parents yes but yes, yes but 
Yeah, exactly. They, yeah, yeah. Walker indirectly forced them to commit suicide for horribly burning them. I got a little bit of a, a you know, I don't know if, if, if this was anything that ever occurred to you, but the, the moment where Walker as Captain America kind of goads Cap into tossing his shield, there's that, that kind of old versus young thing going on, you know, the, the younger, more buffer model kind of, you know, and, and what it reminded me of was the, the great bit in Dark Knight Returns where, you know, you've got the mutant leader and Batman's in the, you know, the tank Batmobile, you know, he's got the mutant leader in his sights and he's like, come on, old man, you know, like, like I fight you, you know, and shit like that. Like, right, come out, right. come out and face me. And I felt like that was a a similar, you know, like Walker was playing the role of the mutant leader there. He's the buffer, younger, faster, quicker model, kind of saying, "Come on, old man, like toss the fucking shield, like let's just go yeah. at it, like men," you know. And 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 Rogers, like like Batman, kind of does give in to that. You know, it's that it's that testosterone fueled kind of okay okay let's well, let's do this you know yeah but it, but it, it was also a point that was kind of hammered home throughout this story arc and even in some of the issues prior to this story arc where he was you know sometimes where he was questioning his abilities you know post post super patriot fight yeah, you know, yeah. do I do I still got it and all that type of stuff? Yeah, yeah, you know, it was something. This is something he had to prove to himself, and and I think I think it's the same thing. Like like you know, Bruce Wayne, an older Bruce Wayne, like like saying, oh, do I do I like I could just pull this trigger and wipe him off the face of the earth, but do I do I still have what it takes to fight this guy? Like, am, right. am I still with it? And 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 you know, on a on a, it's it's less of a age scale but 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 again like you're saying he did have that doubt because he went up against super patriot before and it was not you know it was not definitive you know and right. and, and, and he wants to know for himself okay like i won't give myself any crutches you know all right i'll i'll i'll, I'll take down the shield let's 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 find out if you know if i have what it takes exactly and you know again as far as like the Red Skull backup. I mean, it, it's a lot of nice John Byrne artwork, but again, it, it is it is uh, the majority of it is is recreating things. Yeah, that, that I mean, it's it's from, it's yeah. it's just recapping the history of the skull for those that may not have been into it up to that point, and you know, exposition on how in the hell did he actually get the cloned body of Steve Rogers? You know, like I said it was very explained very well. And and again, utilizing a character that we don't really see a whole lot of it during that time frame of, of Arnim Zola. Yeah. Yeah. And the Doughboy and Dough Primus, Boy. I think was I think Primus was the other one of his androids that, that Kirby had created for him. So what, what do you have any uh, thoughts on the the other sort of where where it deals with, you know, sidekicks, the different versions of Captain America, Cap's Cap's women in his life, like that whole thing, basically. Like they've got they've got the it's Captain America's partners, and then they they have the the two page spread of, of Bucky Barnes, Rick Jones, Falcon, Jack Monroe, and Demolition Man, and then they've got the the woman in Captain America's life. So they've got Peggy Carter, Sharon Carter, Bernie Rosenthal, Donna Maria Puentes, Gail Rinsider, Diamondback, Holly Ridley, and Viper. Yeah, what the, the fuck? Six... What the fuck is Hiram's mom doing in there? <laughs> she, 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 she. Uh, it's like it's like that uh, 
kindly old, uh, well, not that old, but it's like that that kindly uh, 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 widow from that uh, red brown Captain America pilot, where she's like, "Oh, you're so big and strong. Come stay with me, Steve Rogers." You yeah. know, it's the it's the milf he didn't bang, and she's longing for his return. And what ends up happening? She gets a shotgun blast to the head, coming yeah. back from church, making everybody feel better. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's nice to have that type of stuff. I think the only other thing that really stands out is the whole, uh, you know, having having uh, Roscoe in the lineup of of, of former caps. Mm. You know, look at that lineup and you say, okay, which Captain America got killed by the Red Skull mere days after putting on the uniform? I think it's pretty obvious which one got uh, <laughs> which one that is the gas station attendant. He tried, man. He, he he was a good guy. Like like he tried. I mean, you know, it's not his fault. Steve went off to be a, a hippie nomad or whatever. Like That's right. just, man without a country. He was just trying. You know, I mean, you know, it's funny because because like I, I I remember I didn't. You know, I when I when I first bought this, I you know I knew who Steve Rogers was, and I knew who the Super Patriot was, but I, at the time I had no idea who two through five were at all. And I think you know, obviously, like you know, I, I think especially leading up to the first Captain America movie, I I kind of made it a point to go back and you know read you know the entire marvel run of captain america and then after doing that and then a lot of the new books that were out at that time like there was a really nice patriot miniseries like jeffrey mace that was a modern book and that one was really really good and then you know of course you know rereading through the whole run i got to know who you know roscoe and the grand director and the spirit of 76 were but yeah i mean i guess that i guess when i see this image i i it just reminds me that I, I i made that a reading project and also you know just the fact that uh i i thought that jeffrey mace series was was really good yeah so i mean by and by and large you know nice you know for one of those big thick anniversary style issues yeah for the big yeah. three 300 you know 350th issue you know i mean you can't go wrong it's a it's a great capper to a to one of one of captain america's best storylines yeah i agree and and i mean overall like you know again i mean just to hammer the point home i mean this is my favorite captain america story you know like i i i this is the one that i probably put above all others you know i i i'm not sure like it's funny i mean i know i was introduced to captain america comics solo comics reading this but i i'm not sure exactly if that that's something i would like just throw into somebody's hands if they said oh what's a good captain america story to read and they had never read anything else like you, you, i might kind of ease into this you know but but I still like really, you know, th this was something I was looking forward to talking to you about. And I knew you shared my my passion for the story and especially this era of Captain America. So, right. I, you know, I was I was looking forward to talking to you about it. And this has been a lot of fun. So I, I, I appreciate you, you know, coming on and everything and, and discussing the issues with me. Indeed. And it's, it's you know, it's always a blast being on here. You know, any 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 time, dude. Any time. And then just just so I mean, I would obviously offer you a chance to pimp, promote, and propagate your your wares. Nah, and everything. I see what but, you did uh, there. But but if uh, is there any other like do you, do you have any overarching final thoughts on you know the Captain Captain America no more like just just grandiose kind of thing like that you, any last things you want to say about the the arc or anything? Just I mean just the fact that it 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 reestablished why. 
Steve Rogers is so important as Captain America. And I mean, I don't know why they feel the need to have to redo it every so often, but when they do, a lot of times it it does serve its purpose. You don't have that with a whole lot of other heroes like Spider-Man or Hulk or Iron Man as far as, you know, I mean, you do every once in a while, but you haven't had it near as much as you have with Captain America. So it's always nice to just have that reaffirmation that there is, I mean, there's been a lot of guys that have put on the mantle, but there's really only one true Captain America. And this is this is a classic storyline to explain why Steve Rogers is the true Captain America. Yeah, that's well said, man. That's that, I think that encapsulates the entire arc perfectly. So do you have anything to pimp, promote, or propagate? Like, do you want to tell people where they can find you out on the well, interwebs? Well, just, 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 you know, as always, uh, you know, somewhat live semi-weekly, make sure to check out the Quad M Show podcast. You can do that anywhere you, uh, any podcast catching app that you use, or you can stream it or download it off quadmproductions.com. Also, to quadmproductions.com, you're going to find a whole lot of stuff like the Enigma comic book series, Woo! as well as our line of Quad M Aware t shirts and plenty of them. T shirts, motherfucker. Do you wear them? I, I don't. That's why I bought a sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what you find so funny. Little green men. You speak English pretty well for a Martian. So what do you want? We already have everything we want from you. But perhaps there is something you'd like to tell us. There is. Name, Stephen Rogers. Rank, Captain. Serial number. Five four nine eight five eight seven zero, and that's all you're ever going to get from me. All right, cool. That's all, all right. I got, good sir. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, TJ. I appreciate this. And as for me, like we said, it's fine. You don't have to send hate mail to TJ. You can send if you have any angry, angry emails. If you're like uh, WTF over, you can send that to panels podcast at gmail dot com. If you like listening to this, we have plenty of the backlog of our episodes over on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. You can find us over on Apple Podcasts. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, the star-spangled Derek, Derek WC, signing off. And we're clear. Thank you. Thank you for having me again, brother. This was all fun. right. Yeah. Thanks for doing all it. Right. I appreciate it. All right. Later, buddy.